Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Whoops, and I apparently did not even uh, wow, uh, link just, up. To... You just screwed I... up, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I didn't link up to the new one I rendered last night. <laughs> well, do it again. Seems okay. to be rendering issues all the way around. So, 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 so here it... we'll come to rehearsal. Yeah, well, here's what was supposed to happen afterwards. Hello, I'm David Ladd, and welcome to the Coco Nation Show. There, there we go. Ooh. Next week it'll be fixed. Nice. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode three eleven. Wow. And this week it's the snoozy newsy. Snooze fest twenty twenty three. That's in, in honor of Coco Fest. Now it's snooze fest. We got three weeks to catch up on, don't we? Yep. <laughs> well, before before we dive into that, let's. Uh, uh, get on with the uh, panel introductions and that button right there. All right, top left corner, we got Mark Overhoser. Hey, glad to be here as usual. And then we got Patrick Euland. Yeah, what Mark said. And L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. Have your pillows ready. And yours truly over there as I look over the far corner, see who's over there. Then we got uh, Ron Delvo. Hey, part of the nation. Ra. All right. Next up, Ken Waters. Hello, everybody. And Grant Leedy with a Cocoa Fest update. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hey, Curtis, I'm still waiting on my damn chocolate. <laughs> I, I've never seen them since I... Left Saskatoon on the way there. I haven't seen. Watch my video. You'll see what happened to the top. Yeah, you can get a full rundown. <laughs> that was a good video. We're, we'll touch on that a bit later. Yeah, that was good. And next over, we got Brian Weasler. Hello, all. Welcome to the show. Right. And bottom row, we got Alan, Exile in Paradise. Howdy, howdy, everyone. Welcome to the nation. And middle of the bottom row, Sloopy Malibu. Uh, you're, you may be unmuted on Zoom, but your mic's still muted. <laughs> you sound great, Sloopy. Still muted. Take two. <laughs> Greetings. Oh, there we go. All right. And last but not least, we have Jason, the Coco Man Biz. Why, hello, everyone. And I, I am here. I am not running my video right now. And where's David Ladd? I don't He's probably know. still asleep. In Walmart. He's in chat. Something about Walmart. Walmart. And where's Nick Marentes? Nick Marentes is at the Australian Walmart. No, he heard about how long the news was going to be, and he decided not to get up for this morning. Oh. Smart man. Smart yeah. man. Yeah. 
kind of oh. jealous. I, I think I was going to go. We're not even talking about one of his games today. Jeez. Yeah. And, I think he'd be here. And if we get knocked off the air, it's going to be this guy's fault. <sighs> <laughs> Welcome to the cat pitching contest. <laughs> Current world leader, Mark Bosley. Get over there. Get back over there. Vermin. Oh, now there's going to be a fight. Now the gray cat. No. Uh, someone uh, just puked on your bed. Yeah, the cat, the gray one hates every other cat. You still so, got five, I'm taking it. Yeah, still got five. I think that's kinda permanent. Kind of giving up uh, at home on this one. It's, uh, this was growing on you. <laughs> like Thank a fungus. Stepping up. Like a fungus, yes. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a color uh, computer. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. Uh, First up, uh, let's do Grant. Uh, any uh, anything you got to say? Well, wait a couple of things we uh, probably need to mention here. Uh, first of all, I guess we should all uh, announce that the board has approved, and uh, we now have a corporate sponsor. Uh, thanks to uh, Retro Rewind, he will uh, you'll be seeing a commercial from him in the near future. And uh, just want to say thanks to Frank for uh, helping support the show and. Uh, we're glad to have him as a sponsor. All right. Thank you, Frank. Okay. Thank you, Frank. Hey. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, he also helped support Thanks, the fest, too. So that was good. Yep. good. Yes, he did. So remember, that's Frank <laughs> from RetroRewind.ca. Yeah, not Frank and Stein. That's a different person. Frank and Stein. So I <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just let you know, too, as far as a Cocoa Fest update, uh, I just got the information uh, yesterday for the uh, from the hotel. Uh, we will be hosting uh Cocoa Fest at the exact same location as we did this last year, uh, the weekend of May 3rd through the 5th. Um, so they uh, they did increase our rates just a very, very, very small amount, which is uh, understandable with it, with inflation and so forth. So won't be a very much of an increase at all. We're only talking about a couple hundred dollars. So <laughs> not no $43,000 like it was last year, thank God. Wow. Um, so uh, the only thing else, too, is the guest rooms will go up one dollar so instead of 119 dollars like it was this year it'll be 120 dollars for uh next year so oh, start that's saving it. we now. gotta find a new place yeah, I'll start saving now <laughs> exactly that's, uh, that's like how much is that in canadian dollars one dollar uh, 150 160 somewhere in there yeah it's yeah. going so, up 150 uh, 160 so what's this about the third there. So uh, there's been a lot of talk about, and I've been kind of toying with the idea, maybe we'll be doing some presentations maybe on that Friday, uh, late afternoon, evening. I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm going to try to work it out and see what we can figure out on that. Uh, because there has been some some talk about, you know, Sunday, nothing really happens on Sunday. Most of the people from the local area of Chicago don't come in on Sunday. Um, plus there's been, you know, after the uh, auction, everything kind of dies out. So we're I'm hung over maybe, from Saturday. Exactly. Exactly. Make a three part auction, which has never happened. I don't think in the uh, history of Cocoa Fest that I'm aware of anyways. Um, so I'm totally with the idea of maybe doing some presentations, maybe on that Friday evening or so forth. Uh, therefore we're not so heavy in presentations on Saturday uh, because some people want to do presentations. They want to do also the, uh, the boots, but it's kind of hard to do both. So mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be playing about that idea and see if we can come up with the uh, with something here for next year on that. So I guess the question would be, though, if we do do something on Friday uh, afternoon, evening, would people attend Friday? Would they show up and maybe on Thursday? Uh, so that's something we need to kind of look at, too, on that. 
So, but the big news is we're staying at the same location. So now there was there was some issues. I know I saw some complaints about the uh, auction room being too small because it was literally standing room only. But uh, you had talked about a an alternative large room that's a little further away. And what? Yep. You got an update uh, on that too? Yep, we will be moving down to the other room down by the swimming pool. Uh, it is it's a different layout. So uh, uh, I know that there was a, some issues with people who did not. Uh, it was just it was a distraction because if you wanted to leave the presentation early, you had to get up and go in front of the speakers to get out of the room, which is you know a distraction for the people who are listening to the presentations. Uh, so the new uh, room will be down by the swimming pool, which Curtis, you and Ken should know about because you were blinding everybody down there on Sunday night uh, with your white pasty Fla- skin. Flash, flashing our hot man bods, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so I'm so glad I missed that. And it's or it's it's a uh, orientation is is 190 degrees. So if you take what we had there in that other room of, and twist it 190, I mean excuse me, uh, 90 degrees. So you'll be facing this it's way a, while the doors will be facing to your side. Now um, it's a little also, bit L-shaped, isn't it? Exactly. Well, it's more of a it's kind of it's a, kind, uh, of, a, kind of a it's, yeah, it's a little bit of a different setup. Uh, the other thing too is you will have access to windows. Which could be good, could be bad, because you know if the sun's blaring in, it might cause issues with the uh, screen. Um, and also, a plus side, you're not going to be boxed in inside the middle of the hotel. So, which hopefully will be better for us to stream next year uh, live over YouTube. So, I'm hoping that will also solve that issue as well. And on that note, I am working with the hotel. They're going to look into contacting their maintenance slash technology people and see if they can maybe increase the upload speeds for next year as well. Um, but I'll keep everybody uh, updated on that too. So we might have to utilize 5G, T-Mobile, AT&T, or Verizon, you know, 5G technology if we have to. So, And is the capacity of this room a fair bit bigger too? or It's or a it little bit, it's, it's a little bit bigger, but there's definitely a lot more standing room. And also, we can open up the door, and uh, you got a patio out there as well, too. So, I would say we probably fit maybe another ten to fifteen chairs in there, which would probably be sufficient enough to all the people that were standing during the auction. I think. Well, that's auction, where they uh, had the wedding. The pool. <laughs> yeah, the wedding party was down there. Um, so that was a pretty big group they had down there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, when they weren't posing with the Dinosaurs poster. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, but on a good note, though, everybody uh, I've talked to was very happy with this. Uh, venue so uh no complaints whatsoever um i'll probably will be changing up the dinner too so we might we'll be having something different than the uh chicken and uh meatloaf just to kind of keep it a different variety each year so we will get forward with meatloaf every single year so this this next year will be all timbits that ken and i will bring in because we have such excess shipping stuff from canada (laughs) (laughs) so but yep uh, so get there a month late though so as soon as i sign the contract with the hotel which will probably be here next week or the week after uh, then we can start booking rooms and getting things ready for that again uh, for 2024. I noticed you had to uh, keep upping the amount of rooms that were available at the discount rate because you keep getting more and more orders. Are, are you set at a, a certain amount now for, for next year? So the way the hotel does it is they will start with, well, now that we've been there uh, this year, they'll probably keep it maybe around, 75% what it was this year. And then as the rooms start booking up, then they will expand it uh, every uh, every couple of weeks as more people book. So we will not run out of rooms uh, on our part. So because well, we have first priority on that weekend. So the hotel is pretty happy with us? 
Oh, hotel was very, very happy with us. No problems whatsoever. So I can imagine that some groups might be a little bit rowdy and be troublesome. So yeah, exactly. I thought for uh, sure I was going to get complaints for playing guitar poorly as I did. So (laughs) put put in for a different kind of um, furniture at the dumpster next year. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We need need to change up there. Yep, I'll try to do that. Maybe we'll go for beds next year. Hey, ooh. <laughs> or couches. <laughs> mm-hmm. So another thing too, um, I, that I've also been uh we'll work with uh Boise Pete on this. Uh he wants to kind of have a group discussion. Um, so not maybe like a presentation, so like maybe an hour and a half discussion where we have like four people maybe sitting in some sort of comfortable uh, like a round table test all exactly, thing. but maybe a very relaxed type of thing. Uh, he got that from BCF uh, East, and he would like for us to try to do that at Coco Fest next year. So I'm going to look into uh, trying to do that as well. So I think that'd be kind of cool, you know, to have something. Yeah, we've had them before. I mean, they, they had like um, the, the round table for all the Coco Four guys like Frank Hogg and Ed Gressick and uh, um, Paul Ward. Had, they did a round table at one of the earlier Coco Fest when the MM1, the TC70, all that stuff was coming out. We've had other round tables. The Rainbow Fest used to have round tables too. So, yeah, that's not a bad idea to bring it back. Now that his tennis is going up, it's it's more worthwhile to do so. Okay. Very much cool. so. So, other than that, that's all I had. Any other questions or concerns? Oh, I guess I'll just make, a, make an announcement too. The theme will be uh, a Star Wars theme because it's going to be on May fourth so may the fourth be with you type of thing so star wars what, so, a, what, what, what does diehard trekkers do then i'm kind of wondering you guys are just screwed <laughs> <Be offended. laughs> i guess I i'm going to run on the uh, return of the jet eye game at my table there you go <laughs> <laughs> all right so like i said we'll start planning now and getting things going so um like as soon as those hotel uh rooms get uh are able to be booked i'll let you guys know cool and thanks for getting the price just with $1 difference. I mean, obviously, the hotel rental stuff is going to be a little bit more expensive. But uh, thanks to Retro Rewind, we have a bit of a cushion on that. Yep. Yep. I think that's good. And like I said, I think that that's one thing, since we were so easy to work with at that hotel, they were able to keep the keep the amount very similar to what it was this year, So, which is a plus. No yeah, big we surprises. aren't that rowdy of a bunch. So. Yeah, I would Not, think they no, want to encourage repeat business, especially. Exactly. And no big surprises license. like we did last year. Yeah. <laughs> Jim and Jim and I were having a heart attack about this time last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, no fire department visits. Well, no, there, there was, was one. <clears throat> uh, it happened yep. on Thursday night, wasn't it? Well, the yeah. uh, well, the double microwave popcorn incident, I think we're calling it. Yep, it happened on Wednesday night. Thursday morning it was on uh, on uh, four twenty. So I think uh, somebody was probably starting the holiday early and decided to get the munchies. <laughs> Got the munchies <laughs> a little bit too much. <laughs> And we got a yeah, we had the fire department at our hotel in Memphis, so just you know, that's to, true. That's true. Oh, that's not like there's a story there. What happened? Uh, it was just there. I don't know. Okay, it, it, so, no alarms or anything. It, I think it was a medical thing. Oh, okay. Took the oh. bodies out of the dumpster. Did someone uh, burn their poutine gravy? They don't even know what that is down there, as we found out. Uh, Uneducated heathens. Anyway, it was a good fest. I mean, well, there's some obviously some stories and videos and stuff we'll be covering in the news. You know, the 17 hours of news uh, that are still you know related to the fest. There's still stuff coming out, like Jason's working on. Ken, I think you've got a few more still queued up that are kind oh, yeah. of tangentially related. I'm going to be talking about Coco Fest for at least a two, two, three more months. 
Okay, good. <laughs> awesome. Oh, Nick Brandis has joined us. He woke up. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, Nick. Sorry about waking Ooh, up. Yeah. Kevin Holloway. Kevin Holloway. Kevin Holloway. Oh, yeah. I, another one. Welcome, Kevin. Okay. Muted. There he is. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Hi, Kevin. Now, I, I did want to mention Hello. one thing before we get on to the, the Game on Challenge stuff. Um, there was some new stuff, and I kind of put a post in the Coca Nation uh, Discord about trying to get some, uh, basically, some of the people that had new products out, like Rick Euland, like some of the stuff you and Strickland and, and others worked on, some of the networking stuff. There was the um, the Coco that was portable with a you know drill battery and stuff like that. So stuff that was brand new this show. I want to see if we can try to get everybody together for like one little kind of follow up for those who are asked question, have questions on those products and, and bring them on the show as a kind of a, a special guest thing Yeah, to explain their projects, you know, what the costs are, when you can order them, that kind of stuff or any support you can give them, et cetera. So um, this is just a public uh, a pleading of, of people to get in contact with the show or myself or whoever and, and see if we can get that set up. I've got a whack load of interviews. I got to get start getting set up too. No. So want to try to sneak that in between regular interviews. Oh, so maybe have them on to do a demonstration of their product and stuff? Yeah, or just uh, talking about in general, show it on camera or whatever, yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff, but I didn't even get a chance, unfortunately, because I you know, I had lots of people ask questions at my booth um, that I basically, there's about a quarter to a third of the booths I never even got to. <laughs> like, I never got to say even say hi, never mind, see what they did. So I've seen pictures, some of you you've put up there, and uh, I'm going, I don't remember this at all. So I, I'll have some catching up to do as well. Okay. Hey, over in the uh, chat, um, we have a question. It says, did Tandy keep programmers from showing their names on their uh, cartridge programs? I'm thinking... Not in the games. I, I mean, there's quite a few that have the name in there. Um, I think the copyrights in oh. the manuals would sometimes have the person's name if it was an individual and, or the company they worked for, like device-oriented games was Robert Arnstein, for example. So I don't think they had any policy against that. Mark Siegel would know better, and I think he's in the chat, so he might better answer that. Oh, was it Rick's name on Rick's games? Yep, and Dale Lear. I mean, it, it, I'm pretty sure Doubleback has names. Pop up all the time in different cartridges. Greg yeah. Zumwalt was on a bunch. Uh, Steve Bjork's name's on some. And yeah. I don't think I had a policy against it if you're thinking like they're like at the Atari um, in the early days. Yeah, and sure. the follow-up company. But some people just published under a company name like Activision or whatever and didn't bother putting the author's name. That might have been a personal choice of the company or a personal choice of the program. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, um, shall we get into the game on results then? Yep. Roll that okay. Uh, when do you want to run commercials? Um, after the game on, before the news? I would say run one, one between game on and game on news, and then another one between game on news and regular news, because there's a lot of both. Okay. Can do. Let's I'm see. My pillow. <laughs> All right. Mark Siegel in the chat, just to follow up on that, he says, names were okay if you wanted it on your software, so it was up to the developer, basically, and, and Radio Shack Tandy was okay with it. Very nice. Okay. All right. Here we go.
Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Cosmic Sweeper. We had a total of 12 participants. There was Mr. Dave 6309 with 875. Exile in Paradise 1000. Mark B 1125. Jim Rye 2125. L. Curtis Boyle, 4,000. Sloopy Malibu, 4,375. Sabhead, 5,000. Tasman, 5,775. Canadian Retro Things, 6,050. Ed Rhodes, 8,100. Rich N, 9,175. And this week's number one score belongs to... 8 bits in the basement with 13,200. Thanks everybody that played this week and we'll see you again next week. What happened to Buck Owens? I didn't see any scores from Buck Owens for this one. Oh, He's giving the, the rest fuck? of us a bit of a break, I think. <laughs> Fell asleep. So, yeah, 8 bits in the basement kicked all of our butts on this game, so um I did have a quick look around last night, and I didn't see any reviews. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, it's pretty rare that like that was a T and D game, if I remember right, from the T and D software Comics, magazine. Yeah, and those very rarely got inter or uh, reviewed separately because it was just mm -hmm. part of the issue. It was like reviewing a specific program from Rainbow type thing. Yeah, it did happen occasionally, but it's pretty rare, so I'm not surprised. Anyways, it was a pretty good game. Um, it had a little bit of a different dimension to it where you had to keep track of where you're, you were in all three dimensions, like uh, crossing the screen up, down, and left and right to blow up asteroids, I guess, was the entire thing of the game. I had never made it past level two, so I don't know how hard it actually got, but um, yeah. Does anybody have any tick trips? Yeah. I can't speak today. Tips. Tips or tricks. Alan, Next Island Paradise has one in the chat. Um, he said, apparently 8-Bits in the Basement knows not to dodge meteors by hitting them head on. Ah, yes. <laughs> that was my problem. I was using my ship as a ramming device. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had the same issue. I, I, I used to be a little bit better at because I did play it way back... Um, probably in the nineties. And then also when I put it on the page years ago, mm -hmm. but I haven't played it since. And I'd kind of forgotten a lot of it. So I don't really have any good tips either. I didn't yeah, think it's level two. It's a pretty straightforward game. So I don't know if there's really a lot to say about it. It was uh, an enjoyable game to pick up and play for a little while. Yep. I do like the um, 3d perspective. That was, that was yeah. cool. It unfortunately didn't have a lot of, um, uh, like he could have maybe added things in the future um, stages, like rather than always being asteroids, just make did some. He, yeah, of... did he? Because I know he did another 3D game where it has a bit of a grid you're flying over, and those little star things show up. I can't remember the name of it. But I think we played it already on the challenge too. But all I know is in the the first two stages, it's all asteroids. So yeah. I don't know. Does if anybody got further than the first two stages, is there anything other than asteroids that you're going up against? 
Yeah. Got a, a tip from Retro 8 or uh, 8 Bits in the Basement, the guy who won the challenge here. He says that use the top right screen to find the next rock and fire when it appears in the main screen. Yep. That's what I was trying to do. I wonder how hard it would be to uh, substitute the graphics with it like a floating head. <laughs> now, that wouldn't be very nice to put Grant's face in the game. <laughs> Man, we're on the same page here. Yeah, I would have ran out of ammo if that was the case. Um, <laughs> I would have definitely gotten the high score. So and it wouldn't great. make any difference if you started the computer first and then the monitor? What? Huh? <laughs> it's a fundamental question. <clears throat> you know, in the, I think it's in the instruction booklet. It says to turn your monitor on first and then your computer. Uh, oh. I didn't even see the doesn't instruction help, book for this, so doesn't help the game any different. No. No. Okay. Well, it's easier to play if you turn the monitor. Slightly. True. <laughs> yeah, the challenge expert levels when you shut the monitor off and try to play it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the uh Star and Wars scene where score. he's uh blindfolded. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a simple game. It's part of a magazine. I mean, it's a, you're not expecting top A stuff, though. Occasionally, they yeah. did have some pretty awesome stuff on there. So, and Roger was Smith was the author. He had quite a few. Like he was pretty prolific. Yeah, I could see that this game definitely could you could make a lot out of it by adding more things than just asteroids to it. So, yeah, and actually, since eight bits in the basement, the top scoring person is in the chat. I'm just wondering if he knows. Is there anything? different in the later levels because he probably got past level two and like most of us <laughs> yeah probably or does it just get to be more of them they're moving faster or whatever that's what i'm kind of i'm curious too I, I don't know if there's anything further and we'll just wait till the uh stream catches up with the uh yeah tom eric gunner says you know coming up you know based on the may 4th being this past week he says use the force loop that's his solution and uh, yeah. tip for the game so shut off your targeting computer and just use the force so I guess that means just put a piece of tape over the top <laughs> of your screen. <laughs> hey, Bits, Bits, I got to level three and died straight away. So apparently it's harder. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I have no idea, he says. <laughs> I'm assuming it was asteroids that killed you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. I Actually, I've never played it long enough to see if, if there's anything. I'm, now I'm curious. Now I might have to. Actually, they, did you find the instructions? Because all the TND little scans are on the archive, so I don't know if they listed anything. Did I see the instructions? Of course not. I never look for the instructions. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember if I did a reading on them. It's always just more fun if you don't know the instructions. Yeah, Mark, I think you did do the reading for the other game, though, right? Yeah, the second that. game this week, yes. Yeah, the second game this week, which was... Oh, yeah. So Apex in the Basement says, yeah, it was uh, Asteroids that killed him. So our second game this week was Nick Marentes' version of Pac-Man. Or as I'm calling it, the Pac-Man Tribute. Now, I'm not the best speller in the world. But, uh, Nick, you know, there's a thing called Spell and Fix 2. Um, what? <laughs> Where's the spelling mistake? Um. Like I said, I'm not the world's best speller, so I could be wrong on it, but uh, um, maybe some things were spelled in Australian instead of uh, American. 
You mean spelled properly? <laughs> that could be that too. Where was that, Mark? Um, I'd have to pull it, it back up again. Was it the instructions? Called, yeah, instructions. Oh, okay. Were there words with extra U's in them? Wait, there were instructions? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I call I call it Pac-Man Extra Difficult Edition. That's me. Yep. You th- do you think it's harder than the transcode that Glenn Hewlett did, Jason? Uh, you know what? I, maybe I'd have to go back and compare the two side by side. I'm just going off of memory. I would probably say, yeah, a little bit harder because I think especially the red ghost can go a little bit faster than in the transcode. Oh, he goes after your butt. Oh, yeah. You can't <laughs> outrun him. And you really turning uh, corners doesn't slow him down as much as it does in the transcode. That's that's true. I actually yeah. found Nick's version easier, but that's probably because I played it a lot longer. That's right. I thought got used I, to it. I, I didn't think the ghosts change. I think all the ghosts are exactly the same. I didn't really give each ghost a different uh, personality. personality. I mean, I didn't even know about that when I wrote the game. Ah. I, I didn't know about that in the original. So, and because it was a, a clean room version, I didn't copy that. So, well, that red ghost definitely uh, homes in on you. Yeah, Brian so Walsh saying it's much harder. He's agreeing. Yeah. And uh, 60. Karen says, I think it is harder. You don't get to zip around corners. That's one thing that is quite different because when you go around the corner in the Pac-Man arcade or the transcode, you go around the corner a little bit. You kind of like jump around the corner. So you're going faster than the ghosts are. So you yeah. gain. I, I thought I, I put that in as well. I knew about that, but I'll have to play it again to remind myself. If, if it does, I think it's more subtle than the arcade one. Would yeah, you it, it might be a bit more subtle, but I think I did put something like that in. So if you I usually just corners, miss the corners and get killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, it, I mean, yeah. when it came out, because that came out, what, 97, Nick, I think? Yeah, yeah, 97, 98. I mean, that was that was a pretty pretty awesome game. I actually paid for that one. But, God, did I get ripped off. Me too. Um, <laughs> I bought yeah, that. I, I thought I did put, put uh, a few of the nuances of the original in there, so... And you have all the intermissions. I, I I got up to the second one on the live play, and I know there's a third. I've made it up to that before. But now, one question yeah. that some people during the live stream had actually asked, and I don't know the answer to this, so hopefully you do, Dick. Uh, of course, in the real one, and once you get to level, was it 255, the kill screen when it screws up and wraps the counter and then half no, the screen no, turns to garbage? I don't have that. Okay. I mean, that's a bug in the original. So yeah. mine's bug free. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody actually made it to level 255 on Nix? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> See, uh, Brian's also I saying Nick's collision detection is much more sensitive. Yeah. That's why I wonder, you know, I mean, it's possible to get to, to, to that two, that, that 250 screen 255 or whatever on the original because you can learn patterns on the original. Yeah. On mine, what, there are no patterns. A few people were complaining about that. They're like, ah, patterns don't work on this. Yeah, so that that may be why some people say mine's harder because I don't have different patterns. patterns, Yeah, and uh, I didn't even know the original had patterns for that matter. This came out in uh, yeah ninety seven, and I don't think I, oh, I might have just had internet on my computer, on my PC, but 
yeah, you, you don't quite have the the same number of resources that you you have nowadays about Pac Man. So a lot of it was really uh, by clean sight. room development. Actually, you have an interesting story in how you created the sound for it too. I don't know if most people are aware of. Well, again, because um, uh, there was no, I didn't, I couldn't download or didn't know how to download any audio files off the internet or anything. Um, so I had to do this the old way, and that is to go into the arcade and with a cassette recorder and uh, play the the actual game, recording the sound effects on the cassette, and then go home and sample it on a Coco, on a real Coco, uh, using uh, some software like I think StudioWorks is what I used, and, uh, yeah, edit it and uh, ma- massage it into the game. So it was the old school way of doing it. Yeah, which a lot of you game authors did. I, th- I think Dave Dyes mentioned like Gauntlet. That's how he got some of their songs. Yeah, well, he just went to the arcade then, game and sampled them on a cassette recorder. They, well, that was the way to do it back then before you had the internet where you can just download everything. So what happens if you have somebody like myself or Ken sitting beside you playing a different game and swearing profusely because the game is hard or something? Do you catch that on the tape too? Or? <laughs> I'd say wimps. <laughs> oh, what is that? What is that? That was uh, something Ken had in his background. Oh, okay. I didn't. No. No, Ken Holloway. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so um, so everything yeah had to be done from scratch, including drawing all the graphics and the maze and everything. Well, it's a pretty good version for that. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, to be honest, I um, kind of prefer Nick's because I the the scrolling part. I mean, I know he did it to keep the pixel perfect ratio, but yeah. the screens on the arcade games is a little taller than the highest res you can get on the Coco. So when you have to go up and down, that kind of jars me. I don't know why it's, it's and not plus having big. the slightly squished screen is pretty normal well, for any uh, computer system. In the arcade, the the screen was actually vertically yeah. mounted. Yeah, that's why you had more more height. It was because it was actually playing it sideways. So you can do the same thing on the Coco, just using <laughs> Glenn Hewlett's, just tip the monitor sideways, and there you go, it's fixed. What well, isn't though? Because then it scrolls well, left not, and right. No, no. But that's what he could have done. He could have just programmed it horizontally, and then you just had to t- tip the monitor over. I don't know if the CMA door would survive that trauma. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> no, it's a it's a really good version for being clean room made and yep. and uh, everything else. And yeah, the I don't mind it uh, as you're saying, Curtis, about it being all on one screen like that, and not scrolling to keep the uh, ratio. Because that's what I'm used to playing all the other Pac-Mans, like the Atari 2600 Pac-Man. Yeah, and that's that's the pristine jewel in the kingdom of Pac-Man. That one, absolutely, <laughs> love that one. The, now, um, actually, a question did come up during um, the live stream, and I can't remember if it was Ken that asked or somebody else did. But what is the difference? Like, I have the original 1.0. You have a 1.1 release on your site. What what did you change? Is it bug fixes or what? What did you do? Oh, it was very minor. Um, I can remember now what I did. Um, I think I changed the the blue color a little bit from memory. I thought, oh, maybe I need the uh, a slightly different blue just to get a more accurate 
representation of it. And um, there wasn't much. There wasn't really a lot. You sped it up, didn't you? No, no, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> you made it harder. <laughs> yeah, there was just very minor changes. And um, I think I changed the loader screen so it just has the animated Pac-Man while it's loading. Um, but that was no change to the game. But, yeah, otherwise there wasn't really much um, difference in the game at all. It wasn't bug fixes or anything? or No, no, no. Because no. oh, I forgot, you don't write programs with bugs. That's right. My, my software is totally bug-free. You were just hoping for a, yeah, a rebate right. on your version that you bought, weren't you, Curtis? <laughs> What's that? You are hoping for a rebate. You're going to be like, Yeah, exactly. I, I wanted a full refund because I got this faulty 1.0 on you. Know, so. <laughs> So when you went to 1.1, is that also the point where you took the 50, 60 hertz selection off? Um, did I have that in the original? I can't remember. Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that was another, one of the other changes. <laughs> yeah, because you can auto-detect that from the ROM or something, can't you? Yeah, I think I had a little a prompt or something in the, those games um, yeah. so the user can choose it. Yeah, the main menu had three oh, prompts. That might have been one thing I changed. Yeah, I might have changed some the timer setting uh, in order to make the music sound a bit better. The intermission music, yeah. I felt when I played it, it sounded a bit slow. And I thought I'll – and that was, that was something to do with the 50, 60 hertz. That's right. I had programmed it with 50 hertz in mind, so, but when you played it on a uh, – no, was it the other way around? programmed it in 60 hertz, and on 50 hertz, it played too slow. So I may have just automatically um, detected 50 or 60 and then adjusted the timer uh, correctly so the intermission songs sounded better. Yeah, I think that was pretty well the only real change. Okay. Nothing but that I, really stopped I the I like game. the games Not where you can choose 50 or 60 hertz because the 50 hertz runs slower, so. It can yep. do better. And yeah, on original yeah. monitor, you just start scrolling up on you, which makes it really challenging. Well, the thing is, um, yeah, yeah, the CM8 does roll when you when you shoot. Uh, yeah, but if you're playing 50. it on a modern device that just automatically switches over to 50 hertz. Well, um, all modern, uh, well, TVs and monitors they auto auto detect, but the CM8 was fussy. If you had a PAL Coco that ran in 50 hertz. Uh, and you adjusted your monitor, you, well, you have to adjust the monitor so it won't roll. But um, as soon as you put a game that switches the PAL Coco to 60 hertz, um, then the screen would roll. You'd have to keep readjusting the uh, CM8. So, yeah, well, I don't have a CM8, so I don't have to worry. Well, I, I, I don't really worry about it now. <laughs> nowadays, I just do all my games at 60 hertz. And um, and be done with it. If it rolls, it rolls. You just have to <laughs> straighten it up. But that's only if you have a, a, a PAL um, Coco 3. Yeah, which is just you guys, I think, in Australia, the only ones that actually officially had PAL. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Because that, oh. that that's a problem with... Uh, with any Coco game that's um, been programmed in the US, you know, Coco 3 games are all in 60 hertz because they were designed for the US. So they all roll anyway. So I figure, well, why do I have to be different? <laughs> <laughs> all 
All right. Does anybody else have any questions for the author of the Pac-Man tribute game? I'll have a, uh, a bit of a little mini presentation next week when, uh, when it, it's the actual final day of uh, the Pac-Man on the challenge. Mm-hmm. Just to show maybe some of the – I'll see if I've got any any development stuff to show uh, from uh, back in the day. Ooh, that'll be cool. Yeah. Do you have any other great games that you've released? Well, I'm working on your favorite game uh, at the moment. And Ooh. only Sleepy's favorite game. Well, you know, Nick, <laughs> third time it might be the charm. Yeah, you might actually uh, make yeah. a good game out of this thing yet. It's going to be the greatest game ever created, full stop. <laughs> I already have Gate Crash. What are you I talking know. about? <laughs> but yeah, it's I um the one thing I, that you were talking about patterns. I think that there may be patterns. It's just that I mean, are the ghosts like fully random in their uh, in their um? No, no, they're not fully random. So I guess it is technically possible to find some sort of patterns, but the the patterns are based on where your your the position of your ghost. So, and, and the thing is, um, I actually go to lengths to make sure that um the the patterns are. Well, in the original, you could find that that position on the screen where if you go there, the ghosts will never find you. So there is that little bug. Yeah, the parking you know, spot. Up in the T. Yeah, well, my, because mine has no bugs. It, you you don't have that. <laughs> well, what I'm have saying. I told you I've got no bugs. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is if the ghosts' patterns are deterministic, even if they're deterministic based off of your off of Pac-Man's position, then a pattern could be found. I think it's just more that the patterns haven't been found because the now the knowledge of how the ghosts go isn't been uh, hasn't been uh, determined. The thing is, when you've got four ghosts and they're all going off pretty well random, that um, it's hard to get a pattern because you might get a pattern going depending on where. One of the ghosts is going, but the other ghosts will come and they they'll they'll wreck that pattern anyway. It, it, right. So there's yeah. no real there's like no I, real pattern to be gained. I noticed that right off the bat, like the red one's always the first one out, and right at the start, it will either go left or right. It doesn't always go in the same direction. So yeah, that would destroy a pattern right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I did notice that when I when I went a when I started doing a pattern at the beginning, the red ghost would always get me at a specific certain point every yeah. single time. So I was working on other ways so that it it didn't get me because it seems that your your best bet is to work around the red ghost and then then uh, just deal with the others as you see them. Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> well, red one. I don't know. The red ghost killed me on multiple different spots on the screen. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I didn't even get through the first screen yet. Oh well, I guess I should be saying yes. That's a feature. Yeah. <laughs> I have one last question for Nick, unless anybody else has any more questions too. In that, are you going to actually participate in your own game this this week? 
Well, the thing is, well, like I know you can't make it probably on the live stream, but are you can at least submit a screenshot? Re- yeah, story? yeah, I, I'll try and play it and uh, submit it because I haven't played my own Pac-Man in years, so I better, I Be better try to remind myself. Well, get out that Photoshop program. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. what I do. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we can get you off playing that that Neutroid thing. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm so uh, preoccupied with Neutroid. It's just the greatest. It's your secret life. project that Ken and I are interested in. I'll leave it at that. Actually, I do have to say Neutroid on the uh, Model 1-3 is really good. Well, that's what the new one's based on. It's going to be more like the original. It's It It makes a lot more sense than the yeah, Neutroid. I agree. Did. And you said it was kind of rushed and you were kind of like you know, shooting more for flair than duplicating the old game but i think you know being your first coco game i think that was a bit of a mistake i think you should have kept it and that. also i guess not really it makes more sense it actually just you can wrap your head around what's going on a lot easier yeah i agree yeah so anyway that's uh that's uh currently in development yeah. it's looking good so far oh, excellent speaking of neutroid isn't everyone glad that i that uh i picked pac-man as opposed to the other thing that i was going to pick I don't know what, what else you you're going to pick. pick. Yes. Neutroid version one? No. <laughs> it's, this, it's this week's game. No, it was uh, actually uh, someone had recommended it to me after I had already decided uh, uh, Pac-Man. And I was thinking about changing it because no one knew what it was until I actually revealed it. But Oh, well, let me know what the recommendation was and I'll try and fit it into the future. Well, I'm not, well, in September, evidently, I have to uh, select a game, and I may save it for that. Why September? Uh, aren't you going to VCF Midwest? Aren't you? Yes, but I'll be back before you will because I don't have to travel 5,000 miles. <laughs> Neither do I. Yeah, I'm you're coming from right Ontario on that one. Uh-huh. It's only a one-day drive for me from to Chicago from in the fall. Oh, that's right, because you're going to be at your winter home. Yep, my summer home. My summer home, a log cabin in the middle of the woods that barely has electricity. I might even have good internet this year. Woohoo. But it does have nice Commodores. Oh, I should have said that. (laughs) I'm taking Ataris with me this year. Well, I think each of those two platforms is equally well at holding open the windows in the cabin. So, yeah. Well, that's it. The Atari is heavy enough that it'll hold floorboards down, keep them from warping. You can use use it to stave off the moose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You see, an Atari eight hundred will save you from a moose attack. There you go. You put it on a long chain. You swing it around. And whack! Not, uh, take them down. <laughs> All right. Well, if we are done talking about uh, you know moose. my cabin and stuff, uh, how about Sloopy? Would you like to talk about um, the live program this week while I show some footage? Sure, but make sure you show the beginning of the uh, footage. Okay, I just have to find it. The good footage. <coughs> Why am I showing the beginning? Because at the end the, it got uh, spoiled. Appropriate. Oh yeah. So we had four people playing the various games, and and evidently the games were good enough that they actually played the game on challenge games instead of other things. Um, the biggest question that I have is why have we not seen you there on the, uh, game on challenge? 
Yes, Dude. I'm talking to you, you people in that that are listening and watching the Coco Nation. <laughs> we want you to come and join us and play. So please, every Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern U.S. time, come and join us on the Discord and play games with us. Because we want friends, darn it. We need friends. <laughs> yeah. Actually, where's the spelling error in the uh, Pac-Man one? Uh, let me pull it up. And Is it in well, the printed it, manual? Oh, in the uh, manual, not on the screen? Uh, no, not on the screen. It's in the, oh, in the okay. oh, okay. No, that that's all right. Yeah, because yeah, your original manual, you printed on the, the disc sleeve. On the disc sleeve, yeah. yeah. Uh, Karen, uh, that's no excuse. Middle of night. Please. I mean, look at Nick. He gets up at an inhumane hour of the morning to be on the show. It's like 2 a.m. in the in the Australia, isn't it? Yeah. Four, 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 I think, four. right now, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's close it's enough. Four, yeah, is there four, a difference between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m.? Not really. <laughs> you see, Karen. One P break. Yeah. Nick comes in at 4 a.m. to be here with us. But Nick is semi-retired because he's, you know, he's got all that money from all the Coca games and all his Ferraris. And I think yeah. Karen actually has a day job that probably precludes him from eight bits that. in the basement, two a.m. Yeah, see, we have Nick here. He comes in at at four a.m., which two a.m. ain't much different, and is able to he- be here for the show. So, and of course, Ken and I would do it because we're used to driving twenty-four hours just to get to a fest. So, you know. Yeah, I beg the difference. I beg to differ. There is a big difference between two and four in the morning and take it from someone that has to get up at four something in the morning to go to work. I find it's no harder to get up at 2 a.m. to go places than it is to get up at four. I solved it just by staying up. I used <laughs> I used to have to be at work at work uh, a 25 minute drive away at at. Uh, um. At uh, yeah, twenty five minute away at four a.m. So, I know what it's like to be up at that time. Oh yeah. Well, I good mean, for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's <clears throat> lot lot of uh, questioning of the uh, of the controls and excellent rendition uh, of the uh, directions. And we look forward to our game for next week. Yeah. And even, even if you can't make the live stream, which I mean, obviously, depending on where in the world you are, that's that's a legitimate concern. At least take a screenshot if you play it at a time that's good for you and submit it to the, the Discord. Yes. Yeah. If you can't come on the game on live, then at least play and and uh, post a uh, picture, uh, post a score in the, uh, the game on uh, yeah. Discord. So now the other thing also, which I, uh, I'm wondering, were people playing uh, Pac-Man on a real Coco or on a emulator? I played it on a real Coco at one uh, point. I was on I, emulator. I, yeah, was emulator. I, I think some people have said that that um, you know you can't turn as quickly uh, on uh, on uh, Pac-Man. Yeah, that might be because of the sluggishness of the joysticks with the emulator. 
Because I, I saw could... that same problem when I was playing. Uh, what was the other game I was playing that I couldn't get anywhere when playing it in VCC? And I uh, went and played it on a real Coco, and it was a completely different experience. It was just so much more responsive on, on the real hardware. So oh. I'm just thinking if Pac-Man looks slow, that may be because of the emulator, not because of the the software, because oh. my software is bug-free. Have I mentioned that? Well, <laughs> why back in 97 did you not anticipate the emulators? And yeah, yeah. Well, I, think, I think actually back then you did test it on Jeff Vapasaurus because that actually was Yeah, that, well, that was the only emulator available then. Yeah, I don't think even David Keels was out yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I, I couldn't turn worth the crud even on the original arcade game, so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I had a fairly, fairly fast response on the corners. But, yeah, if you play it on an emulator, well, I can't be I can't be uh, held responsible for the uh I mean, I, I played it on the emulator on the stream, and I made it up to the past second intermission, so it's it's not that hard. I, I just I I'm not somebody that plays the arcade game a lot, so I didn't get used to the pattern. So I kind of had my own for next game specifically, which took me a couple plays to remember. But it's not a perfect pattern, but it uh, seems to do fairly well. Well, yeah. I'll be playing it on real hardware to get maximum uh, scores on that. Yeah. Um, and the Coco Living in the comment in, in the chat. Uh, yeah, that's why we have um, Exile on Paradise. He's our scratch monkey to get the lowest score every week. <laughs> scratch monkey. <laughs> I thought I was the one who did the lowest score. Oh, you haven't had the lowest score for a while. Yeah, yeah. you two are ba we're battling it out for a while there, but uh, yeah, well, is that are... the, the lowest score? Is the one that's on top when you list it on the screen? It's so true. Yeah, say, the I got the top score. I was actually at the top of the list. Nick, I wanted to mention something that I, I brought up during the live stream because um, I, I, I play games to see how far I can get. A score is not usually something I concern myself with even during the challenges because yeah, I just don't, I don't think too, that yeah. way. But your uh, the Pac-Man tribute, as soon as you die, it immediately goes back to the title screen within seconds. So it's even hard to get a screenshot to show like how many fruit did you get through or, or whatever. So that'd be a 1.2 update, I think, if you want to sneak that in. Yeah, because I don't think Pac-Man has a high score table, does it? Just the it one just on score. The high score. Did the original game have a high score table? I can't remember now. No, it just had the high no. score. Ah, well, that's yeah, well, that's street. it. That's why I, I, I was uh, copying that. That's why I don't have a high score table. And was this your first collaboration with Sockmaster? Because he actually helped you test the game, if I remember. Oh, I was just testing, yeah. Yeah, now the real co collaboration with uh, Sockmaster was in Gate Crasher. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he was just a game tester in Pac-Man. Yeah. Um, and to respond to Dave Wormfood, um, don't worry, we use emulators already, and uh, we are uh, already insane, so it helps. <laughs> I wonder if uh, X-Raw is faster on the joystick response. Or MAME, for that matter. Or MAME, for that matter. I mean, I just use VCC. Be well, that's I will, what I normally use because it's just quick for me. But XRAW might be um, better. So yeah, try XRAW if you're having trouble with the speed. You you also have keyboard controls too. So, I mean, if you're having trouble, yeah, you can yeah, use I, air keys. Dual, that's right. So keyboard should be fast. 
Yeah, thir- Thursday I will uh, sacrifice my sanity and I will do a comparison comparison of real hardware with a Black Beauty, real hardware with a deluxe um, VCC and uh, XROR. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, like, if they're taking the corners, if it does speed up using the real hardware, because you are supposed to kind of like jump around a corner a little bit yeah, faster yeah, than normal. Yeah, it, 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 it skips uh, one step or one or two steps. Karen's even suggesting, yeah, just use the keyboard in an emulator. Yeah, the keyboard should be all right if you can if you can use the keyboard. Mister Tom <coughs> says, uh, "Try it on a Mister Mister. We don't need that. Or a Mister, yeah. We don't need that kind of formality here. You can just call me Sloopy, unless you have permission for the misses." Okay, I think oh, we've beaten that game right. to death. Well, good enough. <laughs> Shall we see what? Even though that's for next week. Yep. <laughs> Shall Please we don't see be new trade. Please playing? don't be new trade. Okay, well, <laughs> we're going to do a doubleheader of Nick with uh, Pac Man and New Troy. No, we're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> new Troy and New Troy 2.015. Nick's new New Troy is going to be. No. Um, so uh, we're going to be playing Pac Man again for another week. And then our second game is actually going to be in conjunction with uh, the Migos game that is coming up in two weeks for their Coco show. So, if anybody recognizes this... I do, but I'll, I'll let everybody else guess first. Uh, uh, it's an adventure game. The Dark Woods. So, um, um, so I uh, would never have played this one before. So it's basically... Um, it's like a shoot 'em up. I mean, you uh, wander around and you just shoot things and collect things. And yeah, four way scrolling, I should mention, doesn't flip screen. Yeah. Four way scrolling. So this game is uh, where's the title screen? There we go. Wizard's Den. No, I've mm-hmm. never heard of that one. Also has keyboard and joystick controls. Yeah. So you can do it on keyboard and joystick and uh, kind of like Gauntlet, you got to. You can use the uh, clear key to use the potion or your second fire button if you have a two-button two, two uh, button joystick. So, yeah, it's kind of like... Coco 3 game. Uh, no, Coco 1 and 2. No, Coco 1 64K. and 2. 64K. 1 and 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you want artifacting on on this one. Yeah, no, it looks, it looks quite well put together. It is. It's got a huge area to explore, too, so you got a, a lot of replay ability. No, I've never seen this game before. So I can honestly say I haven't played it a lot, uh, but I did try it out. It seems like a fun game. And um, the Friday night before, in two weeks, uh, the Amigos will be uh, having it as their game on the Coco Show. So I'm just kind of doing it in conjunction with that so that, uh, yeah. Synergy, man. Synergy. Synergy. Bringing the the show's closer together, man. <laughs> we should have timed it with 420, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the 19th. That'll be the 20th <laughs> for us. <laughs> yeah, and if I remember correctly, that's that's an early show for them, because don't they have something going on the next weekend or something? I think they were recording early. I'm not sure. I, I just know. know they're recording it on the 19th. So, Let's... 
And it also gives anybody that's a member of the Amigos Discord a good reason to review the game on their channel, too. Yep, then you can get some reviews. You can post some. Because yeah. I don't know if this would have had too many reviews in the rain, rainbow, etc. I haven't seen any yet, but I haven't looked too closely. Okay. When did this one come out? Uh, 86, 87, somewhere in there, is that right? So it's one of the later Coco 1 and 2. It should games. be on that other idiot Canadian's uh, website. And also, if you need the instruction book and the game, you can get it from El Curtis Boyle's site as well as the uh, regular Park place. Line. Yeah, because I think Matt gave us permission for uh, freely downloadable. Yeah, 1987 from Matt Harper on Novasoft, published by Novasoft. Yeah, so it was a bargain game. It was one of the cheaper ones from Tomic Subsidiary. And it's got it's a cool little levels. game. I've never won it, but it's a cool little game. And it's got eight levels, so and each level is pretty massive. So yeah, it'll keep you busy. So if you like adventure games and action games, it's kind of a little bit of both. Yep. So it has a score. In other words, it's it's not. It like does have a score, yeah. right? Okay. Um, like it's exploring, you, it's got score, yeah. it's got the battles, it's got, you know, finding Every time things. you kill something, you get a score for it. If you find <laughs> items, you get a score for that. And right. So. All right. Well, that's all I have to say. Slibby, <laughs> anything you want to add? Uh, Thursday night, 8 p.m. Be on Discord, please. <laughs> and and if you can, please submit a screenshot to the, the Discord yep. as well. Uh, well. We'll have free poutine and biscuits. Just have to show up at Sloopy's house. Yep. Yeah. You may not have power, but, you know. Okay. <laughs> what do you say we uh, take a... Uh, uh, well, just just before you do it, Mark, I just wanted to ask uh, Brian: Did you have anything you wanted to show? Because we could sneak that in before the commercial, and then I start pummeling people with news till they fall asleep. Well, I have a couple things. If you guys have time, if not, uh, we'll okay. we'll save it for What's an extra time? fifteen minutes on a ten-hour show. I mean, that's basically what I'm <laughs> doing it. <as. laughs> um, let's see here. Let me move one thing here real quick. I was fiddling with something here while you guys were talking about the game there. Any up and uh, bring a cotton a pillow for the news. I bet. So, so while he's getting that ready, anybody else have any project updates? Not I. Ken's got videos coming up, multiple ones. Yep. yep. Rick, I got a any? new toy that I'll, I can just quickly show here. The pistol grip, pistol yeah. grip tandy joystick, <laughs> which I had never seen before. No, it looks good. Is that for the Coco? Yep. Yeah, it was Coco and Tandy so 1000 when Radio Shack uh, sold yeah, it. Yeah, Tandy, Tandy branded. And... Oh, really? I have one. Actually, the very first uh, show Stevie and I did together, that was one of the ones I brought out to show. Hmm. I had not seen that before because, well, I haven't watched that show. Yeah. And, and it's a digital or an analog? <laughs> no, it's an analog. It's analog. just a straight uh, six six pin uh, one for the... Uh, and it's got buttons both on the handle and on yeah. the base. You can so play either way, whichever you're both, comfortable with. Both buttons here, and it's also got two buttons really? down here. Yeah, it's a nice little wow. joystick. Yeah. Did you actually try that with Pac-Man, Ken? I did. I was, and what was, I was what was your opinion it. of it, your mini review as we wait for Brian? I was uh, liking it. I was definitely liking it. Like better I, than the deluxe? Yeah. 
more comfortable. I was playing um, Cosmic Sweeper with it more than Pac-Man, but... Yeah. It's also got the suction cups in the bottom to hold it to the table, too, if I remember. It does, yeah. Well, I don't know if you can hear it. Or I can go back upstairs. So, uh, Patrick, you have any of those uh, Cocoa 3 keyboards in stock yet? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've been soldering out. In fact, my display is boxes of parts from DigiKey. Things coming off of my 3D printer all week. <laughs> I'm soldering my fool head off. A little more hair burnt back. <laughs> you didn't bring enough of them to Cocoa Fest. Yeah, I, I ran out pretty quick. Um, several vendors year. ran out of stuff. That was actually pretty good to see that sales were strong for vendors. That's, that's encouraging. In fact, like I say, I had to go buy a, I was out of parts. I made everything I had parts for and sold it all. So I came home and went, hmm, I got nothing. Better start <laughs> making stuff for next year. For next week. <laughs> and that's an entire keyboard for the Coco, is it? Well, no, the, just the bottom half. It's the Mylar replacement. That's the Mylar, yep. right, yeah. With actual switches, too, which you can get quiet and the nice loud ones I like. Yes, that's this right. This much yeah. of one, yeah. Yeah, that would be good, actually. How, how much How much did you say they were? I'm running or a Coco 3? 45 now. Those mechanical switches, you know. I might ask. It should be on uh, Rick, Rick's uh, website, which is? Yeah. Computerconnect.com. It should be scrolling by on the scroll here any minute. Yeah. And Connect right. is spelled C-O-N-E-C-T. Oh, yeah. You can't, right. you can't have regular. All right. It's co coming across the scroll right now. There it is. We're on the right-hand side, and you're the bottom. <laughs> I live. So, yeah. Cards are coming. Keyboards are coming. I'm soldering everything else. Got a big pile of switches. That's really. Yeah, I've, sad. I've got one myself as a satisfied customer. I would highly recommend it. It's uh, it works quite well. I will be trying out the quiet one right away as soon as I put it in my other Coco Three, and then I can compare them. Quiet to the clicky. Oh right. As long as they're not toggle switches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't afford the license for toggle switches. Yeah, you do have a toggle switch on it though. That's for switching between the arrow keys and no, the no, 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 no. That's a slide switch. That's oh, a slide a switch. switch. I'm not a hardware guy. I don't understand this technical <laughs> terms. Jason has the toggle switches. Yes, toggle switches in most of most of the uh, items I sell. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, ready, Brian? Yes, sir. Okay, let's uh, spotlight you. Uh, just a couple, a uh, couple quick things here that uh, that I recently had. I need two hours. No, no, no. <laughs> Let me switch the camera here. Now, this is something I, I not sure if I remember um, being in the magazine or if this was in the back of a book or something. But uh, um, here we go. It's kind of a fold up poster uh, from the Rainbow, and it talks about different things that were on here. Um, talks about you know some games, some programming, uh, some other uh, pictures. Does anybody remember seeing this? No, I haven't seen it before. And then on the back side, it has uh, other little things here, like joystick list. It has like little programs, little type in programs you can do to different things here. Uh, saving an ASCII uh, joystick list. Uh, uh, the eyes have it. These just small, a whole series of little. Uh, tidbits of information about the ROMs, um, break key disable, 
Um, just little little uh, little bits of information that had about, to be put uh, out by Fallsoft. Yeah, I don't remember seeing this at all. No. Uh, here it talks about like P mode colors over here. Uh, finding ML addresses. Uh, what's your ROM number? And uh, talks yeah, about a bit on the speed up poke I saw there and memory upgrades for the uh, F board and TDP one hundred. Like that's that's cool. I I have never seen that before. I, like, is that something you had to order from Rainbow, or maybe you got it if you like made a five year subscription or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't remember ever being an insert anywhere. So that's why I was. Got, I wanted well, the to way have, it's folded. It looks like it might have came with a program or something. It's folded yeah, because it's small. Yeah. yeah, it folds up. That fits in a program box or something like that. You know, yeah. Huh. No, I've never even heard of it. Never mind seen it before. Yeah. Any copyrights or anything that might give some hint as to where it came from? Uh, let's see. We're just kind of looking here. I mean, that's a January 84 rainbow cover on the lower left there with the guy reading the book with the glasses. Right so here, it's yeah. got to be published at least after that. But uh, just let me take a quick, uh, I looked for something earlier, but let me just take another quick look here again. Anybody in the chat seen this before? Because I, I definitely have not. No, I don't see a copyright or anything anywhere. Huh. Because Radio gonna... Shack in the States had the little uh, brochure that uh, for Rainbow and later Coco's in the box, but it was just a little cardboard thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it, yeah, you didn't. You didn't yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem to be an advertisement type thing. Otherwise, you'd have uh, something to cut out and mail in or right. some form to fill out. I know around this time, like 84 is when I actually had a subscription to Rainbow. I renewed every year and I, I never got it with a subscription. So I don't think it was handed up that way either. Yeah. I mean, even like here it says multi hue, the Rainbow Magazine is the biggest, best, uh, brightest, and most uh, comprehensive friend. Uh, a happy color computer ever had. Uh, it features more programs, so it's almost like the front here is almost more of a solicitation for the Rainbow Magazine itself. Right. You know where you would see something like you would what? see something like this in Box Sierra games. I remember a couple of them. You would open it up, and there was a pamphlet for the game, and then there was eighteen things like this. There were okay. various advertising because they had a whole box to fill up. And so, this might, so this might have been an insert that Rainbow did with a, a particular uh, uh, programming company or software supply company, maybe at one time. Yeah, I have no idea. I've never seen this before. Right, it just looks like that, and they put enough utility in it that you won't throw it away. <laughs> I think you'll have to scan right. this and put it on the archive, Brian, because I'd like to read through the whole Definitely. thing. Actually, like yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to try to do some sort of a multi-page uh, scan. Yeah, because it's pretty big when list. you unfold it, eh? It's a bit big for most scanners. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's at least uh, probably two foot by maybe 14 inches or so. Maybe uh, it, might be, it might be too legal size, so it might be a two, uh, 11 by 17. So I might be able to do a one 11 by 17 scan and another 11 by 17 scan and then the same on the back. What is all that little text about? Little text? Yeah. I mean, through here? Yeah, what is all that? Well, I mean, like here it talks about uh, multi-hued programs, reviews, monthly features. Like I said, this is kind of like a little, it's like a little highlight thing about uh, the Rainbow Magazine and oh. more highlights. So so it talks about highlights and then it talks about what you, you might see in the Rainbow Magazine, monthly features. And it talks about things that you might see featured in the Rainbow Magazine. Oh. Reviews, here it talks about reviews, software reviews, hardware reviews of, of games and programs. So, and then on the back it has uh, like little sticky notes of sort. Kind of a pattern here where 
We like that's about, a little tips and tick, uh, tricks uh, sheet there with a whole yeah. bunch of cool stuff. That sucks. Like Coco Dialer in the lower left, is that actually how to dial a phone or what is that about? Coco Dialer, editor. I, I've enjoyed your magazine ever since I've, I first ordered it. I've also learned uh, uh, a lot through it. I'm working uh, on a phone dialer uh, through the Coco by making it, uh, uh, doing the internal clicks through the motor on. So he was trying to do some sort of a dialer using the uh Oh, right. I relay. forgot about that. Yeah, you could use the relay to do a, a pulse dial. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> I remember that now. Clickety, click, 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 click. Yep. <laughs> so, like, turning with your finger, like, you know. Nobody's getting that reference. No, we're old. Anybody in the chat happen to be chiming in about Origins? Peter Willis said, knew him too, so he hasn't seen it before. And he also said, ooh, we should recreate that. And I, I agree. I mean, if you can get that scan for the archive, that'd be awesome. But that'd be yeah, a probably. good, like, even to print some, like, for people that are new to the Coco or, um, you know, people that are getting back in but forgotten a lot of this stuff there. Because it looks like you have a, quite a few good tips and tricks, like how to change the wallpaper for the paint command. Like, nice stuff that, you know, would help programmers that are getting back into basic. Mm-hmm. Um, and without having to, like, hunt through, you know, 12 years of rainbow trying to find right. each little tip, you can edit up it all in one shot. Right. There's a poke in there, not to, so you can't list a basic program. Yep, it's like right. a right, right protect. Of course, now the challenge is to try to fold it the way, like a like trying to fold a roadmap. You know, you can never quite fold <laughs> yeah, it. Just give up. <laughs> you just put a crumple in the back seat. I don't do that with this, but <laughs> um, that's cool. I've never heard or seen of that before. Okay, well, good. Well, I'll uh, I'll get it scanned and let everybody know. Um, hey, hey, Brian, did you get that screwdriver from the show? Uh, this might have been a from Mark, Mark? Overholzer from <laughs> from uh, from four years ago. Yes, oh. actually, and I and I use it on my desk all the time. So, a bunch you, of you need another dozen or three? Available <laughs> <laughs> yep. by the pound. Yeah, no these these are super handy. These little little screwdrivers, these little precision screwdrivers like that. Yeah, I use it all the time. So, yes, <laughs> not good in the pocket. No, probably and or yeah, the washing pocket. machine. Yeah. Um, and then also just a couple, a uh, couple joysticks I want to share. These are, uh, I'm doing some searching here. Um, but these both, uh, both sets of these joysticks I'm going to show here came from, from the UK. So I'm assuming it must've been sold. That's a dragon. dragon. Yeah. Yep. So you've probably seen this one before. It's just a single button, but there's no, no manufacturer label on it or anything. It's a, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you'd hold it like this and then I'm trying to remember Karen can probably answer this, but it's either the official dragon one or it's a micro deal one. I can't remember which one it is. I think it might okay. be. Yeah, that was the one you have to hold the bottom with the left hand or right hand. And then you play with yeah. the other hand type thing. Yep. And this one here, it, it, I haven't tried it out yet, but it sounds like momentary switches in there. So even though it's a, uh, it has a joystick connector in it, I can hear. <laughs> I can hear the all you all you'd have to do is have a resistor for the you know minimum or maximum value right. no resistor right. and just yeah connect. I mean you could plug it in and write a quick basic program just to print joystick zero and one and just see if you get analog movement or if it just jumps between yep zero, zero thirty two and sixty three or whatever yeah. yep yeah so I was gonna try it out though but it, it that's one thing I noticed uh, I could hear that and then um, I also got these two and these were again no label I gotta ask you guys a question. Oh, it's like a giant version of the Tandy Black Beauties. Yeah, exactly, yes. How many times have you dropped a Black Beauty thinking, oh, God, that, that's it. It isn't going to work anymore. Never. <laughs> Those things are work. pretty tough. Yeah, I, I've seen them hucked against a wall in frustration and still survive. I might pop the button <laughs> off. 
those almost look similar to like an Odyssey controller. Now, I'm looking at the one on the left here, the way you have it lit, Brian, it looks like it's textured, almost like a leather or fake leather or something. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah I don't know if it's if it, if it's going to pick oh, it up there in the light. Okay. There we go. Oh, there yeah, we go. Leather ass. Ooh. Yeah, they look like <laughs> it looks like that's leather, the rich so. person's joystick here. That's that's but Nick uh, Moreni's money. Let's see the but bottom. This is, this is very much like the uh the black beauty though, where it just you know it doesn't no spring return to the center. Flip it Lucy, over. Lucy. Ooh. Ooh, it's even leathery on the bottom. Yep. Yeah. But these are it's a very, very, very thin. Very thin plastic. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't take much effort to squeeze these things. Are not very thick. They're very very light. Mm. They're blow molded. So. Ah, that's fun. <laughs> but you can see yeah, here, I was just a. Uh, uh, let's see. You can see just Drop a little cap. bit of a seamer. <laughs> so it's it's, it's ver- almost as bad as the plastic covers over you know package things that are on a card with a plastic top over them. Right. It's that technology with a little color in the plastic. It's a bit okay. Of- <laughs> How come one button has shiny on and top slightly bottom and the other does? Well, this one here has a there's a little black shroud that kind of goes around that would probably snap in there, and this one I think is just missing it. Oh, okay. So that little bright bars we're seeing at the top and bottom is actually underneath the. Right. Yeah. That's just that's just the little clips that this thing probably snaps down into the square hole. Is that how you got the discount? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm guessing that this one here probably just it probably just lost the little plastic cover that was a uh, part of it. So yeah, yeah. I'm hoping Karen will maybe be able to comment because this is not one I remember seeing before. The other one I definitely have. Yeah, I was going to do some searching through the different Dragon magazines or something and see if I could find um, find a bit more about them. Are they glued together? Because they don't have any screws, do they? No, there's no screws. Um, there may have been a little bit of glue. I mean, there's a little gap. There's a little gap along here, but uh, I'm not. It might have those I, little plastic clips you stick a screwdriver in to kind of pop or something. I know. Yeah, I wasn't going to try to force them, so no, probably no. There's probably no surprises on the inside. You might wreck the full leather if you do that. So. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then the only other thing that uh, I was going to share that you know some of you uh, may have picked up yourself as well, um, and I was wearing the uh, the T-shirt there from sibling rivalry that they were handing out at uh at coco fest so i don't know if anybody picked up their their free i have an alternate one on myself so yeah so nice t-shirts yep it was, it was nice meeting both of them tim and uh and his sister aj nice people yeah nice. as tim mentioned at the show he's met me too many times before already but uh, it was nice right. to see me AJ. yep <laughs> yeah that was my second time seeing tim so yeah that's all I have to share today. Oh, you did have a, uh, a great presentation of your cocoa and exploded view. Oh, great. we got the cocoa, the cocoa two kit mm-hmm. that I brought. Yeah, yeah. that was great. Yeah. That was really neat. You really thought that one out. Looked good. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for putting it in the box so we could look it all over. Yeah. Yep. And I think I can honestly say on behalf of uh, Taylor and Amy, a big thank you for the cocoa three donation you gave them as well. Yep, they're was, they're pretty uh, pumped. <laughs> I look forward to look forward to future videos. Thank you. Here we go.
The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Hey, Amy. Hey, The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Ascom, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Dinty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, John, Boat of Car Schaller, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? John M. says, your name? John M. Your systems? Own one each, Coco 1, 2, 3, and an Atari 1040. How do you retro? Playing around with MAME and VCC. Where did you hear about us? Coco list and on Facebook. Looking for? Just revisiting my misspent youth. Ninebreaker says, hey everyone, nice to meet you all. I'm Shane, unfortunately I don't have any retro hardware at the moment, but, like many of you, Tandy was my introduction to my computers. It's always a joy to come see new homebrew and hardware projects and this year did not disappoint. Heard about CocoFist from VCF last year. Grapes of Wath says, Howdy fellas, I'm Nathaniel. I just got, and fixed, my first Tandy computer, TRS-80 Coco 2. I've been collecting retro systems for quite a while now, and just recently branched out into vintage computers. I landed here via a quick Google search. And I'm kinda just here to see the sights and look for weird stuff that can be done with my machine. Reynaldo T says, Hello, my name is Reynaldo T. I am a retro computer enthusiast. I am based in Bogota, Colombia, South America. Your systems? Color computer, Apple II, Apple Macintosh. How do you retro? I do hardware for old systems and programming. Where did you hear about us? I heard of this one on from someone on Glenside Club. Looking for? So looking to hear what projects are others working on and to share my ideas. Phil K says, Hi all, I'm Phil K. I got a Coco 3 around 8 years ago and finally have the chance to use it. I had a Coco 2 and then a Coco 3 back in the 80s, used BASIC to create checkbook management and other financial programs. Then I moved up to OS 9, but an abrupt cross-country move left me Coco less for years, sob. 
The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Kev Hole, Knight Beard, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. Pro tip, there's no need to put marshmallows in your cocoa. It's already one sweet machine. Because cocoaing is better together. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation, Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle. Uh, just before we get into the news, we had an answer in the chat on those joysticks. Yep. I was just going to say that too. Go ahead. Uh, well, I've lost track of where it is. In the, where I, is I can do here? it. Tom Eric Anderson uh, mentioned that the first joystick is a micro deal. That's the one with the little tiny red switch. And the little hand grip. And he said the other is the very first official Dragon Data joystick. So that was the uh, the very first ones when it was first released, which I had not seen before. So that's cool. Very good. Thank you. So you got a bit of history there, Brian. You, we got the very first generation sticks from Dragon itself. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the information. Okay. So now I got to figure out which of my windows I'm trying to. You better put a post-it note on those so you don't forget. <laughs> I'll, right? I'll go back and I'll go back and listen to the the, the audio and jot it down. Here. Oh, there we go. Okay. So uh, we'll start with the game on news first. And there's quite a bit of that because we're doing three week catch up here. Um, so the first one, uh, Paris Surratt and Keys Von Oss have updated. The AGD game packs they've been doing, which are the translations from the uh, Spectrum AGD games. And there's uh, three sets of things here that basically happen. So they uploaded the next general pack, number 61, which you can see here. And there's eight titles on this one. I don't even know how to pronounce some of these, but uh, I'll make try my best shot at it. <clears throat> Bola Kias, or Ace, Chopper Defense, Cocaine Bear, uh, Gerbert Groundhog, and Save the Date. Mr. Hare's A Very Hairy Remix, Mr. Hare and the Kitty Catacombs, Janky Joe, and Yokai Monk. So uh, you've got screenshots of all these here, too, so you can kind of see these are the ones that are converted from the Spectrum, uh, which has that extra attribute thing for doing foreground background colors, so they'll show up as black and white. But there's a... Uh, I'll just kind of quickly scroll so you can just kind of get a feel. Some pretty nice title screens and stuff, too. So... Um, at the same time, he's also updated the big pack, which is basically if you want to get everything, like if you're new to the whole AGD game conversion experience on the Coco and the Dragon, you can actually grab a big pack that has everything on there. And I think, if I remember correctly, the total is 354 games now that he's converted. Um, so that's uh, a pretty sizable game library to fiddle with that you can actually play against you know, people with Spectrums because it's basically the same game, just transcoded. Um, but pre pretty good mix of games here. I mean, the, the engine itself is mostly designed for platformer style games. So you'll see that most of these are platform style 
But uh, we we actually have featured a couple of these on the uh, the game on challenge. Actually, there's some pretty cool stuff in there. So, and a lot are done by kids, which is actually encouraging that you know younger kids in school are actually getting encouraged to create uh, video games using these generic engines that actually will run on the old machines rather than you know trying to figure out how to do 3D graphics on a modern machine type thing. You need to have one of these games on the uh, the game on. Ken, do you remember? I think you picked it. It was actually one of the more advanced ones I think you did last time. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I don't remember the name either. So, but it was it was it was a guy that was it was kind of Indiana Jones-ish, wasn't it? it yeah, the guy was. You're wandering around picking up different weapons and crystals and stuff, and you had to go down into a volcano. Yeah, the one thing I remember is that the most of these games are just straight platformers, and that particular one actually had some more advanced techniques, like you could go yeah. behind objects and in front of objects and stuff. I, I wish I could remember the name. My apologies. Anyway, ton of ton of games there, and there's eight. There's eight of them, so you can go download the pack. This is on the World of Dragon uh, archive at worldofdragon.org, and if you go to the forums, there's an upload section, and you'll find them here. Um, and coupled with that, there's the game. Oh, I should mention this too. The if you go to the original message, uh, he found a bug in one of the games, so he actually had to uh, patch one to one point one. That was the Mister Hare in the Kitty Catacomb. So that's a separate little download uh, to grab that. If you grab the old one first, and then he's got the big pack three point two a three hundred fifty four games. So that's got every single one. Um, you can get the dragon version, you get the cocoa versions, and there's both long file names, uh, which is more for the emulators, and there's also the eight point three file names, more for the cocoa STC. So pick appropriate to what you normally play your games on. So that was really cool too. And why is the other one missing? Oh, there it is. Okay. So the next up, he also updated. Uh, this is the first time this has happened in a bit, I think. Um, as you know, Paris actually converted some of the AGD games to run on the Super Sprite FM Plus board that is sold by Dragon Plus Electronics, which is basically MSX graphic and sound hardware on a board that you can play on the Dragon or the Coco 1 and 2 which gives you much enhanced colors, background music, all kinds of things, extra sound effects, etc. He's actually done a conversion now for pack number eight of those AGD games now for that. So if you have that hardware, you can play these, you know, spiced up versions here. You can see how much the graphics look better with, you know, full color, etc. Of course, I don't have sound here. I can't really show you, but, uh, or play for you. But and I believe, uh, I believe John got more of those uh, boards in stock too. I'm not sure if they're assembled boards, if it's just kit, but I think he did. Kits right now. I'll actually be covering that a little bit later in the regular news, but yeah, he's actually finally got some of the parts from the chip shortage. So he's uh, starting to catch up on that. He's got a couple of uh, hardware updates actually on the store. So yeah, for those of you who had never got a chance to get the board, if you're, you know, a person that can work with a kit and put things together, which I couldn't, um, and you want to try some of these games here, that's uh, definitely an option. So, I mean, I, honestly, as, as it stands right now, we've got basically three options for the Coco 1 and 2. There's the Coco DV, there's the Coco VGA, and there's the uh, Super Spread FM Plus. And all of them have their strengths. Um, Coco VGA has been around the longest, um, has drivers for like OS 9 for running 64 by 32 text, et cetera, redefinable character sets there. Um, Coco DV is the one that Alan's doing. That's actually got some sprites. He's actually got a really good Pac-Man demo, speaking of Pac-Man. Uh, they did on this one, and then of course the uh, the Dragon Plus one. The Dragon Plus one, I think, right now has got the biggest support of third party software, mainly from Para and Keys, to be honest, because this is the eighth pack of games, and I think there's eight games on this particular one, uh, which is using the sound and the the uh, graphics enhancements. So I don't think you'll go wrong with any of them. They all hook up to more modern, you know, TV displays and stuff, and give you a better quality picture than you would normally get on a Coco One or Two or a Dragon Thirty Two Sixty Four. 
and uh, but there's all like like eight sets of games here now that are enhanced for it here. So that's like fifty games or something, forty forty to fifty anyway. So some pretty cool stuff on here. And I have to say the color definitely makes it different. This almost looks like Coco three games at this point, but this all runs on the Coco one and two with the Super Sprite FM Plus board. Has anybody here got a Super Sprite FM Plus? And if you do, have you played with it much? I have the board. I have the board, but I haven't had a chance to test it yet. That's one of my to-dos this summer. Okay. I heard somebody else mention. Does somebody else have one, too? No, I mentioned Brian. Oh, okay. Ron, you don't have one, do you? Oh. He's sleeping. Yeah, he's having his nap. Anyway, some pretty cool stuff in there. Go ahead, Ron. No, I don't have one, but I'm waiting for that cocaine cocaine game to sh- show up. Is that something you, <laughs> you 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 take the drug with and then you play the game and it's like well, I think the bear killer. took the drugs as a thing. I, I like I, this is a whole meme right now, and I don't understand it because I don't keep track of where stuff comes from socially. What is this whole cocaine bear thing? I don't know. They just released a movie about it. It was actually a true story back in the late seventies that a co- a bear got into a some cocaine stash that was supposed to be left. I mean, in actuality, the bear took all this cocaine and died, but they made this movie where it goes on a rampage and kills everybody. That's pretty brutal and not pleasant to think about. It's okay. a comedy. Uh, you know, <laughs> mass yeah. mass murdering bear comedy. Uh-huh. I will mention Alan of AC's eight bit or AC Zone is actually in the chat. He said, uh, "Speaking of Coco DV, I have a batch ready, so he's got another batch because I know they were sold out." Works on the Coco one and two, Dragon thirty two, Tano Dragon, and the MC ten. Which I don't think the Super Sprite works in the MC ten. I do know the Coco VGA does with that extra spacer, and I'm assuming you might need that for this two to fit it all inside the case there. But that's that's cool. The MC ten's got can get some of these enhanced capabilities once somebody writes some software for it. That's awesome. Next up after that, uh, Jim Mollis. Now, he's been working on using GraphExpress, which is a, a Jeff Seidel sort of a programming language enhancement thing for BASIC that you call some machine language routines by sending it strings, and it's meant for the Cocoa 3 only, and it has a, you know, faster graphics routines than BASIC did, a bunch of extra stuff like windowing, sprites, multi-layer graphics, etc. I know Paul Thayer tried this a few years back, and because he was going to use it for a game that he was doing, but it ended up being it took a bit too much memory for what the type of game that he wanted, because it does eat a fair bit of, of space. So uh, Jim Mullis has been working on one. And I think we showed. Just before we left for the fest, I think the previous episode to that, we showed a little bit of an engine like it has some scrolling backgrounds and stuff that he was going through. So he's got a, a basically an update here on the uh, where where he's gotten to. Um, some changes that he's been doing. Uh, he's going to expand it to the 225 line vertical mode instead of the 200 or 192 he was using before to give you some extra space in the screen. Um, and he's still, he's actively trying to see if he can get this to work. So he's already started to split up like the title screens and loading our graphics into a separate loader program because you don't have as much room to work with in basic when you're using graphics express. And then he's going to have it, you know, automatically run the, the actual game program with all that stuff preloaded in at that point. And he's actually got a bit of a video here, so I'll play that so you can kind of see where he's going. He's just got placeholder graphics and stuff in here uh, for now. Got a little bit of a wipe scroll coming up here. And it seems to be a superhero based on uh, DC characters, it looks like. 
Not that you see any of those characters in the, the placeholder graphics he's got now. And here's letting some of the graphics placeholders he has. He does have some a bit of background textures. You can kind of see the, the cityscape or whatever that he's scrolling against. That's a bit more added to since the previous video we showed three or four weeks ago. And if you read his, his blog post there on Facebook, you can kind of get an idea why he's showing these little circles and rectangles here. But it basically show the masking over the background and, and roughly the size of the uh, actual shape he's planning on using. And you can see it's scrolling across. <clears throat> that's not the quickest thing in the world because that's a, a lot of screen to move around. But definitely better than you can do in plain basic, for sure. I don't know. You wouldn't even scroll in plain basic, to be honest. So you see, for the audio listeners here, we're like walking along a road to the sidewalk. There's red bricks going by. Now we've got a little outline of a door on a separate building labeled bank. So he's got a fairly wide map that we're scrolling through at this point. It's only getting a few frames per second, but I mean, like I said, compared to basic, that would be dog slow compared to this. Here's so a radio these, shack. <laughs> Go ahead. Circles represent all of the work without the actual graphics. Yeah, so it's so doing all the graphic routines that the sprite would normally be. Um, so you're you're basically getting an idea what the size of the sprite will be because of the combination of the circles. Rectangles. He actually goes an explanation. I, unfortunately, I don't remember it off the top of my head, and I think I closed that window already, but of what the circles and the rectangles specifically represent. Um, so you can read that on the Facebook post. If you go into the show notes on the Discord here, you can actually get that link back. But uh, he was basically making sure, you know, is it going to run fast enough to make a game? Um, playing around with the different resolutions that he's, he's talking about. And, uh, no, he's, he's still experimenting. He's not positive that this is all going to work the way he would like. I mean, most of the time, if you're going to be attempting something like this with, you know, you know, full screen scrolling and 16 color mode, you'd be probably going straight assembly and stack blasting or better yet, a six or a nine. That's something like Graph Express. I mean, maybe that's something I should look at in the future when I'm done my other 1400 projects is actually, you know, <laughs> going to Graph Express and six or nine eyes that sucker. Cause I think that would be pretty awesome. Probably take a little bit less RAM too, because it, uh, you know, six or nine equivalent routines usually end up being a bit smaller than six eight oh nine. But you could definitely like for scrolling. That's a, the TFM instructions built for this kind of stuff, so it would make a pretty big difference, I would think. But it looks really cool. I mean, it's uh, he's made quite an advancement since the the previous video that he'd shown you know a month ago. So look forward to seeing where his experiments take him. Uh, next up, we have a brand new release from Tim Thayer. Um, it's at Lutzen under the Coker Brothers, which is Tim and Paul Thayer, of course. Uh, my understanding from talking to Paul and Tim is this was mostly Tim's project. Um, and it's called Lit. And he did a little ad, not not quite an ad, I guess, but he kind of did a mock-up page of Rainbow, kind of like Ron did when he did his uh, Rainbow magazines, more modernized. Uh, you know, in typical Rainbow Faction, it's kind of the painted background and you know, the feature program and on the top, it tells you the system requirements, just like they did in, in Rainbow Magazine. Even put April 2023 in the bottom here. Uh, a little a screenshot you can see in the lower right corner. And then a little bit of a story of what inspired the game, but not really so much the game play. Now, if you guys have played the old electronic game, Simon, basically a memory game, because that's basically what this is. I've actually got uh, an entry on the web page on, on my games pages here that actually kind of goes into an explanation of, of it. And I think he released a new version 1.1 that actually has instructions built in. 
because at first I didn't have that. And a few people got confused as to what the heck they're supposed to do. Um, but if you look here, basically you get to select your level and it's basically a number of dots in a shape. Like the, the easiest level is a pencil and it has, I can't remember, 11 or 12 lights. And basically what happens is it will do a light up of every light that you've seen so far. So when you start the game, it'll light up one. You have to click on that particular light. Woo, you, you got it. The next one, it'll actually put two lights up, the one you already had clicked and then the next one in the sequence. And then you click just the second one. And then on the third one, you it'll light up three. And basically, you have to remember which ones have you already lit up before. You always have to select the brand new one in the sequence. So once you get up to like seven, eight, nine, ten, depending how good your memory is, it starts getting harder to remember, okay, I've got you know, nine out of 11 lights lit up. What was the new one he just added on this current one? And you have to click that. And then as you complete each shape, they get more and more complicated. And I think the highest shape is like 32 lights you got to remember. So it, it gets difficult. It's a, it's a pretty good challenge. I played it for a, about half an hour to 45 minutes uh, yesterday when I was creating the webpage. And if you like those memory style games, it's it's pretty cool. If you win the level, it plays a little musical ditty and then lets you go back to the main menu and select a different one. Um, but a uh, nice, cute little game, written in basic, nothing super fancy. I think the uh, scrolling uh, Coco Brothers, I think, is Paul's machine language routine he does for all the games that they do. Um, but yeah, if you're into memory games and uh, a Coco 3 base game, you can list it out. You can download the actual disk image itself, get the 1.1, which has the built instructions. That's on Facebook and the Tier City Color Computer Coco Group. Um, I've asked him, I haven't had a chance to check today, see if he responded, but I might put the upload on my site too, just to make it for people that don't do Facebook. And uh, we'll try to get it up on the archive as well, because it's meant to be a free game for everybody. And here's the link itself to the updated version with the instructions that he just put up uh, late yesterday. For those that uh, couldn't quite grasp it, I had to play it a few bits too to, to figure out what was going on. And I think this is a little demo they did of some gameplay. Uh, it doesn't show you solving a lot, but it'll give you an idea what the graphics look like. Here's the opening scrolling logo. A little bit of a palette animated uh, starting screen. And then your level selection here. So I'll just pause that for a second. So you can see there's eight different levels and each one's a shape. And the number in parentheses beside the uh, name of the shape is how many lights you have to, you know, remember the order that they go in. Or not the order, but what, what's the most recent in addition to it. And the shapes definitely get more complicated and, and it's much more difficult in the later levels. So I think he selects pencil, if I remember, on the uh, demo here. Nope, he selected a different rocket or something. So, so now it's the second one. You have to remember the newest one. And now it'll add another one. Which on the first, you know, few dots is quite easy to do. Uh, but once you get, you know, fairly far in and you're, you know, there's two dots fairly close to each other. Which one was it the left one that just lit up or was it the right one? So it actually does get difficult. Anyway, free download on Facebook for those of you on Facebook. I don't know if the direct link will work. Uh, let me know um, by email or, or in Discord. I did put the direct link to it in Discord, direct to the Facebook. And maybe you guys are more familiar. If you're not a member of Facebook, can you get to file sections or does it kind of block you? I don't know. I wonder if this picture would look good in 3D glasses. Um, it might if you had green and red ones. Yeah. It'd probably look like the recessed or something. I mean, when I first saw it and I saw the title of the game lit, I thought this is going to be like a light bright simulator. For you old codgers in the audience remember that. 
it's not really a game, but it was to draw pictures of little pegs that you would stick in through a black cart or a black paper to light up in different colors here and draw pictures, basically. That's what I thought it was, but it, it's not. It's a memory game. It's more like Simon. Okay, Coco Show 43. Now, there was, as, as we talked in the pre-show, um, there were some audio issues with the stream um, for multiple things. Some worked good, some didn't. Um, I know Ken's and mine end up being completely silent. <laughs> the entire hour presentation is silent. I do know Randy Weaver is working on getting that. I, he, we did check with him last week, and he does have clean audio recordings. It was more the stream that went out, and that's what's recorded on YouTube. Um, so there were some that had some, you know, ghosting problems, but there were, you know, almost like two inputs were coming out. Uh, others didn't have sound at all. The keynote's not up there, uh, but it sounds like Randy's got all of it with clean or separated audio recordings. But uh, the Coco show was already due out uh, before Randy gets a chance to work on it. So there's actually had pretty bad audio on the live stream. So uh, many thanks to Jason, uh, uh, the Coco man, because he recorded the show on the phone and he actually had much better quality audio. So that's what they ended up using here just to get the show out. And uh, it was a review of Whirlybird Run, um, one of my favorites. And uh, they had me as a guest on the show, which was which was cool. And they had these, you know, blinding track suits on. Um, I don't know how to describe these. Uh, for the pajamas. audio listeners here, can anybody describe what these look like? Pajamas. Glitzy pajamas, maybe. <laughs> Clothes. <laughs> they, they look like a couple of pimps. <laughs> <laughs> Think of the worst pajamas you could buy and then multiply that times 20. I like the and shiny gold strikes. and maroon. Yeah, yes. gold, gold and maroon. maroon yes, gold. and I must gold. try to top it for boat fest. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, challenge, challenge accepted. I'm not joining in on that. Um, but I mean, it was a fun time. I mean, I've, I've guessed on their show once before at boat fest last year. Actually, it was a lot of fun. Um, they're bugging me that I know way too much cocoa trivia, and that's because that's the only thing I know. I can't tie my shoes properly, but you know, I remember stupid things like what month this got announced or whatever. Um, it was, it was a fun time. I mean, I'm 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 glad they made it out to the show because uh, quite a few people that come to Coco Fest are not active on social media, so they don't see a lot of these YouTube or Twitch shows. Um, some of them don't do Facebook. You know, but some people live in IRC only, so they have no idea any of this other stuff's even going on in the Coco community. So it's good to see them reach a new audience. Hopefully, they got some people that are going to start watching it now that have not watched their show before because their show is 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 generally a lot of fun i mean they don't take themselves too seriously you've got aaron who's like the the bubbly happy about everything guy and then you've got you know john boat of car shawler who's basically likes to take a pee on things every once in a while just to stir up the pot type thing it doesn't matter what platform it is like you'll just go to town on a type thing and it's just part of their shtick um basically two great personalities to have this show because they're kind of like opposites of each other in some ways and very similar in others including matching you know glitzy pajamas um but yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. I hopefully you know, most of the people in here on the panel got a chance to at least catch the uh, the show either live at Coco Fest or at least got to see the the replay uh, afterwards from the stream or you know the improved audio version here that's actually on their channel. Um, I was wondering, like for for you who have never seen the show before or not really watched them, you know, live before, what did what did you guys think of of their the way they present? It's good, interesting. 
Right. Yeah, they do a very good research too. I mean, it's not all you know fluff and fun. It's uh, they've got some serious you know history and stuff there too. And they do have all their shows. If you're into the, the Spectrum, if you're into the Amiga, the Atari Eight Bits, the Atari ST, you know they've got other shows. ARG Presents is kind of a generic show where they cover like certain systems or certain types of games or certain errors or whatever. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there. I I learned stuff on that show myself that I didn't know. But um, hopefully some of you will make it out to VoteFest. I know Ken is making it. It sounds like Grant's going to be able to make it too. It's in Hurricane, West Virginia. So if you guys can make it out, there'll be another live Cocoa Show taping there. So Looks like you had some creative makeup on your face there. Yeah, I was a little bit too close to the edge of screen here. I think they did that on purpose to try to distract from how garish their outfits were. So, you know, (laughs) if they let up my screen with a bunch of crap, then maybe people look at me instead of of them. And and either way, you're going to get blinded, so it doesn't matter. But... It was a lot of fun anyway. I also like they actually got, you know, the helicopter logo as part of the graphic on the tab even here. So you can tell it's whirly but run at a quick glance even without reading it. Huh. Ooh. Fancy, eh? Almost as fancy as their pajamas. Things that you should not buy on Amazon while <laughs> intoxicated. <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> actually, the, the story was, I think, Aaron is the one that found them and they just said, okay, we've got to order these. And they just got them. I, I don't yeah, know. I, I'm just joking. I don't think anyone was under the influence of anything that I'm aware of when no. those were ordered. Although, but could you not be and and still order those? I guess is my I I, I I don't know. <laughs> I would prefer to think they were under the influence of something by order. Right? Were. Like, did they order these on April 20th? That's my question. I guess. Yeah, um, it would and, not and, surprise me. And the and the banter that you see on the program goes on was going on at their at their booth at Coco Fest too. Yeah, you're not you're not getting an act when you watch that show. You're you're getting what they're honestly like in person. I mean Ken and I have, have visited them at, at their you know homes and uh they're just like that 24 7. That's just them. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah a lot of fun. I'm glad you guys got to finally meet them all too. That was that was awesome. I know I keep hyping up their show because it's a lot of fun and I have fun you know helping them do research for it on occasion but uh I'm really glad you guys got to the chance. I mean, they actually made it out to the show. Next up, uh, we've actually got some competition now for uh, Jim Gary. Um, Davey's Retro Corner on YouTube. Now, he doesn't strictly just do MC10 stuff. He's throwing some Cocoa and Dragon stuff, too. In fact, including this mega news thon we're doing here today. But he's been cranking out some pretty big quantities of stuff here. And he does some conversions. He does some original programming. He even does blog posts like Jim does. So there's some pretty cool stuff here. So I'm just going to cover this as kind of the more game-related stuff. So the first one here is Night Rally uh, for the MC-10. So this is a conversion of a game that was written for the Dragon from a book called Games for Your Dragon by Clive Gifford in 1983. It's inspired by 1970s arcade smash uh, Night Driver. Uh, you know, kind of shrunk down for the MC-10's uh, text uh, semi graphics score screen. So I'll play just a little bit so you can kind of get an idea of it. It's kind of like trying to simulate a 3D racing car game. And basically you just steer your little car in the bottom without hitting the poles. And it just kind of shifts the poles around. You got a little moon in the night and you got some stars in the sky and the horizon type thing. So kind of an interesting take on a a 3D game for the MC-10. And then here's the uh, original Dragon version, which he retyped in in the book. And it's a fairly small basic program, but this uses P mode four and just uses line commands and your car actually looks like a car. So it kind of gives you a, a different one. It doesn't use poles. It actually draws the, the actual line of the road type thing. 
And your score is based on uh, both versions. It's based on how long you last. Next one up, he has an MC10 game called Yeti Hunt. Uh, this he originally did in 10 lines of basic for one of those 10 line basic programming challenges. And he did this originally for the Cocoa and Dragon 2019. Uh, so now he's done one for the MC10, but it's now a bit longer than 10 lines he mentioned. I'm not sure if he added a ton to it or if he just fancied it up a bit. I'm trying to remember what this game's actually about. Not ringing any bells for me. <laughs> so I'll have to go reread that, but uh appears to be a more strategy-based game. It's not really arcade you know, I think you're hunting for Yeti. It kind of reminds me of like a Wumpus-style game on a grid as opposed to connecting tunnels. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm remembering that right. Anyway, there's another new MC10 game for you to try. And then he actually did a blog post, and this is kind of catching up everything he's been doing here. So there's some of the... I won't play or go through this in too much extensiveness because we're going through a couple of the videos here as we go. So he basically just does these little mini articles on exactly what he's been doing with you know links to the various you know demos of the videos themselves. You can actually go and download them too. Um, not strictly just MC10. He actually does stuff for the Dragon, the Coco as well. Uh, here's another one he did, a uh, conversion of the MC10 called Polar Attack. And this is an updated version of it uh, from a previous version that he did. And here you're attacking polar bears. So we have a bear theme going on for some reason today. We have cocaine bear, and now we've got <laughs> polar bears. Are these pel- polar bears under the influence of any illicit substances in this game? Or They could be under which, uh, Ken, you might remember, which beer did we used to have the polar ice, the polar ads for? That was vodka, I think, wasn't it? Was it vodka? Polar ice vodka? Yeah, I can't remember, because it was, it was, there was some commercial on TV that was based on polar bears. That was it at Christmas. Oh, that for was some booze Coke. of some sort. I thought that was just or was Coca-Cola. it Coke? Well, maybe it was Coke. Coke, Coca-Cola. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying all our polar bears here have the Coca-Cola in the commercials. So, ah, Coca-Cola, the original version had cocaine in it, so it's kind of yep. related to cocaine bear. There you go. Mm. There we go. <laughs> Tied it together. These are the cocaine polar bears. Yeah, that's why they're all white. It's not because of the natural fur; they're just covered in powder. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah. I'm just, too late uh, now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Elkers boils. Do not go uh, abused, Do kill... not necessarily that reflect any sanity whatsoever. Nation. Do not go out and kill polar bears to try to get cocaine from their fur. <laughs> no actual polar bears were in harm. Status. Hey, Mr. David Ladd's on this call. Ooh. Next up, he's got a game called Robot Arm Grab. This is kind of an interesting premise. Uh, I've not seen it before. I don't know if this is completely original. It, it's just by him on the title screen, so I'm assuming he's not a conversion from something else. But basically, you have to uh, extend an arm out from your robot, and you have to catch gold but avoid acids. you got these things falling from the uh, the ceiling of the game. If it's yellow, that's gold. You have to try to catch that on your arm, your extender arm. And if it's blue, it's acid, it actually will hurt you. So you want to not catch those. And it looks pretty hard. I haven't actually tried it yet, but just from watching the uh, the video here recorded here, which I'll fast forward a bit here. So there you can all see it comes down pretty fast. You, you miss them quite often. And later on, as the level goes, you'll see that when they hit the floor, they stay there. And it always um, basically tries to give you a kind of a ratio of what gold to acid you got here but you can see he's just missing everything except for the acid drops so the score is in the negatives um 
It looks to be challenging. Pretty kind of a neat premise. I, I don't know. Have any of you seen something like this? It's I don't know what it's not modeled in anything that I remember, but I could just not have played this game before. There, anyway, looks like an interesting one. You guys can give it a shot. This one is kind of interesting too. This is called uh, Speed Trick. It's another MC10 one. And I like his description of this one, so I'm just going to scroll down here. Want to go on a five-year mission, obviously, based on Star Trek. I want to go on a five-year mission, but you just don't have the time. This is the game for you. You arrive at a series of planets, waste no time, and issue some orders and see what happens. So it's basically almost like just random number generation. So you can try diplomacy or you can attack the planet type thing. So there's no flying around. There's no firing photon torpedoes like at certain coordinates or anything. It's just basically go from planet to planet and pick. Do you want to try to be tactful and diplomatic or do you want to just shoot them? So you've got the uh, three done. set to kill, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. Yeah. I want to hear the MC 10 play the Star Trek uh, fight music. <laughs> That'd be good. Like, like, if you look at the menu here, I'm just going to back up so we can pause it quick here. Where he goes off. phasers the planet attacked your ship, missed successful. Yeah, you have diplomacy, fire your phasers, or explore. That's your three options. That's all you do in this game. And uh, basically, so you try diplomacy, sometimes they'll attack you anyway. You, sometimes you fire your phasers and it was a friendly planet and you blow it up and you, you lose points for that. You know, it's it's uh, rapid fire. It's like speed dating for Star Trek or something, I guess. <laughs> Thought it was kind of an interesting one. Um, now we switch over to Jim Gary because, of course, you know he he's not going to sit around and do nothing for three weeks. Um, so the first one here is called Even Steven, and this was originally by Paul Ruderman in 1985 for the magazine ZX Appeal or ZX Appeal, which I'm pretty sure is for the Spectrum. And uh, this is actually supposed to have some simple AI, artificial intelligence techniques in it. I don't know too much about the game. Um, it says it gets smarter and smarter as the game goes, making it harder and harder for the human player. Let's fast forward a little bit for a little bit of gameplay. I'd have to look in more detail about uh, what, what the actual gameplay is. I don't. I doubt anybody here on the panels had chance to try to play this yet out of themselves here. But if you have, please pipe up. Anyway, that's one. Um, Pharaoh's Tomb, uh, which is kind of uh, based on Tutankhamun, the uh, arcade game, or Tutankhamun, I should say, uh, written in 8-bit basic. Uh, this one he's actually released before, but this one I think is an updated version of it. Um, I don't know if this is just like some bug fixes or some additions, or if he's compiled it. it I, like the fact he's running it, I'm pretty sure he hasn't ran it through Greg Dion's compiler. But uh, it basically is a Tutankhamun without scrolling. So you got the monster generators. We got the little uh, plays a Raiders theme there. You got some animated characters like snakes and stuff that come after you. So it, it's done a pretty good job on it. Um, it's got the little uh, teleporters where you walk in the one and you come out the other one on a different part of the maze. Collect your gold, etc. So if you want the Tutankhamun experience on an MC10, this is probably as close as you're going to get. And it's actually not too bad. It's not too shabby at all. Next up, we have Dracula's Castle, uh, originally by Felix Software in 1982. Let me start that play. Nicely presented title screen there. And this was originally for the Dick Smith VZ200 in 1982. So this is a... Uh, was this Australian or New Zealand, Nick? Dick Smith? Uh, well, I think both. Uh, 
the VZ was uh, Dick Smith was both in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, and if I remember, that particular machine is actually a, a Z80 or Z80 based Z80. CPU, but it had a VDG chip like the Cocoa does, yeah, right? Yeah. So what you're seeing here is probably pretty darn close to what the original would have looked like, just with a different CPU. Yeah. And you can save I the think, game in progress, which is kind of cool. Go ahead, Nick. I think uh, in the US, the com same computer is called the Laser from memory. I can't Yeah, remember. that kind of rings a bell. Yeah. Let's burn a little bit here. But you can see it's kind of like a 3D perspective going through the the map. And you have to get silver stakes so you can go kill kill the Dracula. And you just fell into a slime pit. I like the little Laura's graphics he added in here, like the 3D stuff and the the way you die, etc. It's actually pretty pretty decent for the little SG4 graphics here. Lots of little bits like the castle and I don't think I can find anything. There's a zombie. Hi. So it's, it's, it's kind of a cute one. It's, um, oh, I'd say one of the more advanced 4K MC10 games. And this and one, he did a couple of updates over the last three weeks. This one's called Space Mouse. Um, and this one, he actually was trying to research the history of the original version of the game. And depending on which one of his posts you read, that changed as he discovered more information. He originally thought this was originally written in like 83 or 84. And it's by a fairly famous Japanese developer. And I'm probably going to butcher the name here, Takanari Suzuki. Um, but he actually went started doing further and further research. And he actually discovered it originally had come out in 1981. And that the version that he had originally seen was actually already a conversion from the original original. Um, so I'll play a little bit here just kind of while talking about it. And these actually, this one, he actually took the time to write a blog post to kind of go through, you know, the history of the game. Uh, some minor changes that he's done to the gameplay himself. So you're on the bottom here, the arrow, and you're picking up the orange things, but you have to dodge the, it's almost like barrels or something. Now, considering this game came out in 81, which I think is the same year Donkey Kong came out. I mean, it's kind of almost a sibling to it, I guess, as far as, you know, the gameplay. Um. So that, that's the general gameplay you can see there. And then here's his uh, blog post on it. He's even got some of the original artwork uh, for a uh, Windows 7, 8, and 10 version of it. So this game apparently was quite popular in Japan. And uh, as he mentions here, according to the Giant Bomb game website, Space Mouse was created in 1984 as a type-in program for the Japanese computer magazine called I.O. But as he goes through and, and starts researching it, then he finds out... Uh, Archive.org has this thing where it states in the top form of the front page of a different magazine uh, in 1981 that this game had come out. So the, you know, the, the giant bomb website seems to have erroneous information here. And then they mentioned that it came out of the NEC PC-88, also came out of the PC-6001 Mark II and the PC-8000. Um, so he's actually doing research on the actual history of the game itself and, and, and finding that some of the major game sites have it wrong. And then he also explained some of the updates he did to the game itself. Um, he had a key sensing using peaks provided by Greg Dion. This is you can actually do key repeat rather than having to tap the you know the keys every time to move one square. You can hold it down and move. Um, also had the feature of power boosts that move you upwards at a fast rate, including smashing through floors. 
He made some changes to the backstory itself. So anyway, you can get the link out of the show notes and uh, on the uh, Discord and kind of go through the whole history of him discovering the history of the original game and then, you know, some of the changes that he's done to the game itself to, you know, make changes to the gameplay. So that, that was really cool that he actually took all the time to do that. I know how much research it takes to yeah. try to figure out these histories of games because I've been doing that on my site and and for chronology gaming. And it's it can be a lot of work, especially when you're getting conflicting info like he was hitting on this one. Next up, uh, getting into some uh, dragon stuff here. So Alan Turvey, um, who's known as Happy Coding uh, ZX, I think. He's on the Amigos uh, Discord. But he's a, he's a developer for the Spectrum. And he teamed up with Paris Rat to make a conversion of his Asteroids clone that he did. Uh, you know, fresh fresh uh, implementation, kind of like Nick did with Pac-Man. But he did it for the Spectrum a year or two ago. And it's actually a very good rendition of... Uh, asteroids and basically paris rat actually helped him to port it to the dragon because i guess before he got a spectrum he had a dragon back in the old days so that was his very first you know micro he really tried programming on so it's like coming back to old home week for him here and they i know aaron was trying to get this to show at the show but i think he got sent the vdk version which is not something that some of the emulators handle all that well so he, I don't think he got it running, unless one of you guys happened to see it. Like I don't know, maybe he got it running on Sunday or something, but I think he was having problems trying to get it to run. Uh, now, he's selling this game for fairly cheap on itch.io, which I'll get to in a moment. But when you buy it, you get both versions. You get the Spectrum version and you get the Dragon version. So it's a twofer. Uh, so if you have the emulators or the Mister or something like that with some of these emulations on it, you you get both versions of the game. You can actually compare them you know, side by side if you wanted to. So this was the announcement here on on Facebook. And here's some video play. And it's actually a pretty decent clone. It's pretty close to the arcade. So this is the Dragon 32 version. And pretty good animations on the ship exploding and stuff. And you can rotate all the different angles. And the explosions. Yep. I've seen the Spectrum version before. Um, actually, I saw it at Bofest, played it a bit. But this looks pretty close. It's, you know, 256 by 192, two-color graphics, like most of the Asteroid clones we do have. Though this, I'd have to say, looks closer to the arcade than I think any of the other ones we do have, like Microbes or Meteoroids yeah. or Star Blaster. Yeah, he's even yeah, he's even tried to simulate the, the background sound that speeds up as you get further on in the current level. So if you're interested in that, it's $5 US and you get, like I said, both versions. You get the Spectrum version and you get the Coco or Dragon version. And uh, he's now got it both VDK and DSK format. VDK, I think, is much more common on the Dragon. DSK is covered so what we usually use in the Coco. And uh, I'm not sure what the exact... Uh, Spectrum one is called, but at any rate, you get both of them for that five dollar price. It's like getting two games for two fifty each, basically. And always, I always want to encourage you know people that are developing new assembly language games for the the Cocoa platform that if they're selling it for a fairly cheap price, you know, try to push them a little bit so people get a chance to try it out. And it's still yeah, cheaper absolutely. than the Starbucks coffee. Uh, next up, we have uh, Pipo Thirty Four BE, a channel on YouTube I've never heard of before, and and out of the blue played a Cocoa game. This is a game called Catacomb by L. Miller. And this one, I remember, came out as a free download on CompuServe and Delphi, I believe. 
Now, for some reason, the uh, colors here, I did actually talk to them a little bit, but it sounds like the RGB, the composite wasn't working properly, so it's got the wrong color. So, but you can still see what the game is. It's kind of like a dungeon crawl loosely based on Gauntlet type thing. And I think if I remember, he actually might have made a OS 9 version, which I'm going to have to hunt down because that should run a bit faster now with all the changes we've done to Idris 9. So, unfortunately, the colors here, like I said, are not the proper ones. Like this red should be a gray, etc. But you got like, you know, treasures to pick up. You got monsters. You've got, you know, a scrolling kind of screen here. Um, you pick up things, you read signs that you find scattered on the dungeon, etc. There's multiple levels to it. You have to keep track of your food. Um, it wasn't a bad little game. And this came out, I think, about 87, 88. So it's fairly early on in the Coco 3's life. So for the time, for a basic game especially, it's pretty, pretty decent. I got a potion. I mean, if you haven't tried that game, it's um, I've got it right up on the site and actually shows you what the colors should be on the on my site, and it's a you know download on the archive, and it was even free back in the day, which is cool. One of the earlier Coco Three games. Next up, this was a pretty interesting one. I've actually talked back and forth with Matt Flynn on this one a bit, so it's Matt Flynn's channel, and basically he did an hour of basically going through ten D T R S A D color computer games A through Z. So I thought, you know, he's probably just covering Tandy stuff because, I mean, it's an hour long video and we've got a lot of games. But he actually went through a lot of third party games and most of the game clips he does here are like literally five to ten seconds. So he's trying to cram as much as he can. Now, he obviously didn't get anything, everything. And he only has, I think, a couple that were Coco 3 at specific modes. So he's basically just covering Coco 1 and 2 here. But he starts like at numbered games all the way up to to Z. And uh, he's he's crammed in a few hundred in here. So it's a pretty good... If you want to give a person a broad overview of some of the Coco 1 and 2 games that came out, third party and Tandy, uh, as quick little hits of like five to 10 second video clips of each, it's actually pretty decent. I'll play a little bit of the beginning here, which actually has some stuff in the dragon as well. Um, this is just kind of his intro role here. So once he that finishes, it'll actually get to his little clips. So like here's, for example, 3D Brickway by Avalon Hill. Originally by Brit Monk. And then straight into 3D Space Wars from Noose Consultants. So this was originally a dragon game. So you're not going to get like deep gameplay here. You're just getting kind of little snippets of, of the game in action. This one's an actual Tandy one, seven card stud. There's eight ball by Antico. A pool game. Anyway, there's there's an hour of, of little tiny clips like this. So he's covering hundreds of games. So for those of you that are new to the Coco or only knew about the Tandy stuff back in the day, um, this has got a really good cross-section. It's missing some big titles. It's missing some rare titles. It doesn't have every Tandy game, for example, in it either. And it's it's pretty well strictly Coco 1 and 2. But uh, he's actually planning on doing, a, from talking to him, he's planning on doing a Coco 3 sequel later. And I, I mentioned my site because I definitely have more games listed there than he's got. And I'm only just over half done all the stuff that's on the archives. So, I mean, literally, there's there's well over a thousand. It's probably close to 1,500 games you could do. And that's not including, like, type-ins from Rainbow and stuff either. So, um, But that's the first time I've seen somebody attempt to do a good chunk of them in one shot in one video that's, you know, in an hour you're covering several hundred games. So that was pretty cool. And it's good to hear that he's doing a Coco 3 version a little bit later on. 
Um, I won't play a lot of these here unless you guys have a specific request. Uh, Chronological Gaming, of course, was kept going, even though I, you know, Ken and I were chasing chocolate bars all over the United States. Um, but he covered a, a bunch of ones here for the Coco from 19, beginning of 1982. Uh, the first one here is Cave Hunter, and he actually has the ad from Rainbow. That was the one I do remember playing quite a bit back in the day. I'll just rattle off the ones that he did end up covering uh, the last couple of weeks here that are Coco related. So we got Cave Hunter. Got Blockbuster and Blockade, Laser Star and Helo Battle, Voyager 1 from Avalon Hill, Bleep, which I think was Chromoset, Anti-Ballistic Missile Command, which is kind of a Missile Command in basic, Moonlander 1 and 2, which actually we'll be talking about in a, again in a bit here because that was one of the game challenges that uh, AJ and Tim played that just got released yesterday, Space Zapper, which is a Space App clone in basic by Aardvark, which actually is a quite a good one. Um, so he's got a bunch going on. He's just started March of 1982, and Coco starts to kick in more and more games starting around March, April, May, June, and 82 is when it started to take off. I'd say 83, 84, probably the peak years. So uh, I think he mentioned he did 600 some odd games for 1981 for all the various platforms, including arcade games, et cetera, and he's got like 2,700 to do for 1982, so he's going to be busy for a while, and 83 and 84 is going to be even worse. So it's going to be like 5,000, I'm sure, per per year. So he'll he'll be busy, uh, but there's a whole bunch there um, to go through, including some fairly rare ones. Like I had not seen some of these myself, like Blockbuster and stuff. I don't think I'd seen before I started doing research. Uh, most of these are on my site now. I think actually all of them are at this point. Um, Laser Star and Halo Battle is one Jarb software published in Rainbow two months apart, and then they started selling as a a little twofer where you got two games in basic. And this was actually because when Rainbow started in the same with Color Computer News. They didn't have Rainbow on tape. It wasn't even offered. So everything you got in Rainbow or in Color Computer News, you had to type in by hand. So some of the software companies here that, you know, gave kind of freebies away to the magazines had so many requests from people, you know, I don't feel like typing in this entire 16K program listing here. Can I just buy it off you for like three bucks or five bucks or something like that? And they started selling that. And I think that's what inspired Rainbow and, and CCN to eventually offer, you know, Rainbow on tape. And I can't remember this Color Computer News equivalent of us, but. You know, saving the fact that you didn't have to type in all these listings, I think uh, that took about a year or two before that actually started kicking in. So uh, if you take a look at the Rainbow on Tape collection in the Color Computer Archive, for example, it doesn't start till I think, 82. Uh, so basically anything in the first year of Rainbow in 81 and the first part of 82, there, there's no Rainbow on Disc, Rainbow on Tape, unless somebody took the time to type every single program listing in. So hopefully we'll eventually get those filled in so that we have the equivalent of the Rainbow on Tape for those. This is Voyager 1, which is actually uh, came out near the end. I think it was advertised near the end of 81, came out in early 82. That was Avalon Hill's first game for the Coco, and it's actually a graphical 3D, you know, zipping through the spaceship thing. It's uh, one I remember playing quite a bit. So, um, here's Bleep, which I think is another Chromoset game, if I remember correctly. And Anti-Ballistic Missile Command, which is, like I said, a basic version of Missile Command. Um, this one here has got the two Moonlanders. Now, this was sold as a two-for-two. Moonlander and Moonlander 2 were included on the same tape and disc. And uh, it's basically Lunar Lander. Um, The second one is a bit more complicated where you actually angle your ship to fly around. The other one, you just kind of steer a straight ship. So you're just basically moving left, right, or thrusting to up and down type thing with variable gravity. Um, The historical bit of this is this is the first game that chris latham wrote for the coco commercially 
So Chris Latham, you might remember from Dancing Devil, which you can see in the ad here, which is a bit of a later ad. But also he's very famous for doing stuff like Donkey King and Sailor Man. So if you want to see where he started before he got into machine language programming, this is the one to start on because it was two basic versions of Lunar Lander that he did, you know, a year before he did Donkey King. And man, did he come a long way from those to Donkey King? That was a, that's a huge jump. It's kind of like watching um, Mike Huey go from Alcatraz 2 to like Grabber or Draconian, you know, basically the same thing. Within a year or two, they just became brilliant programmers from humble beginnings. And in 40 years, I still haven't gone that far. So shows you how much my programming skill compares to those. Uh, next up, we also have uh, uh, Cuff. You know, he's renamed his channel again. I know I keeps doing this. Uh, the only way is Cuthbert GA. Uh, I think he was called LED something rather last time we talked, and he was something else before that. But he's still continuing on with doing the longer plays of some of the Dragon games with the original artwork and cassettes here. I won't play any of these because we've seen most of these before. Um, but when he did these like a couple years ago, he did like one to two minute little clips of just showing basic gameplay. Now he actually plays for like, you know, up to 10, 15 minutes of some of them to, to show more of the game in action or later levels, et cetera. So if you want a bit more of a, a more thorough look at a, ga a game for the dragon, uh, some of these you recognize from the Coco as well, of course. But he, he, in most cases, he has the original cassette artwork and the cassette labels and stuff you can take a look at too. So you get the whole package. Yeah, it's a good good uh, little uh, display of all the original artwork too. Yeah, and as we mentioned many times in the show, the, the artwork on the Dragon cassettes was a lot better than most stuff we got in North America for some reason, with a few exceptions. I mean, Mictron and a few others, you know, Tandy obviously had some pretty decent stuff too, but they just generally, you know, gave it a lot more thought. Now, that might be because they only had to make cassette because, you know, disc was not popular because it was so expensive in the UK. So they didn't have to make like a different size for a disc jacket or something like that. But I hope he keeps these up because the last time he did the one to two minute ones, he ended up cleaning out his entire channel out and deleted all of his old videos. And then he started putting these back up. So I, I kind of hesitate to keep putting these on here. I mean, they're very good if you can catch them while they're there, but I'm not guaranteeing they're going to be there in a year. This one here was pretty interesting. I, I caught this, unfortunately, after the live stream itself had completely finished. Um. But Retro Rewind, and this is not Frank, this is not affiliated with Frank in any way, shape, or form. This is a UK-based one. Uh, but basically, they did a lot, Dragon 32 live stream special, just playing some games. And this is from a person that's not familiar with Dragon. He did was aware of his ex existence, and he knew roughly like one had been out, but had not had any experience with it. And from most people in the chat, the live stream chat I saw, they didn't really know too much about it either. So they're kind of poo-pooing it in some ways, but he found some pretty pretty good games there to play. And I, I gave him uh, some other suggestions, like some other games to try, because he didn't even know how many games there were. He was figuring there might be a couple hundred. I guess they really thought this machine up and died within a year. And, you know, between Euroheart and Dragon Data itself, it actually went on for, you know, four or five years, I think, or three or four at least. Um, and there's a lot more games because they got so many ports from the Cocoa side, plus a whole bunch of the original stuff. So there's... I think at least seven or eight hundred games that I know of that were officially on the Dragon during its heyday. Interesting. Uh, the Shock Troopers got that red. Uh... Yeah, that was the alternate color sets like Donkey King here with P mode, you know, three screen set zero type thing, and same here with the Shock Trooper. I'll play just it a little. Does uh, make a change from the green, I guess. Makes it look a bit more colourful. Got a yeah. poster. 
And then here he's explaining, like, the first he ever heard of the dragon was that Weedabix thing. And I think we covered this a couple of years back. There was Weedabix gave this free arcade game, kind of a primitive Space Invaders. Well, not quite Space Invaders, a little bit different than that. But uh, basically, you could win a free dragon, you know, if you entered this contest and you played this, you know, game type thing. And then he goes a little, you know, the comparison with the Coco that they're both reference designs, et cetera. And then he starts playing some of the games and he's, you know, he's playing like Lunatax. So he's playing this like 3D game there. And he plays, of course, the one that every dragon user loves. Yeah. Chucky Egg. Donkey King in black and white, because of course it's pal. <laughs> or you could pick the you know the chunky green graphics, etc. But it looked like a pretty interesting stream. And he covers other machines that he's covered before. Um if he does another one, I, I might see if I can try to catch him live, you know, in case you have any questions on some of the games here. Because like I said, the, watching the people on the side chat there, I think most of them had never played a dragon before or very faintly remembered some friend having it or something and seeing it a couple times type thing. Next up is another gaming channel um, by LR. It's, and it literally is called a gaming channel by LR. Has done some other dragon games too here recently. Um Longer play videos too, even longer than the other one I just showed you before. And they're playing some, you know, the Coco conversions are playing some of the Dragon Originals. And he does a much many other types too. Like he's got some Commodore 64 stuff and all kinds of things. But if you want some longer videos between the seven to 20 minute mark or even 30 minutes, like here you play tea time for 30 minutes, he even tells you where he got his best score and what offset to jump to if you want to see that. But they're 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 more fuller playthroughs than you would typically get on, on most of the stuff you see on YouTube. So um, it was pretty interesting watching, uh, you know, him kind of learn the games, etc. as he goes through the videos. So if you're into dragon gaming, there's some pretty cool stuff on there. Next up, Coco Town. Um, I don't know if this guy was at Coco Fest or not, because I don't know his real name, unfortunately. But he's actually just started the channel, like, within the last month. And he's got multiple Coco stuff on here and, and varying. There's some stuff we'll be covering the regular news because it's not game related. But this particular one here was basically how to use an Xbox controller with Coco games. And, you know, does some gameplay testing with it. And I'll, I'll just play a little bit of an intro so you can just kind of see. And if you guys recognize him, see if uh, he was at the fest and I just missed him. Hello and welcome. Today we're going to talk about how to configure XROAR so you can play Coco games with an Xbox controller or any joystick that you like. And in the process... I'm going to show you about a little trick that I found. Let's go. So does anybody recognize him? Like, was he at the show and I missed him or? Nope. Nope. Okay. I mean, I'll let you guys play his video if you want to see what the trick is type thing. And here he's doing some testing on the on the joysticks and stuff. So uh, this one was like basically oriented towards gaming, which is why I threw in the gaming on news. But he's got some other stuff that's a bit more technically oriented that I'll be covering the regular news. And then here we're talking about Moonlander, Chris Latham's very first commercial Coco game. So that was the game they decided to play, Sibling Rivalry, between Tim and AJ. And this is a hard game. I've played this one, too, when I was doing the research for the webpage. And they only played the one of the two. They played the original Moonlander, not the Moonlander 2 where you angle your ship. And, like, if you can see the screenshot here, I uh, just paused it on. It's like, you know, the Moonlander, you have to, like, navigate your ship and land without going too fast. You can't be moving too much further sideways because you're crashed. You got fuel to worry about you variables of gravity you set at the beginning of the game. The uh, platforms you can land on, generally you get more points if it's harder to get to. Um, but they had a lot of fun doing it. And ironically enough, only AJ managed to successfully land the ship once. And and Tim 
just crashed all the time. And I had the same thing. This is a game that is very fussy. You have to have your vertical speed and your horizontal uh, just, or speed very narrowly down with a narrow range in order to successfully land. And it's a bit confusing because you can look like you land and it plays a little victory song type thing and then you blow up. Um, or if you did it right, then you land, you get the victory song and you actually, you win, you know, you get some points for it, but it's, uh, it's, it's a much, uh, it's a very difficult game. It's pretty exacting on what you have to, to get right to land successfully. And the second one's even a little bit more difficult because you have to worry about the angle your ship's flying at. And hey, well, know. Neil Armstrong had to get it right the first time. Yeah, but he took months of training. He just didn't throw it at himself in five minutes like these two did. <laughs> And I'll just uh, plug again. I'm wearing uh, one of their sibling rivalry T-shirts with its original Tandy Black Beauty joysticks on it that I picked up at the fest. So thanks to Tim and AJ for bringing those. That's the end of the game on news. So Mark, if you want to run another commercial, I'll queue up the rigor news. Okay, let's see what we got here. And this is the longer one. Hi, I'm John, and I'm Aaron of the Coco Show, and you're watching or listening to the Coco Nation the live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its cousins. All hail the Coco Nation. Om. 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 In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com. G'day from the land down under, where toilets flush backwards and thongs are a respectable form of casual footwear. I am Nick Morentes and I have been developing games for the Coco for over 35 years. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the interactive live video talk show for all enthusiasts of the Coco family of computers. Hi, I'm Al Curtis Boyle. And I'm Ken Waters of Canadian Retro Things. And you're watching the Coco Nation show. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter, stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. And we're back. Okay, well, I think before I get started in the news and put everybody to sleep here, I think Jason uh, has a, a video that's finished rendering while I was blathering on on the game news. Rendering and uploading and thumbnails and all that fun stuff. But uh, my day one video 
from well my experience at Coco Fest, which I will admit is there's warning, it is a bit silly, but it's there. And uh, I'll put a link in the text or you can just or in the chat or you can just go to fairlyamused.com and it will redirect you over to my uh, channel for that uh, that type of stuff. Cool. I look forward to seeing that. You got a part two for the second day coming in the future, yeah. I presume? Uh, part two, hopefully, I'm I'm hoping within days because it's everything's already loaded into the editing system. I'd rather get it done and get it out and uh, move on to the next project. Cool. I will definitely have to check that. I'll check out the first one actually after the show's over here because I'm kind of curious what you're what you mean by silliness. Well, there's a lot of David Ladd in it. <sighs> Oh, oh so like over the top too. silliness. Okay, gotcha. Oh no! Oh. Ooh. That's Nick's favorite part. He'll be able to get his inner David Ladd on. Oh no! <laughs> Was it the real David Ladd? Come on, Nick. You're supposed to be enthusiastic. Remember, we're uh, we're a Coco Nation now. We need to be enthusiastic, supportive of each other. Come on. Oh. You can always tell fake David Ladd from real David Ladd because fake David Ladd has a mustache. Ah, he's got the little glasses with the eyebrows, the mustache. And... <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I think from looking at that picture, I don't know if David Ladd is actually, you know, has the capability of growing hair. <laughs> hey, where's my little doodle pen on Zoom here? <laughs> oh, Yes. <laughs> Will that show up on the stream if you draw on Zoom? Probably so, but uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to look at that. I think <laughs> I've done that. I think I've done that before, just to see if anyone noticed. <laughs> oh, one one thing I want to give a big public shout out to David Ladd. Um, I might have mentioned this last week, but just in case I didn't, um, I'd gotten several years ago a bunch of source code discs from Harvey Brofman of Intel Electronics, and one of them. For the ice hockey game that eventually got resold through computer when electronics shut down um had the source but i could not read half the files the disc is pretty heavily damaged and david actually brought his grease weasel um uh, check your bingo card um Ooh. to the show and uh you know he took a look at the disc and i think david if i remember correctly you actually came and warned me you probably wouldn't be able to read because it was making such a horrible noise when you put the disc in the drive yeah, it, it, the the head had black streaks on it after I got done reading the disc. It it it, it took me like a twenty minutes of running a cleaning disc through it to remove all the black marks off the heads. Just like the underwear. Oh God! <laughs> no, he doesn't clean those. Yeah, but see the thing is, is that that. You know, it, Curtis provided it to me, so you know we we have to then point fingers at Curtis for leaving the black marks. Skid marks, Skid I think they're marks. called. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, the disc was pretty badly damaged. I tried it here, and I could read, I think, one or two of the files, and everything else was airing. I tried every trick I could do just with a regular drive. I tried seeking from the opposite end of the drive back, because sometimes that throws a head just a slightly off alignment enough to, you know, try to read something that's kind of iffy. But I couldn't. I mean, most of the disc was unreadable to me. I can get the directory reliably, but I also had a screeching noise whenever I ran it too, and I had to clean the heads on mine as well. But your grease weasel, I think you had it to me within an hour. Completely fine. So I'm yes. a big <clears throat> So yes, big, yes. big shout out to David, a big shout out for Grease Weasel. That actually does work and it recovered some source code I thought was going to be lost forever, because that's the last existing copy as far as Harvey and I know. 
And it's now on the Cut Computer Archive and on my site. So if you guys want to see how ice hockey was written or, you know, patch the game, I know that's another one that Tim and AJ covered. And, you know, Tim sometimes complains about game programmers not doing stuff right. Well, you got the source code now, Tim. You can fix it yourself and quit complaining. <laughs> oh, Heil David Lad. Yep. So big shout out. Yeah. Oh, oh. Copyright ding. For what? Ding. You just did. <laughs> I don't think you can you can copyright a Gregorian monk chant, can you? Yeah. Well, if it comes from those shiny outfits. Hey, we just <laughs> played played that on our, on our last commercial. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure they'll be okay. They don't seem the suing kind. No. Or even the copyright strike kind. All right. Uh, thanks to David for get, recovering that. And uh, I said you can go grab it if you want. I'm now going to switch over to the regular news. As soon as I remember which window I'm on here, I think it's. Good night, everybody. <laughs> this one here, I hope. Let's see. Really? I was going to say, I'm all right laying here, so I'm ready for the nap anytime Curtis is ready. <laughs> yeah. Now take out your pillows. Yep. Get your cots ready. Maybe a good stiff drink. I didn't say we fax. <laughs> oh, where's my rum? Oh, there it is. So uh, check check off we fax on your Coco Nation bingo card. I Somebody's got to be close to a bingo now at this point. Yeah, we have we've had Grease Weasel and we fax. Yeah, and well, David we Ladd. Need, we need to publish some of those. <laughs> well, Tim and AJ actually do have uh, bingo cards. I don't have my one handy here at the moment, but I'm sure there's a bingo card generator online somewhere we can use. Yeah. Okay, so on to the marathon news. Um, so the first one, Color Computer Programming actually put up six mm. new videos of game development stuff uh, in BASIC uh, during the time, you know, since our last news segment. I'm not going to put all of them on here because some of them were updates to themselves, etc. So I'm just going to play little clips of two of them. Um, so he's working on his, uh, what he calls Coco Ultimate, which is kind of his basic rendition of uh, loosely based on an Ultima style type game. So uh, the two I'll do here... Um, the first one, and this is just a little quick clip here, as he calls it, Ultimate Conflict 50% Battle Capacity. So he's basically got four snakes and four players, uh, one wizard type or cleric, and then a, a fighter with a sword. Probably a little loud, isn't it? But basically, he's kind of showing what he's kind of up with a, a brief combat system here. So you can see the players like walking towards the enemies, and the enemies walking towards players, and then it Pops to a text screen to say a snake strikes, fighter one takes three damage. So he's just been kind of experimenting how he's going to do his, his combat system with multiple control or player controlled characters as well as multiple monsters. And the next one here, this is the uh, overworld. This is before you go into a dungeon or anything like that. Then he's got some sample mountains, which I think we showed in the last video three weeks or four weeks ago. Now, one thing he did a little cool here, like this is a beachfront. The little dots you see are just kind of like sand showing that. And the white um, arc circle thingy there is uh, the waterfront. So I figured when I first loaded this up and this is the screen it brought up, I figured, oh, cool. So he's got kind of a rounded, you know, he's not doing tile based for the uh, the waterfront. He's actually doing, you know, an actual full blown circle type thing. But he actually animated it in basic too, which actually looks pretty decent. Okay, everybody, welcome back to my Ultima game. 
behind the. So basically, for those on the audio that can't see it, basically he's got the uh, the water expanding and retracting, kind of like a washing tide, like waves on the shore type thing. And if you go a little bit later in here, you can actually move your character, and that effect keeps going. It slows down a bit, obviously, but he actually has this water animation that's filling a you know, pretty decent sized chunk of the screen in basic while you're moving your character around. So he's actually got some pretty good ideas. I mean, I, I haven't seen that particular technique used on a Coco adventure game before. Um, you just generally have the, the, the zigzag line waves that get animated, like you see in uh, gates of delirium or Paladin's legacy or the seventh link, but they actually, this one's like a smooth shore filling your know, top to the bottom of the screen. So, you know, these tiles type things. So it actually looks a bit more natural. So I was pretty impressed with that. And he's, he's definitely wanting some feedback. He's even talked uh, near the end of this video. It was kind of funny because he was mentioning that, you know, he normally gets like little hints and tips from myself or Alan Huffman occasionally and some other uh, people that have Cocos uh, for him trying these new techniques because he's kind of learning as he goes. And he said he, he didn't get any response or anything in the last two weeks. And he was kind of bummed that, he you know, the, you know his people are just not interested in the project. Well, we're all at the fest and Ken and I were chasing chocolate bars across North America. So. You know, we didn't have time to respond. So I, I did give him a response. Just, I'm just starting to catch up on everything here. But uh, interesting to see where he takes this. Um, he's got some pretty good ideas. And, uh, you know, trying to pull it off. And basic is uh, definitely a challenge. But uh, he's figured out some pretty cool stuff. Next up, the Coco crew put out their latest episode. Um, and this actually contains a summary of the fest from themselves and all of them were there except for mike rowan i think uh, john was there boise was there neil was there neil first time in years that he's been able to make it down um and they also covered a review of kung fu dude i will say they were generally very impressed with hotel they thought the show went really well this year which i think all of us will concur um especially compared to last year which had you know the word disaster written over part of it um and then there's a, a the Cocoa History bit that uh, Boise did for April of 1987, which I think was on a fest. I can't remember now. I haven't seen this early on. But yeah, they were pretty impressed with the actual show itself. So that was cool. <clears throat> and they mentioned that Jim Brain had mentioned that it looks like we would have had one of the best attendances we've had at a Cocoa Fest in quite a while with at least 130 just on the first day. And there probably was a few more extra people showing up the second day. So that's that's good. The show is growing. <clears throat> that's what you want. Next up, Henry Reitfeld posted this. So this is the, I'll just read the blurb here for the audio listeners. He said, uh, this is the Cocoa Fest auction Xerox drive I replaced. So he got this at the auction. If you look in the lower right of the uh, photo here, you can see this big enclosure that actually has two three and a half inch floppies, a five and a quarter inch floppy, and a hard drive all in one big case power supply. He goes, I replaced the full light drive with a half height and added a hard drive running from right to left, a SCSI hard drive, a five and a quarter inch drive. And then two, three and a half inch drives, and he calls it the Franken Coco. Um, now, this is something I remember multiple people doing back in the day. In fact, our eliminator based system at work, we had one of these not quite this big. We had an enclosure that had floppy drives and a hard drive all in one enclosure, just because you had some nice beefy PC power supplies rather than having separate ones for every single thing. Or the dual floppy ones that you know you got from Tandy Radio Shack. So that's one of the more large ones that can handle the hard drives too. So I'm glad he actually got everything up and working. It sounds like everything in that that uh, thing worked. Uh, he just swapped the one full light drive so you can get a couple extra drives in there. He's got a pretty decent storage system going on there. The box is the size of a monitor. <laughs> yeah, just about the size <laughs> the of the CMA. 
Yeah, with a SCSI drive and three, yeah, I, I'm assuming these are all double sided, double density. So 360K five and a quarter inch drive and two 720K three and a half inch drives. And a big honk and Paris fly in the back. It took a separate table to hold it up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And as uh, as David Ladd will attest, you know, you can never have a multi pack that's too full. That's why you need 16 and, slots. And you never know. He could have a modified floppy controller that he could actually do high density off of those three and a halfs. Yeah, that's possible too. If he's got one of the original ones, or oh, and it was cool seeing that something that he bought at the auction, which I don't think anybody knew if it would actually work or not, and it looks like everything worked. <laughs> SCSI controller, the SCSI drive itself that he put in, and all the floppies. Hey, Mister Allen, what? Uh, there was a question from Peter Willard about a good way to clean uh, crud from discs. I was thinking David Ladd had mentioned something that was kind of uncommon, but he said it worked well. Um, normally I have, um, I use the standard, uh, uh, cleaning discs, but one of the ways I do it is one disc. I use the alcohol, I use one disc to dry and another one with just a small amount of deoxid on the third cleaning disc. And then I run, run that through the drive on the third pass. To it's just give that slight, right, that way it will any... uh, lubricate the head. Recommendation, though, for cleaning the disc itself. Not the cleaning oh. disc, but they. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of iffy. Do not use uh, isopropyl alcohol on it, because isopropyl alcohol uh, causes the... Uh, Bonding agent to break down that holds the rust to the mylar. So alcohol will basically ruin the disc. Um, one of the methods I use is um, if, if if the disc is dirty, the, the felt on the inside is probably dirty as well. Um, you have to carefully open the disc, remove the media, um, soak it in some um distilled water preferably warm not hot because you don't want to melt the disc um and then using those uh those soft wipes that you'd use to remove makeup off your face um you use those to gently what clean you know wipe the water off after it's been sitting for a few minutes and then you know clean the disc off and then uh Use another disc, uh, brand new floppy disc, as a donor. A donor, donor to remove case. Remove the yeah. the right donor case, and then put the media that you just salvaged in it, so you can recover the data. At least that's the method I've used. Now, did you have to do any of that with that ice hockey source it is code? Time consuming. No, because didn't have time yet. Oh, okay. And we were just shooting basically for a no, one-off. We did I was get a recovery. Just risking the heads. Yeah, I was just, I was just having it read the track multiple times, so that way they could be over, overlaid on each other, and then mm. hopefully find a track that was a good enough read to get your data. Well, this was the you average it forty-seven times and say, okay, I hope that's right. So, so that one was twenty-five percent prayer. Yes, it's not like I had a whole bunch of clean 
prepping stuff with me to do it properly. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember David when I took him the disc, and once that grinding noise came out of it when he put it in to do a dirt, <laughs> he was he was going like, I don't know if this is going to be recoverable. Yeah. And basically, I had already tried everything I could do, so if if it didn't work, no loss. I was in the same state anyway, but he did manage to pull it off. So. Okay, so hopefully that answers your question, uh, Peter, in the chat there. So next up, we got a couple from uh, Alan Huffman, who unfortunately was not able to make the fest this year, which sucked. It would have been great to watch him you know, compete during the auction because we had some competitions going on as it was, and he usually livens those up pretty good. Uh, so he did a he started doing a blogging uh, a multi part series he's going to be doing on the Coco Disc Basic Disc Structure. So this first entry he goes through both a low level sector format, which is including like CRC bytes and uh, you know padding and all kinds of stuff. There's stuff you don't normally see when you read a sector unless you have a grease weasel or something similar. Uh, and he also goes into the disc extended basic higher level file stuff, how the FAT system works. So it's a, a pretty good you know starter uh, research on exactly how this stuff works. Like here's some of the low level stuff. And then he goes further on into you know how the tracks in the cocoa itself are laid out, how the uh, granules work, and uh, where the fat and directory are, how those work, et cetera, with some basic programs to test. So really good description on that. And he's going to get into some more detail on the next one. And then he also did one here, Write Basic Easier with Alex Evans' Python scripts, which I think we had covered briefly before uh, Cocoa Fest, but he had found a problem with it, so he kind of retracted, and I think this is the re-release or an update to it at any rate. And um, this is basically, he gives some warnings on certain words that you cannot use in variable names, et cetera, that won't work in basic, because he actually hit some of that when he was trying to do some stuff here. Um, so there's some caveats you have to be aware of when you're doing this kind of thing. And he has a good blog, you know, description of that, and you know, basically what type of stuff you should be looking for. And I think that might get a follow-up as well. There's definitely a part two of the disk basic stuff coming out. Next up, um, Nowhere Man 99, <clears throat> excuse me, 999, which is Glenn Hewlett, of course, who's been doing all the transcodes. Um, some person at action, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but somebody asked, you know, Robotron 2084 he released a while ago. Was he planning on releasing the source code? And originally, Glenn had kind of like given up. He said, Robotron was never my favorite game. He describes it here in the, his uh, GitHub. He said, it wasn't really my game. I haven't been able to get this one bug out, and I haven't got all the sound samples in it, but I'm just kind of sick of it, so I'm just releasing the binary as is. Well, what we found out later on is that the bug that he was trying to fix is actually in the original Robotron from the arcade. Uh, it's a bug there, too. So actually, he had done the transcoding correctly. Um, so now he's actually released the source code as it is. The only thing that he really needs to finish up at some point, and he might still do this because it's it's not... It's not some insurmountable trying to figure an obscure bug thing. This is just basically he's not got all the sound samples in there. Uh, so there's certain sound effects that are just not playing. He's got some in there, but not all of them. So basically, if he can get those integrated in and release it, he pretty well have a full transcode of Robotron, which you can add to his, you know, Pac-Man and Defender and Joust. Um, but he's actually got the source code up. So if anybody wants to take a look at, you know, how he did Robotron, you can go get it at his GitHub. Um you get the specific link in the show notes on the Discord. Uh, next up, uh, Daniel Campos posted some pictures from the seventh meeting of the, how do you pronounce this in Portuguese? Club Rio? Basically the uh, equivalent of a Coco Club in, in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. 
And of course, that's where the CP400, which Brian Weezer actually brought his uh, down to show us at the fest there. So if you guys were at his table, you probably saw the CP400. We actually took the lid off. We got to see the inside of it and stuff too. So these are photos from their annual uh, Coco-related show, and that covers all the clones plus actual Cocos. Um, Luciano Sharf's there too. They're both very active in the, the color computer group. Got a Model 4 piece thing here beside it. They're playing Chucky Egg on a Coco 3 on this one. There's a, the whole group together there. There's a few people we've actually had on the show before on there. There's the CP400. Now, this is, I remember, I don't know if Brian Weezer's still on the call or not, but I don't think this is the same one he brought. There's two versions of the CP400 color. There's one with the little chiclet keys like this and one with a more full keyboard. And I think the one Brian got, if I remember correctly, is the one with the more full keyboard, if anybody can either correct me or or verify that that was the case. He had both at the show, actually. Oh, I only saw the one. Yeah, he had the full keyboard hooked up, but he had the uh, chiclet one sitting in a box. Oh, okay. Cool. And, uh, you know, the the adapters they've got for the cartridges and stuff here. So there he's kind of showing a whole family. There's some of the uh, Kodomax and some of the other clones, um, as well as, you know, playing Paul Thayer's Timberman on the far left on a Coco 3 and the Sailor Man on the far right. And I can't remember which clone that specifically is. Uh, Max 400, I think. Yeah, Max 400. Yeah, a Max 400 made using a Polymax keyboard from a CPM machine with a CP400 board installed inside. So that's basically taking the the circuit board from the machines that uh, Brian brought to CocoFest and then you know slapping on the CPM terminal <laughs> keyboard onto it with a numeric keypad and everything. And there's one of the uh, adapters with a ROM. Then here you got Sailor Man on ROMs, or it's a cartridge. I like the fact that his, his label actually has like graphics on it that he printed off. There's the Kodamax CD6809. This one is much closer to the keyboard layout on a regular Coco. You've got the arrow keys on opposite sides like a Coco 1 or 2 had. Uh, the brake key is labeled as escape, but everything else is pretty close to the same. And there's the MX1600 clone that is playing Zaxxon. A close up of that a much wider cartridge slot, uh, easier to get to than the CP400 had. No extra door. There's Tut's Tomb with a custom label ROM, mini IDE, ID hard drive interface. Tim Man playing the Coco 3. Uh, one of the earlier Coco C's, it says Brazil edition, but this is one of the clear. I think was it Tim Linder that designed the clear case? I can't even remember anymore. But the earliest Coco SDCs had this rather than the uh, the current cases we're getting now. Kind of like following the iMac aesthetic where you could see through the older iMacs. MCP runner with the original chiclet keyboard. A Baffa 2 Plus computer, a CPM design made by Augusto Baffa. I think that's somebody that's active in the group. So he made this machine himself. Baby Adam 3. <laughs> And back to the beginning. So thanks for uh, the Brazilian Coco Group for posting these photos here. We've actually covered their event a couple years. We've even had some live streaming from them in the past. And if I remember correctly, their show was literally the week after Coco Fest. So we had, you know, the Coco Fest in the States. And then we immediately followed up with a Brazilian Coco Fest kind of in, in Brazil. That was cool. They also released a small video, uh, eight minutes long. I won't play the whole thing here. I'll play a little snippet of it just kind of get a feel for the room and how they had it set up. Uh, but you can definitely go watch that. It, um, 
I think you can turn on auto translate. When I tried viewing it when they premiered it yesterday, it wouldn't let me do that. So I don't know if it was set up for that or if it's just because it was a brand new release and it hadn't had time to fully process. But I'll play just a little snip. I like the Tuts Tomb t-shirt too. Muito popular aí, todo mundo já viu um, um Color Computer em um CP400 em algum evento. E era uma máquina que era compatível com o TRS-80. Tem uma grande variedade, muitos dos clones, mesmo algumas coisas que não são inteiramente co-related, mas algumas das coisas que estão em computer scene, onde o copyright não significa nada, e os trademarks não significam nada, eles só vão para isso. E, na verdade, isso é legal no Brasil, não é legal para ninguém mais, mas o Brasil basicamente queria encarregar seu próprio. Computer infrastructure within the country type thing, and basically just said copyrights mean nothing here. We'll clone Apple IIs, we'll clone Commodore 64s, we'll clone Cocos, whatever. But uh, they had a lot of cool, interesting machines because of that. Okay. Uh, also, the week after uh, Coco Fest was the uh, what is it called? The Indie. It's one that uh, Randy Kindig of uh, Floppy Days podcast kind of hosts. The Indie Cl Classic in Indianapolis, which is just like a six hour drive from Chicago the following weekend. And Jim Brain attended that. So he took some pictures there too. Now this is a, a, a more like a, a mini VCF. It's basically covering every retro platform you can think of. So this is Jim's booth pictured here, uh, retro innovation. So he's got the Coco three on the left and it's totally tore apart with a bunch of wires and stuff in it. I'm assuming he's testing something and a multi-pack plugged in. Plus he's got, you know, model 100 and some other machines here too. There's an Atari S T or an Amiga, I can't even tell from there. I think it's Atari ST. And I think it, this was the first year they've done this particular one, or is it the second? I think it's a fairly new show. So it's a little bit smaller than the Cocoa Fest, but if you like the variety of computers and if you're in the Chicago area, I mean, this it's it's not that far of a drive to, to get to this one. I'd like to attend. Like, Ken and I were seriously considering, or like, I was seriously considering trying to make it out to that, but Honestly, with everything else that was going on, it, I'm glad we didn't. I don't think we would have had the time or the money to do it. But but I'll have to see if I can sneak by there somewhere, depending on when they have it next year. And there was some you know stuff for sale, like mag computer magazines, old computer magazines for one or two bucks each. And I like this Indy 500 thing we game system there. So, right, uh, I'm I'm guessing this show will continue on. Randy's pretty cool. We had him on our our show for an interview, um, probably what a year ago now, maybe a little bit less, somewhere in there. He's a real interesting guy, and uh, I definitely wouldn't mind meeting him in person. So uh, someday I'll make it out to this one, just like a someday I'll make it out to Tandy Assembly and. Someday I'll make it out to a VCF. Someday I'll make it to the to the Dragon Gathering in, in the UK too. As soon as that darn lottery number comes up. Okay, next up we have James Maxwell who uh, posted on the Coco Group on Facebook. So his dad had a whole bunch of Coco stuff, like old listings and some manuals and stuff like that that he's inherited. And he's actually got a picture of uh, his mom and dad here. Uh, with their grandparents and actually with an old gray Coco one. Um, now is Sloopy still on the call? I'll take that as a no. 
Because apparently uh, Jim was actually down, or James, I should say, was actually down at VCF East. And uh, he re- inherited a whole whack load of paperwork from his, his dad. And he's actually got photos of them on a Google Drive that he made publicly accessible. So some of these are like original manuals or scans of, you know, magazine pages. And sometimes it's hand-scrolled notes. Sometimes it's original listings that I think his dad did. But there's a ton of stuff he's been scanning in here. There's uh, stuff for doing uh, ham radio. I saw a few things in here. I think there's even some WeFax-related stuff, if I remember correctly. I haven't gone through it all, obviously. But uh, a lot of historical stuff here that uh, you won't see anywhere else. So uh, grab them and uh, take a look at them. Some pretty cool stuff. I hope he's uploading to the archive. I haven't had a chance to talk to him to see if he is. But it would be really cool to get all the stuff up there, too. But thanks for doing all the scanning. I know that's a lot of work. Uh, Retro Islander. did a retro show and tell uh, of his Coco-related computers, books, and magazines on his YouTube channel just before CocoFest to release this. So I'm not going to play the whole thing, obviously, because we'd be here for days if I did that with all the videos. Um, but you can see he's got a Coco 1, a Coco 2, and a Coco 3, and an MC10. He's got some books that he goes through. He's got some of the old magazines. Um, of his history of the machines there, too. Um, it's some of his old magazines, like here's Rainbow. Actually, the one that was on the what Brian Weezer showed the uh, that was one of the sample pictures was the cover of this particular issue. Hey, right, uh, a nice little uh, 13 minute rundown of, of his uh, four Coco related machines and a bit of history behind them, some of the other uh, hardware and software that he's got with some of the books and magazines as well. So that was kind of cool. Uh, next up, we get an update from Ron Klein. Uh, MAME version 0.254 is now available as an update for those with a Cocoa Pie. This contains a fair number of updates to the Cocoa floppy disk drivers and ROMs that are available. So they've kind of changed how things work. Tim Linder's talked about this too, because he's actually the one doing most of this stuff. But uh, basically, the last few updates to MAME have not affected the Cocoa. This one definitely does. So one of the problems with MAME is it always does this stupid check crc check on a rom so anytime you want to use a custom rom it, it you have to do all kinds of overrides to get past this um and of course you know people customize ados3 they customize ados3 extended they customize cdos they customize you know all these different DOSs we had available so you'd have to do special things for every single one of these and now they've kind of changed the way the driver works if i'm understanding correctly and tim if i'm wrong let me know and i'll correct it for next next week um but basically it's going to be doing ROMs is kind of a separate thing from the controller hardware itself rather than being tied. And that way you actually have like a controller for HDB DOS and a controller for a SCSI or a super controller two from Disto or something like that. But then you can have multiple different ROMs that you can specify. And they've got some examples here, you know, Disk Basic 1.0, 1.1, ADOS 1.02 for the Cocoa 1 and 2, uh, the special ADOS 2B for the Cocoa 2B to support true lowercase. Um ADOS 3 for the Coco 3, ADOS 3 pre-done for 40-track and 80-track disk drives, uh, RGB DOS, um, stuff for support for the Becker port and DriveWire 3. So there's a bunch of different options here that are all going to be enabled on this uh, this update. So even if you're not running the Coco Pi, I mean, the, the update to main might be worth it for some of you for doing this. I was wondering, since David Ladd is the Lord of the Floppies, have you fiddled with any of this new stuff in main? Uh, yes, I have. 
And of course, the ADOSs are set for single-sided, so don't expect double-sided operation. Okay, and have you fiddled with some of the other ones, like the the CDOS from Disto and some of the ones that are a bit more rare? No. Okay. But you're, you're, are you happy with the direction that this is going? And did I get that right, I guess, is the, the other thing. Well, I don't know about the CRC stuff with the ROM stuff. Um, I know that uh, the customized ROM that I have for the Coco 3, I was using MAME for the testing. And the current MAME still complains about me using the customized ROM for the Coco 3 itself. So um, I don't know if that's just for the main system or, you know, if he did something special for the external disks. Or if it's just a misunderstanding, I don't know. But as far as that, I still get the message about the ROM not having the correct CRC. Oh, okay. I should also mention here, there's some other updates too to the 689 core. So there's uh, some invalid instructions that weren't being quite handled correctly. And Tim has fixed those too, which is part of the two point or point two five four update as well. So, I mean, there's some... Some programs that were cracked a little bit incorrectly sometimes have these extra instructions in there, and they, you know, normally the CPU just kind of pass over illegal instructions, skip that. It might trigger the illegal instruction trap on a 609 because I, I know we've had to fix a few games that had that problem. Yeah. Um, the uh, um, one of the things that, uh, which was one of the tricks that you told me about, is using the 6309's clear D instruction, which is a 10. Um, yeah, it's a prefix byte followed by the clear A instruction or something, so it'll only clear half of it on a 6809 and clear both registers yeah. on the 6809. And um, so I would do that, and I'd check um, both bytes on some routines I was doing. And since I knew some things didn't even work right in the emulators, since I knew that that instruction, all the emulators at the time didn't process that instruction at all, um, if I got FF in both A and B, I said, oh, you're running on an emulator. This code is known not to work right in an emulator. Sorry, go use a real machine. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what Nick keeps telling people too. <laughs> um, but now some of those tricks that, um, that you would tell if you're running on a 6309 should be more detectable on yeah. these should be yeah yeah because i remember uh frank asked me like how did x six or nine when they were doing the update to the coco diagnostic cart that supports the coco three and update mega ram and also detects a six or nine and that was the exact same technique you just talked about is how i told him to do it because it's the easiest way to tell by the way um for those of you that are part of the whole chocolate saga which we'll be getting to a little bit later here when when ken's video comes up but i just got a notification on whatsapp from Taylor, and she has pictures of boxes going out with a big, in all caps, the chocolate has shipped. So that means that uh, Mark and David and um, Grant and Jason, uh, your chocolate bar should be on the way as of today. Ooh. And I noticed, I noticed specifically these boxes are labeled FedEx, so they might actually make it. <laughs> Yeah, and now we still need to get you your money. 
I basically I've, I've mentioned this in the Discord, and for those that don't know that uh, have ordered and haven't heard from me, send me the money only when you receive them. Because right now at this point, I don't trust any courier on the face of the planet. So once it's in your hands, you can PayPal me the the money. Very well. Anyway, the, that that song is finally coming to an end. Apparently, allegedly. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay, next up we have uh, Gadget Reboot Channel, which actually seems to be a fairly large one with 26,100 subscribers, and it's not one I'm familiar with. Are any of you familiar with this channel? No, but I recognize that uh, Improm cartridge right there. Oh, you do, do you? <laughs> oh, yes. I've gotten a few of those made. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you put up a video here of uh, making a Cocoa Eprom cartridge based on publicly available design, so I'm assuming that's what you're talking about that you've used as well, David. Yes, it's a, um, I've got one of the things for the name. I can't remember the name offhand. Um, it's on OSH Park. Um, it's a ham guy, if I remember right. For F's sake, I can't figure out what the name is. Anyway, it looks like a pretty interesting design. The Gerber files are up there. You can order them through PCB away if you don't want to do the manufacturing and you know custom make it yourself or whatever. And uh, basically, this is basically to put a ROM cartridge in you know, put some program on a ROM cartridge, and this is the ROM cartridge design itself, right? Yes. So I won't play the video. Apparently, if you have any questions, you can ask David and Mark who know all about this. Yep, I have a couple of them from David, and I've uh, programmed David's ROM, which has four different versions of DriveWire, one for the Coco 1, one for the Coco 2, one for the Coco 3, and one for the RS-232 back. Works excellent. I need four. Do you think that eventually... Scripsit cartridges will become rare because people throw them out, the insides out. And, no, I, well, they, they might throw the in, insides out, but I don't think the cards, like a lot of people want to find the, you know, the ejection molded cases. So they usually keep them. It's like, you know, like uh, Rick and Dale talked about, you know, they took the Dino Wars cartridge because none of them liked the game, pulled the ROM out, put their own game on. They were trying to submit to Tandy and then send it to Tandy. So it's already in a cartridge case, but they kept the cases because the cases are valuable no matter what. I well, did that to a bunch of Theragood cartridges. Yeah, one of the nice things um, with this uh, ROM cartridge, which is by uh, Mark J. Blair. Ah, yeah, I remember their name now. Um, so it's called the Coco EEPROM Pack Project. Um, but there was a guy that's on a Thingiverse that made a 3D printable cartridge that you can stick that in. Oh, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> speaking of which, you just yep, put he up covered that. Page for <laughs> so, and that I had um, at least when my printer was working, I printed a few of the cartridges, um, and the design works really well. Um, of course, these days, for people that don't want to print the cartridges themselves, um, I guess there's people that's had good luck with um, JLC PCB and PCB Way. I guess both do 3D printing now, so you can actually get the both the PCB made and the cartridge the shells 3D printed from both those companies if you wanted. Yeah, and if you want an orange injected mold of one, and I'm pretty sure John Linville uh, still has quite a few left from the big order they did when they were making cartridges. 
and cartridge games and stuff for Neil, et cetera. So I think you can probably still get those through him too. I don't know, remember what the prices are off the top of my head, but just contact him through the Coco Crew podcast. I'm sure they can, he can hook you up too. So there's lots of options on the 3D printed one. If you have a 3D printer, you can do that. Or as, as David mentioned, you can order it through, you know, places like PCBWay and you get the, you know, circuit board made at the same time. So it's all in one shot. And this, this yeah, handles I'm, variable size ROMs up to what, 32K or something? Um, It handles, the most I think it supports is a 16K. Uh, so Coco 1 and 2 level basically is what it's designed but, for. But the ROMs you can use all the way up to 27C512, which is a 64K ROM, but you use it in 16K banks. So that's why there's two jumpers. If you go back to the page, that has the the actual PCB being shown. There's two jumpers that you can flip between um, of the four banks because there's two jumpers, high, low, right up there in the top left of the PCB. There, if you look at A14 and A15, that helps switch between those banks. So high or low, so you get. Okay, so that you you could have multiple images on there that are each 16K and a 64K ROM, mm-hmm. but you have to move jumpers. You can't control yes. that through software. Correct. Right. And unlike many other uh, cartridges, this one can be used with a game ROM or a disk basic compatible image. There's that auto start jumper down there near the pins yeah, that right you can either put the jumper on or off. Um, since most of my projects, I use the HDB DOSs configured for different configurations. Um, I don't even have that jumper on. The only jumpers I ever use are the ones to select one of the four banks up at the mm-hmm. top left. A couple toggle switches that fix that right up. Or a couple switches mounted to the external of the case with wires going to those positions, yes. <laughs> Now, out of curiosity, the the Coco Three can map in a thirty two K ROM. This does not support that. No, um, you probably could get it to do that if you ran the A fourteen line from the chip to the A fourteen on the cartridge slot. Um, but that would be a manual bodge wire. Um, okay. Or if someone had the actual raw wanted to they could probably make it so the jumper had a third position you know like where you got there where it's either high or low you could have one where it pulls a14 from the bus which means then a15 would be the high low bank so it would be either the upper 32k or the lower 32k okay that's something that hasn't been done yet because obviously no one's really um that i know of has really thought of it being that important um but you know so maybe is what you're saying well it could be done (laughs) yes it's just the 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 david long answer to a short question (laughs) yeah well you know is me this is how i normally answer questions too like a five minute explanation when 10 seconds would have been fine but that's that's cool um um, the fact that you know you you've actually used this before and it all, you know, works fine. Marks used it as well, too. Like, I didn't know if this was like a design that I've just, you know, somebody no. that I don't really know from the community made no. something. Um, just to give you an idea, this cartridge I've got actually sitting right in front of me because I've got Jim's um, 
RS-232 pack clone cartridge that was a prototype, which he called the Coco Link, which has an extra bit for the baud rate selection that can go to 230K, unlike the RS-232 pack that can only do 115K. Um, but he doesn't have a ROM socket on it. So I had to use his little Y cable, and I'm using one of the game cartridges on it in the Y cable, so I have both the ROM and RS-232 pack combined that that route. Okay. And I'll just mention here at the very end of the video here, actually demonstrates the cartridge working by putting Canyon Clamor onto it, onto a ROM and a reprom, and then uh, plays it, and it works fine. So good to know. Okay, so computer hobbyist, and this is, I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. My apologies, I should have wrote it down. Um, but this is somebody that uh, Stevie encouraged to come to Coco Fest a few years back, I think just before COVID, or maybe it was just after I came. I think it was just before. But he came by and he actually interviewed him, and, and um, we kind of had him on the show for a bit here, and he kind of came back to Coco Fest again and actually went through and did one of the summary videos, an eight-minute video of kind of going through the show floor. So here you can see like Jeff and, and Rick, you know, pouring over, you know, writing networking code for games or whatever you guys were doing at that table. Is that roughly accurate, Rick? That looks like Easy. Deke. Yeah, that's Jeff. That's Deke. De Deke's uh, real name is Jeff. And what the heck were we doing? I have no idea anymore. You can see Rick Adams on the far right there, you know, pondering code. And William Austell off in the background. In the oh, background. I remember now. Yeah, he's, Deke, Deke has a uh, a network card that doesn't like anybody, <laughs> <laughs> especially David Ladd. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. I, I I should I misspoke. A Coco that doesn't like any Coco IO cards, except for one that uh, Henry Strickland has. That's pretty new, and I didn't have any other new ones, and we're all looking at this thing, and I'm, you know, because by I mean, then when we get to doing the follow up, where we get some of you guys that have new products that are kind of in the works, um, I'd like to get you, Jeff, and Henry all you know all on the same time to kind of go over the whole group project. I guess uh, Brett Gordon would be part of that too, for the Algorand stuff. We and were maybe Jay Cyril. We were this close to broadcasting that coffee pot from Henry's desk. <laughs> to the world there <laughs> they almost had it going we couldn't get past the the weird wi-fi at this new venue yeah I'd, I'd like to do a spotlight on each of the big projects maybe it'll be too much to have everybody on a one show maybe we'll do one a week or something like that but to get you guys in on the network yeah. project to get the other two on the uh the drill power pack um <laughs> wireless cocoa stuff plus his uh kid helped you know make some of the the satirizing videos about me and stuff too that was really cool and mm -hmm. you know, charlie yeah charlie thank you that's a problem i i only got a chance to briefly talk to people very quickly i didn't get a chance to write down email or just nothing so i don't even know how to contact these people it's, it's all mud now isn't it yeah I, I remember i did this but in one context and with who yeah so hopefully we can get so, everybody actually, on that had new stuff charlie's charlie's father is flutterball on the discord okay if, if i forget mark um, maybe just maybe get in contact, have them to contact me and we'll, we'll arrange to get them on. Okay. I'll do that. Thanks. Charmark Flutterball. Yep. 
So anyway, he does a very brief and walk through the tables here and, and some of the projects and some of the people and stuff too. So it's pretty cool. I won't play it because we've covered some of this already. Um, this one here is Eric Canales. So he's uh, introduced the first alpha version of 6Dev09, which is a ID system that he's created for Windows that will do both basic and assembly language programs. And you have different uh, themes and stuff you can do here. Like you use the, uh, you know, the classic Coco green screen, modern dark and some other things too here. And basically you'll create a disk image and launch in the emulator automatically and, you know, do the compiling and stuff, assembling. Um, I think some of the people on the panels, have one of you two gotten this from Eric? I know he's been talking about doing some updates based on some suggestions on Discord already. And this is an alpha at this point, but uh, anybody here filled with it? I signed up with this. I signed up with this Patreon and uh, have access to it, but I haven't played with it yet. Okay, Rick or anybody else? Has anybody else tried this yet? No, know. not not yet. Um, it, it'd be nice to play with it, but at the moment, I've been focused on the GoTech and the Grease Weasel. Okay. I'm just going to get some feedback. I know it's a work in progress, and this is an alpha. Um, it's not the final product by any means. So... Um, well, well, actually, maybe we'll just get Eric on the show. We we have a way to get a hold of him through Lenside. So mm -hmm. I'm going to do a demo. I did try to get him to come on and do a demo just before the fest, just so that people that couldn't make it would know what this new product announcement was. And, but he didn't have time at that point. So maybe we'll get him on the next couple of weeks here. Uh, next up, Coco Town, which I covered earlier when he was talking about you know getting Xbox controllers to work in XROR. So this is more on the serious side of things. So he does what he calls the impossible Tuesday to color computer animation. So basically, this is drawing the the, the standard 3D hat style graphic that we've all seen before. I think it was even on the cover of one of the Tier City Microcomputer News on the Coco. <clears throat> what he did here is he actually saved all the images from it, and then he put it on a modern PC and then animated it so it actually makes the little guy flip. So it has... Yeah, sound yeah. So basically, you can select you know how you want to draw the shape type thing, and then it draws it at regular speed, and then he overclocks it a bit so it doesn't take quite as long. I like the fact that he uses like actual cocoa fonts and stuff to give you you know details what he's doing. But I'm sure you guys recognize this shape. Which would take literally a couple of hours sometimes to render on a real Coco, even a Coco 3. So end up with that. So what he did afterwards is he actually created all these previous and then he merged them together into an anime GIF style thing. So this is why it calls impossible because a real Coco could not render this. However, a 2 meg or 8 meg Coco could have these all pre-rendered and just flip them around and actually animate it as fast as if it's not faster. So there's a project for somebody, not me. I thought that was like a, a juicer or maybe like a, a a pan for a bunt cake. <laughs> hey, it's pretty cool little animation there he did with that. And then he did a two-part series here on using DriveWire to back up Coco floppies. Now, I won't play these because these are like literally 20 to 25 minutes each. Um, so the first part, he goes through setting up DriveWire itself. And uh, backing up real floppies to drive wire drives. And then on the second part, which maybe I'll just play in the background here with a really low volume. Previously on Coco Town. 
I think he does these kind of dramatic things here like this, like continuing from a previous episode. I'm going to type B. Nothing shows up. Six, there'd be nothing. I'm going to type C. Nothing shows up. Zero. So he does his videos very professionally done, I think. And I like the fact he used a paperclip to, you know, jury rig wires together on RS32. Um, but the part two is basically going on splitting up single files into separate drive wire disks. And when he did the initial backups, like he had a lot of programs on the same original disks that he was backing up. And now he wants them like a separate so you can find them easier, which is what, you know, the color computer archive does. You don't get usually a whole issue of, of, of a rainbow. You'll get a specific, like, here's the rainbow roach game and here's WeFax 512K or whatever it is type thing. So he kind of goes through the whole you know, how he decided to solve that. And he actually switched to DriveWire 4 because his original first video is on DriveWire 3. And DriveWire 4 he actually used for this particular purpose. And he explains why in, in the video and some of the command line options and stuff he's using. So I don't know this guy. He was not the show from the sounds of it. At least uh, I would like to figure out if we can get a hold of him and maybe have him on the show because he seems to be pretty knowledgeable what he's doing. But I, I've never heard or seen of him before. So it's kind of wondering just where he came from all of a sudden. And if you're watching, uh, please... Uh, you know, send us an email or or mess or join our Discord, etc. Here, love to have you on. Yeah, and I'll let you since I'm getting kind of horse throated here. If you're still on, okay. If you want to explain what this is? I'll, do you want me to just play the little intro first, like our yeah, blooper? sure. Is that a couple Canadian hosers back there? Hey, Amy. Yeah. Hey, Taylor. Hey, Curtis. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Your line is, hey, Taylor. <laughs> this is why Ken's an actor and I'm not. I can't even get two words right. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. Hey, Curtis. Hey, Taylor. Hey, Ken. Hey, Taylor. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> and it goes uphill from there, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, we uh, dropped by the lab and uh, filmed an episode with uh, Taylor and Amy. So, um. I don't know what else is there to say about it. it what what about is Cocoa it about? Fest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, they were gracious hosts, so we got to sample some uh, local cuisine. Yeah, uh, including some what is it, Gibson's donuts? donuts? Which I was a little disappointed they weren't shaped like you know Gibson guitars, but uh, <laughs> donuts, barbecue, um, their version barbecue. of poutine, which was cheese. Uh, ranch dressing and bacon, which okay, <laughs> yeah, it was good. We also, but... we also got the uh, like, uh, like up here, and I'm not sure what the situation in the states here, but you know, wagon wheels are a fairly common wafer. Oh, well, they know what covered. they were when I mentioned them, so but they had things called moon pies, which apparently originate in Tennessee and are the, the predecessor of, mm -hmm. of wagon wheels came out in 1917. Is that something that's all over the States? Or is that only in the South or only in Tennessee? Does that's that's all over the place here. Oh, yeah. it is? Yeah. Okay. I thought Fair when enough. you said you were uh, local cuisine, I thought you were going to say that you went to the, uh, the local Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, Ken did make it down to BB Kings. Yeah. Went down to Beale <laughs> street and drank a lot of beer, watched some bands and ate at BB Kings. But yeah. that's in my video, not in this one. Yeah. Ooh. So yeah, they've, they've actually, they mentioned they've got a bunch of ideas of stuff to do after going to Cocoa Fest. And of course, from Brian Weezer's gracious donation of a Cocoa 3. Um, so they've got like, um, you know, some upgrade videos they want to do. I'm sure they'll do some stuff that's Cocoa 3 specific. Um, and, and, and they won't have, you know, two annoying Canadians in the back and the rest of them. So that should help their 
the channel a lot. <laughs> well, hopefully they'll get to play with uh, Nitrous 9 Ease of Use 6309. I was trying now. not to be the obvious plug there. Uh, trying to be polite, but okay. Thank you, David. <laughs> but basically, this, this particular one is their vlog of going to the fest. So this is like them before they left Memphis. Uh, they actually talk about going to White Castle, um, which was right next door, the venue, and and going through Coco Fest itself. So definitely, and it's got their normal charm and humor too. So that you know, it's it's always a lot of fun watching. Their as hard as we tried, we couldn't get rid of that charm and humor. Yeah, they, they survived the White Castle. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean they're 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 you know they're medically trained to be able to recover from that. I think is is oh man. Oh, they call them they do call them sliders for a reason. <laughs> yeah, they slide in and then they slide out. I thought there you go. There it unsaid. is. I thought that was best unsaid, David. But <laughs> thanks anyway. So I, I did discover this. I did not know previous is that Taylor has uh, this, where she always peels the buns. She peels the cooked part of the crust, and apparently it's genetic. Or apparently. One of her parents did this as well, which they kind of talk about in the video. So it's just, really, I've never seen I would that say before. It's more habit than really genetic no crust. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was something I did not know. I, I learned something there in the video. So, in other words, the uh, the uh, top of the bun is unappealing. That's what I gather. Yes. To her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's White Castle. So, wouldn't the whole thing be unappealing? <laughs> so I've heard. And then Cocoa Fest spelled in ketchup. I have never seen that before either. So that was cool. A plug is a plug. Gotta watch the video. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta it's, check it's that really out. Good. So go watch you, it. I gotta yeah, check after. it out, even though it has Ken and Curtis in it. <laughs> We're not on it too much, and we don't we don't get we don't want to talk too much. So unlike this show. Yeah, where I talk way too much, I'm going horse ready, and <laughs> I'm not even half done. Um now, for those of you that were at VCF East, which I know Sloopy was, was anybody else? None of us here, I think. Okay. I don't even know if Sloopy's still on the call or not. No. He's physically on the call, just not mentally. <laughs> I fell asleep. Well, I, I can't blame him. Um, so basically, Justin D. Morgan, now he's normally a Mac guy, I think, normally. And he's also friends with, um, uh, what's the other YouTuber? LR Tech or something? Oh, shoot. But basically, he did a, a three, almost four-hour live stream. It's like he did watching our show and getting inspired by it or something. Uh, basically, pickups that he got. He got some stuff from consignment. He got stuff from the thrift pile, the free pile, et cetera. And one of the things he actually managed to pick up was a Coco 2 uh, for 70 bucks. Um She's just bringing out now, Everyone but he actually got it as a bundle. Let me bring it down. But anyways, Jeremy has been, I think, trying to get me to get a color computer. So I got a color computer too. And yes, it came. It comes with the speech sound pack. Although it's been opened, someone's nice. had this opened. I don't know why, but. Anyways, so he goes through it and he kind of tests it kind of a little bit off screen. He eventually points the camera at the screen because he didn't have the right, you know, capture hardware for the Coco in particular. Uh, but it's a 64K Coco 2 with extended basic. It's got the full travel keyboard, but it's the Radio Shack label. So I'm guessing it's not the T1. I don't think very many of the Radio Shack ones have the T1 VDG. But uh, 
I'm well, interesting. Good. He's playing and doing a follow-up video of actually using the Coco, and he, he was taking a look to see if he could actually test the sound speech pack. And he has the manual that came with it as well. But I mean, if you looked at any of the sample programs, they're like three or four pages long to get it to do anything. So uh, he didn't take the time to type that. So he'll have to do that up in a follow-up video. Probably kind of interesting to see what his opinion is of the Coco too, since I think this is the first Coco of any sort he's ever owned. Um, and like I said, he's normally a Mac guy, you know, does some of the other, you know, 16-bit machines more often, but uh, interesting to see what he thinks about it. Too bad he couldn't get to Coco 3, which would be more comparable. But yeah, he's, he talks about the Coco on there for a good 20, 30 minutes. This one I'm going to play in its entirety. Uh, Ken, do you want to set this one up? This is the uh, the little one, not the big one. While we're down in Tennessee, we uh, took a little trip from Memphis over to Knoxville to check out the Vintage Geeks Museum. And uh, yeah, they just, uh, for a teaser, they shot some footage of us looking around the museum. And I think later on, Curtis is also going to touch on a video there where he actually interviews us. And we played around with some Coco stuff. Yeah. And the nice thing about this is that Aaron uh, Ishmael, who's kind of in charge of the whole thing, and he's got several employees. This has been going ongoing, getting this built up over, I think, a year, I think they said, if I remember correctly. So they've been working on this a while. And he let us in, actually, their official semi-opening date for the public. You basically have to book an appointment and you know book when you want to go in with how many people. Open to the general public has not happened yet. That's happening a little bit further in the future. But he actually let us in before the official date of May 1st. And this is the uh, one they released on May 1st, uh, you know, saying that you can now book appointments. So I'll play it in this entirety. It's going to be kind of a, a little bit of a commercial, a little bit of information, and a couple of hapless Canadians kind of hanging around. I'm Aaron. Welcome to Vintage Geek. I have some very exciting news for you today. It's been a long time coming. There's been so much work that has gone into creating the Vintage Geek Museum. Our staff has been working hard every day trying to create the exhibits and all of the things that you're going to enjoy when you come here. And I'm excited to say that as of today, we are officially open on a limited basis for scheduled tours. How can you come see the Vintage Geek Museum? It's very easy. You can just go to our brand new website, vintagegeek.com. Now on the website, simply click schedule a visit and you can see the calendar where you can schedule your time for a visit and come see everything that Vintage Geek has to offer. Now obviously we're still in construction, we are growing the museum on a daily basis, so I still consider this a bit of a preview tour. We've got a lot more to come, but we have adjusted the prices accordingly to make it as easy as possible for you to come visit. Our second big announcement today is that we are offering Vintage Geek memberships. What do you get as a Vintage Geek member? Well, you get a few things actually. First of all, you're going to get a discount on museum admission. So if you want to come take a tour of the museum, you're going to get 50 percent off the normal ticket price. Secondly, you get full access to VintageGeek.com, our brand new website. Now the website has all of our video content that we've produced over time, and it's all available commercial free on any device that you choose. In addition, we have a lot of video content here at Vintage Geek that we don't put up on YouTube. We have full-length interviews with some of the guests that we've had on the shows. We have full playthroughs of some of the software that we've been featuring, and we'll give you access to all of that, plus any additional software that we may have created for
for some of those videos like the leprechaun we made on St. Patrick's Day. All of those things will be available to you as a Vintage Geek member. And you get exclusive access to schedule one-on-one -on -one time at the museum to spend with a computer or computers of your choice. So if you had a favorite computer as a kid, an Apple, a TRS-80, an Atari, whatever it might be, and you just want to sit down and spend some quality time, you can spend that time by scheduling it on the website as a Vintage Geek member. It's one of those special perks that's only available to Vintage Geek members. And finally, we have the Vintage Geek community, which is a place you can sound off specifically about the exhibits we have at the museum. We may ask you questions about the software that you've seen on the computers when you come to visit. Maybe there's a particular piece of software that you'd like to see featured. You can sound off directly via the Vintage Geek community. Once again, a perk you get from becoming a Vintage Geek member. It's very easy to subscribe and become a member. You can do it right on the website. And we're going to give you a special promo code so you can take 50% off the price right off the bat just for watching the YouTube channel. If you use the code YouTube in the promo code box, you're going to get 50% off that membership price. It doesn't get any better than that, and we would love to have you as a Vintage Geek member, and we look forward to seeing you at the Vintage Geek Museum. So anyway, that was, that was really nice of Aaron to let us in a little bit early and uh, tour through it. And uh, he interviewed us, and uh, he also graciously accepted an interview from uh, Kenemy for Ken's channel. And uh, that's an, another one of the videos Ken's working on. He's, he's a busy little beaver. He's got a ton of stuff to work on. But uh, uh, just ask you, Ken, what, what did you think of the overall museum? Oh, I loved it. Um, it's pretty much uh, kind of my dream of being able to do something like that. And um, yeah, definitely seeing some of the computers I'd never seen before or even heard of was yeah. uh, pretty cool. Yeah. The one in particular, I mentioned it to you when we talked about it in the car afterwards, was that one with the record player built in, yeah. that educational one. That's from the 60s or early 70s, I can't remember, but uh, I've never even heard of that thing before. <laughs> and I will mention, uh, we've actually, because Aaron's still, he's got some excess stuff that he's got duplicates of. And we, we talked to Jason Timmons of VCF uh, in Chicago. He's you know he's doing the same thing. He's got stuff he's got you know, multiples of. No, Jason's still going through because he hasn't even got all the stuff to wear else yet. But we've actually got them in contact with each other now. And once they kind of get their collections kind of caught up and they know what's excess and what's not, they're, they might have some opportunities to exchange some stuff so they can kind of fill in gaps in each other's collections rather than you know just sell them off an eBay type thing. So it looks like from the sounds of it, I think they're both pretty pretty happy with uh, kind of you know virtually meeting and, and hopefully be able to arrange to get some stuff that you know each one doesn't have. Uh, in particular, Aaron's got a lot of documentation stuff, and uh, I'm not sure if Jason has quite as much. And Jason has a lot of hardware stuff that I think you know Aaron doesn't have. So hopefully, between the two of them, you know, as time progresses, there they'll be able to expand each other's collections that the the public can come and see. So that worked out really well, I thought. And this one just released this morning. So uh, one of the things we did when we were down at the Vintage Geek Museum is that they decided to slam us. Onto the Cocos. They have a whole little Coco thing. That they were planning on having it running on a Network 2 controller. Uh, but unfortunately, that was not quite working at the time we were there. So we didn't get a chance. They had a, well, multiple Cocos hooked up with uh, various TVs, including one. Wasn't the Radio Shack original wood grain one, but it was the non-rebranded one. I'm trying to remember. Was it RCA? Do you remember, Ken? Or Magnavox? Um, Whoever made the original Tandy color yeah, monitor. Yeah, the original Odyssey, monitor. Magnavox. Yeah. RCA. Oh, RCA. 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 Yeah. So they had a wood grain RCA, the exact same model, just didn't have the Tandy branding that they had. It's one of the ones there. It was all um, set up in a little classroom situation type thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, those cases, I guess, were actually a TV case. They did it because if you take the Model 1 monitor apart, you'll see underneath that there's spots yeah. for like the knobs. Well, the Model 1 monitor still has the embossing for the wood grain fake top. They just painted it gray. Or in some cases, they just painted it brown, but they didn't put the dry brush wood grain effect on it. But they all have the wood grain embossed into the top, which I thought was fun. Yeah. So anyway, this this video is kind of covering an interview, a little bit of the interview with us. I think I don't think they put the whole thing in this one. I haven't had a chance to actually watch yet. I don't know if you did. Ken. No, they they cut out about two hours of your talking, so they pretty much kept <laughs> in everything I did. So it's still about three hours long. Okay, um. <laughs> still shorter than this show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but the main focus of this one here is they actually put all of us on this uh, one of the cocos in film. And I should mention they actually have a professional video. Uh, person hired as part of the vintage geek museum so a person that does video for a living um and basically they they put us on uh the coco in the little coco learning lab you know set up like a school like ken was mentioning but with the uh the electronic book that tandy sold which i know the coco crew i think john linville did a tech thing on it a few years back of how it worked which i'd totally forgotten about by the time we got here so we were kind of all learning it together because i don't think any of us had ever really used it before i know i hadn't ken i'm pretty sure you didn't either nope so we were kind of like running through some test programs and actually trying out the hardware and stuff here. Now, this is a 14 minute. I'm not going to play the whole thing here. Um, just fast and I'd like there. to point out, too, that they told me afterwards that that Radio Shack Gift Express sign was just balanced up there. <laughs> so if the floor had shook, it would have just fallen over on my head. Yeah, and you sit over here. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll play a little clip here in the middle. I've not actually... Yeah, this at all. is this is just when we're sitting down at the uh, computers to play with the learning book. Oh, so I should fast forward a bit, or so Ken, get in front of this big screen. We use this, and I don't think that you guys nope. have either. None of us have. Nope. Our first game here is called the Number Factory, and basically, it's a binder. It's a three-ring binder, and it has a set of buttons on the back. It's cover basically three adults trying to figure overlay, out how to play you're a kids basically game. Pushing buttons <laughs> on the page, so it was designed for best description ever. Sort of thing. Plugs right into the joystick port on the back of the color computer. We've got the Number Factory ready to go here. We're going to give this our first run through here and see how we do. <laughs> I like to call it math is hard, so I think we hit go. That seems like a good first option. All right. Level one. Nice. Okay. Simple for children to figure out. <laughs> it's just us <laughs> poor adults are having the problem. There you go. Oh. That was you. I didn't press yeah. it. Are you yeah. gonna make it harder oh. for us? <laughs> One of the key factors here is you have to have enough room for the book <laughs> so that you can press all of the buttons. And I, I'm going to have as you can tell, it's a lot of fun. Um it, it was it was really cool. I, the the way that they you know have shot this and they the way they do the transition cuts and stuff. I mean, you could tell the videographer does know his stuff. I would never be able to pull off something like this in a million years. Um, Ken Ken probably could, but I couldn't. Um, but uh, if I if I had time, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it was a lot of fun. It was great going to the museum. I can't remember like how long did we spend there. They also graciously took us out for a, a lunch too. So yeah. Um, well, we got there at about 1130 in the morning, I think, and we left about four or five. <laughs> yeah, so, and it was a six hour drive each way. So it was a long day. We got up at four in the morning, which you know we'll cover in Ken's video. But uh, that was a lot of fun. I really like the way they have it set up because they have like areas by, you know, different computers. They have a whole library section, which is like manuals and original software disks and boxes. They have the little learning lab, which is kind of set up like a mini classroom, which is what we're sitting at here right, where you see on the screen. 
and uh, very interactive with the people. I mean, we end up talking with just about everybody that works there. Um, and everybody's super friendly and, you know, fairly knowledgeable. They'll admit if they don't know stuff, unlike me, who will try to, you know, be BS my way out of it. <laughs> um, I, I had a great time. It's a really, really good museum. I'm, I'm really impressed with it. And uh, definitely, if you're in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, uh, I would, if you have time, I would definitely go check it out. And there's a fair bit of a fair bit of TRS-80 stuff because I think that's what Aaron started with. Yep. Uh, next up, uh, this would be Bob Emery, uh, Lacoco Strangiato, and he's doing a YUV to HDMI converter for the color computer one and two. Um. Which basically goes YUV to an RGB to HDMI adapter, including artifact color support. So it kind of shows the difference between like the composite video output. And then when you put this in, you also goes the difference between the colors. This is from the same computer, but just with the two different solutions for the video. And you can see it's much clearer on the top and not so washed out with fraying bits on the edge and stuff here. And then, you know, test some games on it and stuff too. So I won't play that because it's uh, the show's going to be lined up as it is. Uh, but definitely go check that out. It was great to meet him in person at the show too. Um, and it's his very first fest ever, so that was cool for I think for him too to meet everybody, and uh, hopefully we'll see him every year from now on, and hopefully he'll pop on the panel again. Uh, next up, this is a two part from Vern's Misadventures, which I think I have had covered his stuff on the show before. So basically, in this case, he's doing a two part on a color computer two. Part one is adding extended basic and upgrading the memory. And this is like a half hour thing, so I'm not going to play all of it here, but basically it just goes through the uh, actual upgrade itself. Um, you know, burning the EEPROM itself. So he didn't actually have a pre-done extended basic chip. He had to burn an EEPROM to put it in. So he goes through like the EEPROM burning procedure as well. And then he did a follow-up. <clears throat> and this was to set up and learn how to use the Coco STC. Now, at the beginning of it, he goes through doing it what he calls the hard way, which is learning how to use the old the commands, like, you know, dir quote slash star to get a root directory or whatever type thing like doing it all manually and then he was looking at you know the exp and the sdc explorer and you go oh, i don't know if i'll really learn anything if i do it that way because it makes everything so easy but he did end up installing it i was really glad he did because he can still use the command line options if you want but if you just need to quickly you know switch between disk or quickly you know create a new disk or whatever it's it's much quicker and easier just to use the explorer and he really liked the fact that you could set up the explorer to either auto execute or you can just type EXP to fire it up uh, rather than having to like physically mount the drive with it and then, you know, run it manually from there. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. So um, pretty good uh, little educational videos and and kind of like explaining how to do the SDC stuff and how to do the upgrades on the code too. So a good almost hours worth of content between the two. And then back to David Mitchell of David's Retro Corner. So this is getting into some more stuff that's a bit more on the serious side. So this one, he did the uh, video of the GFX graphics spring demo running in P-Mode 4 and a Cocoa 1 and 2. He also did a low-res version of the MC-10, which I'll cover in a bit here. This is also originally from the uh, book Terrific Games for Your Tandy, colored by Hal Ranko and Sam Edwards. Uh, David did do a couple of minor updates on it, um, which I think he mentions down here, if I remember correctly. Add checks to keep the XY valid and reset the display when the space bar is pressed. So you kind of reset it. I'll just play a little brief bit here. But basically, it uses, you know, sine and cosine type of stuff to draw, you know, fancy curvy shapes and stuff like that. So it's just a little graphic demo. 
Ken, I, I don't know how you want me to introduce this or what part you want me to play, so it's totally up to um, you. This is our trip to Coco Fest and beyond. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, did you want me to play a bit, or do you want to just tease it like that and leave it, or what do you, what would you like me to um, do? I don't know. You can pick a spot in the middle, I guess, or basically it's just uh, our trip and all the things that happened, especially with the chocolate bars. The snowstorm. <laughs> some footage in the middle about uh actually being at coco fest <laughs> yeah show show some nice footage of the roads we were driving down okay so um in the second part second chapter there well i was gonna show you, you drove through some snow in bc too this is probably yeah. like coco hall i'm guessing uh yeah so going over the mountains there got snow rain sunshine wind and furniture but no couches Okay, and now us leaving. Like, when you arrived in Saskatoon, this is what you arrived to. Yeah. And we just gotten off some, like, 65 to 70 degree temperatures. Oh, oh you have an Arby's. <laughs> yeah. I was oh, yeah. about to say, there's <laughs> even an Arby's. That's actually Lloydminster, but. Yeah, we have Arby's here, too, so. I thought if it was Arby's, it would have, like, a little maple leaf on the hat, too. <laughs> Darn it. Now I'm hungry. Thanks a lot. <laughs> which, which Lloyd Minster? Is that the Alberta one or the Saskatchewan one? That red pole right there is the border. It, going it was into the border, Saskatchewan. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So, anyway, when you arrived in Saskatoon, I think it was a little bit cooler. It was probably overcast, but it was basically dry. Yeah. It was uneventful. So, really, there's nothing to say about it. Day three began like this. That's six o'clock in the morning. And this is where the true adventure began. This is different. Thanks to the extremely icy roads, Curtis and I were forced to choose a different route than we had planned. In the first four Several hours, times. we only traveled a little over 100 kilometers. It was then Curtis realized he had forgotten the chocolate bars. You see, no! it's a tradition, because apparently our Canadian chocolate bars are better, that people put in orders and Curtis delivers them to the show. Now, I mentioned at this point, <clears throat> we were actually stopped dead for, I think, what is it, 25, 30 minutes before we gave yeah, up? about half an hour before we gave up and went north. So everything you're seeing on the ground there on the highway, that's ice. That's not snow. That's not loose snow. Not slush. That's solid there's, ice. There's a jackknife semi in front of us about, I don't know, about a mile up ahead of us. Yeah, but completely blocked the entire highway. And they were not... They couldn't even get a tow truck out there from what I understood for hours because of the road conditions. So this is when we gave up and started driving the wrong direction, heading north towards the North Pole to get around all this. <laughs> because the roads were so bad and we were worried that more roads and border crossings were going to close, we decided to press on. Curtis had some... Actually, by the time we got to the border, it wasn't too bad UPS until we Saturday crossed delivery it. to the yeah. hotel in Chicago. It was a good thing we didn't turn back because we crossed the border just below Winnipeg and made our way to Fargo, barely ahead of the road being closed. It had taken us almost 16 hours to travel the first 1,100 kilometers. We were behind schedule, but at least the chocolate would meet us in Chicago. We pressed on until we... This is us driving right. about 20 miles an hour down the highway. Right? Yep. Day four began with some snowy roads that quickly became sunny and dry. And there, we're now near Chicago. We finally made it to the hotel on Friday, only about eight hours later than we had intended. So honest, we were going to help you guys haul stuff from the VCF warehouse to set up, but uh, all that happened. 
We had every intention of being there before noon, not four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon. Early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, you would but I mean, I, I really like the way Ken cut this because um, I mean, it's the you know it's ostensibly about the the Cocoa Fest trip itself, and then covering some of the stuff we did a bit later on in the trip too. <laughs> but the the chocolate bar theme is running throughout the entire video with Ken <laughs> doing updates, and you know all the lies we got from UPS where they'd say you know we talked to a manager and say you know oh, yeah, it's on a truck to Memphis right now, it's a truck in Memphis, and then the next day. You know, you get an update from the tracking saying, yeah, it, it got onto a truck at 10, 15 p.m. last night in Chicago. So like they were constantly changing, back changing stuff and making it worse and worse to the point where, you know, we missed them entirely. We were just about back in Canada before they finally made it to Memphis. But uh, I, I really like the way he had this, you know, this threaded theme going throughout of tracking the chocolate bars. He, he did a really good job on that, Ken, I have to say. So it's well, more of it. a video about chocolate bars than it is Cocoa Fest. No, well, no, you covered Cocoa Fest pretty good too. But I mean, there's no matter what part of the trip we're on, the chocolate bars have to get mentioned as to what we thought the status was. And then, you know, you have to do the massive correction the next day of the trip because, you know, everything changed and reverted in time. So, like I said, Ken's Ken's like the guy from Vintage Geek. He's a professional videographer. You can actually, you know, cut scenes together and make it a really good narrative. And I just don't have that capability. Anyway, definitely worth uh, watching that. Go ahead over to Ken's uh, channel and, and and definitely watch that if you want to kind of get caught up on the whole saga. And yes, also watch my videos. I need the watches, please. I need friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a revelation. <laughs> this is why Don't my channel back. has 40 subscribers, because I have no friends. I wish I had that many. <laughs> Uh, next up, uh, TGB Chris, who we've actually have had on the show as a, a guest a few times now, and he's active in both the Coco Discord and on the uh, TRS80 uh, Discord as well. Um, he did the, the uh, video here on the SEC firmware and SEC DOS upgrades. Now, I think he's only running a 6 and a 9, so he hit none of the problems that the firmware has caused for 6 or 9 users, or it actually would just randomly crash at different spots trying to boot. Um, I, I won't play too much because, I mean, it's basically just going through what what it looks like to do the upgrade, you know, the flash firmware, et cetera. Uh, you can definitely check that out. If you've got a 6809-based Cocoa, this is a totally safe, do everything. If you've got a 609 and you use Nitrous 9 EOU, um, and I'm still waiting to hear back from Bill on uh, if he's talked to Darren about, you know, specifically what, what they can do to fix it. But basically, it's running a little bit too fast for the SDC's new firmware update to handle, and it'll crash. Uh, if you back it to the previous version, it works fine. Is there, yeah, I was going to ask, is there a downgrade available and where would you get that? Do you know? I think he's got all the versions on Darren's site. No, no. He's nope. only got the most current one on the blog site. Um, okay. If, Are they on the archive? I thought I did see them somewhere. Well, if they're on the archive, that would be great. But I think I have the zip file of the previous um, firmware updater, which... You know, I could probably see if I could throw that on the archive, but yes. You or I can even put it on my site temporarily until the problem's resolved. Yeah, you can downgrade the the SDC DOS and the firmware if you want, but the, the issue appears to be with the microcontroller's firmware. So That is confirmed. Uh, Bill did do the testing. The SDC upgrade works fine. So just 
right now, if you haven't done any updates, but if you want to do an update, just do the SDC DOS update. Do not do the firmware update for the microcontroller yet. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will mention, as I mentioned earlier, if you have a 6809, you don't have a 639-based Cocoa, you can do the firmware update. That actually does work. It runs slow enough on a 6809. It doesn't have a problem. Uh, but if you have a 6309, it definitely will cause crashes. You won't even be able to boot it most of the time. And yeah, it seems to crash at random spots, too. Like, it's not always the same, even on the same machine. So, Yeah, well, if there's anybody out there like me, all of my Cocoa 1s, 2s, and 3s have uh, 6309s in them. So. Um, yeah, kind of you, you can boot the 6809 version of Nitrous 90 on a 6309 system, and that will work as well. But of course, you're running slower. Yeah, but that defeats the purpose of having a 6309. Well, that's my thought. <laughs> but but uh, like I said, I, I got uh, Bill in, in contact with Darren uh, basically for the email that Darren had sent me when he, he heard about it. And uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to Bill. I'm pretty busy catching up all stuff here for work and home stuff, yard work, for example, last week here. And I'm kind of just about caught up now. So I'm hoping I'll just phone Bill and find out if he's uh, heard anything back from Darren or if they even start working on the solution yet. But uh, yeah, the firmware update is definitely the problem. The SDC DOS update doesn't have anything to do with it whatsoever. So feel free to update that. Next up, we got some. Um... Somebody named Jim Gary. <clears throat> I don't know who he is, but I think he's going places. Uh, working on a sure? basic game. What's that? Oh, I said, are you sure? <laughs> so he's working on a basic game for the MC-10 called Bomb Aimer. Uh, and this one he's playing and entering in the next 10-line uh, basic programming contest. And he has the WAV file of the current version of it up on the Coco and MC-10 Facebook group. So I could have put this into the gaming news, but because it's meant to be part of a programming contest, I thought I'd throw it in here. Now, you'll see there's more line numbers than that, but REMs don't count to this contest. So I'll just play a little snippet of it here. So it's kind of a, almost like a periscope type view, I guess. Or you're trying to fire at these uh, things and you've got your little crosshairs there. So for 10 lines of basic, that's not bad. You know, you got some stuff to do. Uh, next up, uh, he converted microword, or not converted, he typed in microword. So this is originally by Tino Del Borgo, who's actually from Tasmania, up, you know, nearer Nick than the rest of us. And this was published in Australian Cocoa Magazine, I believe. Let me just double check that. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, Australian Cocoa, October 1984 issue. It's meant to be a simple word processor for the MC-10. So he typed it in and actually runs a demo here so you can kind of see what it looks like. Um, I'm pretty sure it requires the 16K RAM pack upgrade or one of the newer, you know, larger ones. But it allows you to save and edit and print. And I mean, the editor is a bit primitive um, just because it has to run the MC-10 uh, with, you know, 32 columns and you can't do a full high-res display so you can't, you can't do high enough res to really do a, a, a you know more characters on the display like P mode four like Telewriter or VIP did on the Coco because basically you're limited unless you've done the upgrades to the motherboard itself you're limited to I think one twenty eight by one ninety two so you might be able to sneak some vertical stuff uh, you definitely would need a sixteen k RAM pack then because basically you're using the entire onboard RAM for video at that point no lowercase of course yeah yeah. 
I mean, for the sounds of it, um, it, it's actually not bad given the you know hard restrictions it's running under. Um, it's not something I probably would use myself, but it does have some features like editing lines, extending lines, and change and replace, etc. Next up, we have Micromagic uh, that Jim Gary did. So this was uh, originally by Brian McLaughlin in 1984. It's a program for making intro screens. Um, so it's kind of like, I'm trying to remember the name of the one from Sugar Software for the Cocoa back in the day. Uh, Auto Run, I think. That was a bit more of a twofer. That was meant to do, you're designing your, your, your splash screens that load in off cassette or disc. Uh, but that one also then would auto run the program so that you wouldn't have to like, you know, wait for the okay prompt to type run. This is more just for designing the screens themselves. Um, and this is originally from Australian Cocoa Magazine in December 1984, so a couple months after the uh, word processor program here. So I'll just play a little brief snippet of that, just kind of show what it looks like. Not quite sure we jammed all the sound in there, but okay, that might be part of the demo. Yeah, just mute that. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I kind of forgot that was there. <laughs> but you can see it's, like, it's doing some scrolling and it's actually drawing bigger characters using the uh, the character string uh, graphic codes. Notice he called it the Myco. Yeah, that was the nickname in Australia for the, in Australia, the MC10. Yeah, that, which really is a, a pretty good name. It, Scott, yeah, I also heard there. the Pico was one, I think. Oh, no, Pico's a different thing. Never mind. A different thing, yeah. Mike, Did we have a nickname Pico in North color. America for the MC-10? I don't remember hearing one. I think it was just called the MC-10. I thought it was doorstop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like a nice little package for doing little animated new interest screens and stuff, so that was, that was pretty cool. They have another one here called Computer Olympics, originally written by Stephen... Mains and Paul Summerson from the 1984 book Computer Olympics, um, which is kind of a text-based animated kind of you know using text characters to animate kind of the Olympic flame style thing. So that's kind of animated the torch using you know parentheses characters, which is kind of an interesting thing. It actually looks it actually kind of works. And then back to Davy's retro corner, David Mit or David Mitchell here. He did the uh, GFX demo spring that we showed on the Coco Dragon before. This is downported to the MC10 to run an SG4, so it's running at low res, hmm. but still draws basically the same style sign, cosine to do the curves and stuff. You're just at a, a much more resolution, and a little bit faster because the MC10's basics a little bit faster than the, the standard Coco one too. Anyway, just a little graphics demo. Next up in the MC10 group on Facebook, Robert Sieg posted a rather interesting eBay find, which I'm hoping is still active here. But apparently there was an official Radio Shack MC10 diagnostic tool, and the guy is asking an insane price for this because it's you know supposedly so rare. Um, I don't know if Mark's still in the chat, if he remembers anything about this. Um, I've never heard or seen of it before myself. So basically what it is, that's a little box from it. And that's a part number. I don't recognize that. Does anybody here maybe worked at Radio Shack or knew Radio Shack part numbers? Ever heard of an AX, AXX code? 
Yeah, AXX was uh, basically the internal parts to a particular machine. So this would have been stuff internally for Tandy Radio Shack, but not to sell to consumers normally. Yeah, you could. They could order it, uh, but this would be like parts manuals in the or uh, in the parts manuals type of thing. Okay. Because um, from the looks of it here, it actually came with its own binder. And then uh, that's the inside of the binder with the box with the actual product itself. Um, huh. Never seen one like that, but okay. So it's actually got the start from it's basically it plugs into the, you know, where the RAM expansion goes by the looks of it. Yeah. So the early, uh, early Coco 3 512s were AA, AXX part numbers. Oh, okay. And there's the uh, the binder that actually has the uh, the name Tier City MC10 Diagnostics. I don't think I even saw Cocoa programs that use this brown binder. That was usually reserved for like the Model 2s, 3s, 16s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Model 1 Leatherette. I've got a couple of those binders around here. Anyway, I was wondering, is anybody here willing to put up $1,499.99 US for that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think I'll buy, I think I'll buy the one from Retro Rewind instead. Don't forget the $20 shipping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not enough to pay fifteen hundred bucks for it, but you got to pay your own you shipping. Can't, can't do free shipping. <laughs> but I, I've never heard of this. I've never seen an MC10 or Coco thing that had that kind of a binder. I and mean, it does. I have to say, it kind of looks like it's legit. It's way overpriced, obviously. But uh, well, the binders were from Radio Shack. That, that's for sure. Yeah, and this looks like a a proper MC10 style. Pay fifteen hundred bucks for it, and it'll be just the sixteen k expander cart. Yeah. <laughs> it's entirely possible. <laughs> get the ripped up instructions too. Yeah, and this part number here, like the twenty six, was generally their computer stuff, wasn't it? The prefix. Yeah. And oh 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 one. That sounds suspicious because that would have been the, like a model one or something, wouldn't it? That's another. Oh. Number. This is the first one of that product. Serial number one. And they've got a little bit of the sheet here showing us as the RC2 test requires a loop back counter or connector. The connector should have pins one, two, and four shorted together. The test will then send data out and try to read it back in. So there's a very like half a sheet of information of, of running it. Yeah. I think there's another picture of that a little bit later on. Um but it's sideways, so I don't know if I can read it. Oops. So it says this ROM pack works in much the same way as the color computer diagnostic ROM pack. The main difference is that this pack will not auto-execute. Once the pack has been plugged in, the user must type in exec 8192. Now, I'm not familiar with the memory map on the... Uh, MC10, but is that something that's mapped into the cartridge port? Is that where the RAM normally resides? Does anybody know? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, I never got to play with the MC10s. Jason, is he still here? Because he, he's done some stuff with the MC10s. I don't know if you might know. Did many MC10s go to Tandy for repair? Like, did they fail uh, much? I don't know. Not that I recall. No, I didn't think I so. I never really saw much for color computers. Mostly... Uh, disk drives on threes and fours and, yeah. and twos, two, you know, the Z80 lines. 
Yeah, and it goes into some of the like the external hardware stuff. So it goes through the uh, bit of instructions for the cassette test, the printer test, and the RCA2 test because they're a little bit different. But it looks like the other tests would just be on screen menu stuff. There's unfortunately no screenshots of of what it looks like running, but I'd be interested to see this running this because it looks like it might be legit, though I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that catalog number because uh, when the MC10 came out, there was already a lot of computer stuff already out. Yeah, that 26, I think, is totally wrong. Maybe they just picked a different box. But the AXX one, from what you described, it sounds like that could be legit. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing, too. Like, you wouldn't have two part numbers, would you? Oh, wait, well, what's that? 263011. Well, Look at that. Yeah, well, the oh, AXX yeah. would have been uh, the part number you used when you ordered from National Parts, whereas the 263011 mm-hmm. is what would have been in the store. And the triple O one is just a bad label. Okay. Yeah, it could be. Now, also, the thing I'm trying to remember is when was the MC10 sold? It came out in spring summer of 1983, I believe, because it was before the Cocoa 2 and before the 64K Cocoa by a couple months and then sold for about a year. So, I mean, the time period for this February 1984 on the sticker here is probably legit because that would be about halfway through its selling life. Oh, that makes the. $1,500 price tag more uh, worth appealing. <laughs> <laughs> Snazzy binder, though, for an MC10. Oh, better get better get Brian to order this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah sure, Brian, it, he can show it next week on the show. He'll have one next week. Yeah, he'll have it next week. <laughs> well, worth the $1,500, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's legit, it's a pretty interesting piece of history because I've never even heard of this. Um, uh, Mark, was there uh, a, a national parts catalog or something where people ordering would have a list of everything available that you can get from Tandy headquarters? Um, AXX stuff is usually what we ordered out of the service manuals. Okay, so this might be mentioned in the MC. Well, no, the MC10 service manual probably would have been made way before February of 84. Unless it was a planned thing that they just didn't release till later. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, this this could be legit. It's could, way overpriced, yeah. but could have been yeah, a revision. Have to, do, have to do some more research on it. Okay. No, it, was, it was pretty interesting to see that. So, not oh, something I've heard of. Uh, next up on the MC10, Robert Sieg, um, again, he just did the previous one. Uh, Postal and Graphic is using a 24 bit. Bitmap EMP style file to two bits to pick per pixel converter that he has done with some in between stages. The MC10, the last stage of the conversion here, like down sampling from the 24 bit color down to the two bit, is actually runs on the MC10 itself. It's not the quickest thing in the world, as he admits. But uh, this is, I think, when he had already downscaled to 16 colors and then he downscaled that to the four. Um, not too bad of a job. I mean, we're you're losing a lot of detail going from 24 bit color down to two bit, but it's it's kind of recognizable. And I think with the right source material, uh, with the right color palette and the original selection there, you could probably do some pretty decent conversions and you can like, you know, create backgrounds for an adventure game or something like that. And this is, uh, going to BMP 16 color converter straight down to the, uh, two. And I think we've seen these kind of ones from Robert before. I think he said an earlier version of this utility did that. Switching over to the dragon now, this is a pretty cool one. So those of you who played Glenn Hewlett's, uh, Defender transcode or conversion or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, <laughs> um, 
Wayland in the uh, forms of the Dragon Archive, uh, World of Dragon, decided that he he he's always loved Defender. It's one of his favorite arcade games of all time, but he just hates trying to play with you know any sort of dragon or Coco joystick. So he went one further, and he actually took the original Defender entire board with all the buttons and everything else here populated like he had a raw board here with the buttons most of the buttons missing and then he actually populated the boards and the, the up down joystick etc here and they wired up so you can hook it right up to uh playing uh-huh. uh, the actual transcode slash conversion using the actual arcade controls <laughs> from the original defender arcade game which i think is awesome cool. I, I would play that crap out of this I, I still suck at it but i'd still play the crap out of it but is he running an emulator there? Because that's a PC keyboard behind it. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering. I mean, the emulators do run Defender fine on the Transcode. Yeah. So. so that might be a, um, yeah, for a, a PC joystick control or USB maybe. Well, if you scroll back to the under underboard view of the buttons, it looks like he's using a switch to usb encoder which a lot of the current ah, yeah. arcade cabinets use that have yeah. you know those main main boards that uh use yeah. the right right usb encoders so so it's not a coco product that well it could be you just change that encoder and uh um you know the appropriate um you know thing to make it work on uh, probably the nine pin adapter okay so this would be a conversion kit kind of like um convert to a pc that you'd be running an emulator or maybe in a mister or something like that that could then be uh, used on a uh, main cabinet because you can define the yeah. keys in MAME. that's true right that that that's why i said that's probably one of those generic usb encoders yeah. that's used on a MAME cabinet or yeah. current arcade machines that use uh, you know a regular pc motherboard or stuff yeah i mean i'm reading the one quote here above this current picture we're showing it says i wired up all the switches to pins on the raspberry pico using dupont cable right. solder to the switches oh, yeah. also i want to mention i just noticed in the chat here because i haven't been checking the chat lately uh we, we covered Justin D. Morgan when he did the uh, live stream of, of stuff he picked up at VCF East, and he's actually in the chat. And he's mentioning that uh, he's yet to do a follow-up on the Coco 2. I'm waiting or trying to find the best way to capture the output. Well, there's some people on uh, on the panel here that could probably answer that you know, question a lot better than I could. Um, maybe Jason or Rick or somebody or Mark or... Um, uh, my David. suggestion is, is if you can manage to get one of the composite upgrades for the Coco 2 from Ed. <clears throat> yeah. If you can manage to get one, um, that would be the way to go. Um, or one of, um, what is it? Eight bits in the basement. Alan's videos where he did both AC's his video zone. and, and a composite mods. Um, that would be an, another alternative, but I can tell you the RF RF outputs on the Coco's blow. So, <laughs> don't way to upsell our favorite machine, David. It's absolutely true. That our, our, well, it's pretty bad. One of Alan's the Coco 3 isn't very good either. Go ahead, Mark. One of Alan's DVs would make the uh, capture easy. Yeah. Yes, it would. Yeah. AC's yeah. 8-bit zone. He, um, he has his own YouTube channel, but he also sells our hardware products. And the uh, Coco DV is his, right? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah, yep. I think so. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, because that actually no, adds yeah. extra hardware for doing sprites and stuff too. That if you want to tackle that, you can do that too. But it gives you nice, even just using it as a converter, it gives you nice, super clear output. HDMI now, out, right? Uh, An HDMI out is like fifteen bucks from Amazon. Or capture for that. Yeah, so. but eight eight bits in the basement. Alan's um, Coco DV, since it's already got the, excuse me, the HDMI connector on it. But it's following the the DVI specification, which of course works on HDMI um, without sound. It, without sound, uh, but you know it works great. Um, and um, he uses a EEPROM on the board, which is a standard. I think it's a twenty four XX SPI. EE prom so you can you know update it easily when he comes out with uh updates for it. Um so it's uh it's easy to use. Um you just have to make sure that you have a Coco that ha- the sixty eight forty seven socketed. <laughs> if not then you have to socket it. But uh, yeah I don't know if Justin actually I don't think he on that video opened up the case. Um um, so, I mean, it's, it's a medium age Coco two. It's got the full travel keyboard, not the melty one, but it just has the radio shack banner, not the tandy one. Okay, so it's, so then that's then, borderline. Then, it might be socketed. It might not. Okay. So it's a middle aged Coco two. So it's probably the 68. Yeah. Like most of the panel. The T1. Yeah. So <laughs> I should mention it's, it's uh, AC's eight bit zone, not eight bits in the basement. That's the guy from France, I believe. Oh yes. Yeah. Sorry. There, there's yeah. too many Alan at AC's around. 8-bit zone yeah you can definitely find him on YouTube and he sometimes he pops in the show sometimes he's even in the chat I don't think he is today though uh, it's so easy to get people confused sometimes now you may recognize this joystick here from Microdeal on the left because uh, Brian Weasler showed that he's got one of these so that's with the original very small thumb switch which if you're playing a rapid fire game that doesn't have you know um <laughs> automatic rapid fire you're gonna wear a hole right through your thumb so what he did yeah, here sure is that, he made it sorry good i'm pretty sure that radio shack actually sells those little tiny switches and the normally open normally closed yeah they come in one size oh the, yeah, the on the left is a standard switch on the right is a nice dressing over that switch yep and that's oh. what this project is this the one on the left here this oh. is the way these were sold from microdeal yep which is the one Brian has. This is a replacement because of the exact thumb problems where you can wear a hole right through your thumb. <laughs> he goes through and explains exactly what he had to do to get that to fit and, and to get it to fit basically in the same hole so you're not actually damaging the plastic case at all. Because you can wow. see here, it's got this hex nut that kind of is almost the same size anyway. So you just got a slightly oversized button. You find one almost perfect fit oh, and uh, you're not damaging the joystick at all. I'm thinking he would have had to drill that out a little bit. Yeah, I think he did mention he had to do it a little bit, but not much. Like he just basically filed it. I think. I I do like that. Um, since I've got a few of the the switches that are compatible with the the Craft Deluxe um, joysticks, I would have probably used a file and made that square so I could use. <laughs> He's one of those. Right? He's one of them puppies. But this description he's got here is perfect. I was playing Astro Blast and pile driving a hole in my thumb from the tiny button, so I decided I needed a bigger button. <laughs> yeah, th- th- those little Looks switches good. were never the best. 
No. Well, they were never meant for rapid fire. I mean, they were meant Cost. for like you click something to turn a light on or something. They're not meant for like, I got to get 60 shots off in the next two seconds. Right. Back in the day, I tried to make an asteroids control out of those little switches from Radio Shack stuck in a piece of plastic. And it technically worked, but uh, no, just <laughs> no. All right, so that was a cool little upgrade project for the standard, you know, micro deal joysticks that came out in 82 when the Dragon was announced within months or within weeks, even maybe. And uh, pretty, pretty nice upgrade. And it actually literally fits just about exact same. He's got a little bit of a ring to put over top to cover up, I think, the fact that he did, you know, file away a little bit to get it to fit, but not a drastic change, but would make a huge improvement in gameplay. Mm-hmm. And as was mentioned earlier, I think Brian Wizard mentioned this. Um, John Whitworth of Dragon Plus Electronics has actually got some stuff back in stock again. So the first one he's got back in stock is a Super Sprite FM Plus uh, Dragon Coco kit version. So this adds in basically the MSX hardware, the sound chip, and the Sprite chip and color, etc. So that's the ones that the new AGD packs that uh, Para released here, uh, the eighth pack of the AGD Enhanced games. Or the uh, sorry, the Super Sprite from Plus Enhanced games. So he's actually got them in kit form again. You can actually order them. Works on the Coco or the Dragon. Uh, it will not let you run MSX software because, of course, that's a completely different CPU and everything else. You can choose whether you want the 128K video RAM or the 192K video RAM knowledge. Uh, he says, as of this point, and to my knowledge, none of the original MSX2 machines had the full 192. So we actually, you could pull some things off in the Coco and Dragon, the MSX2 machines the original ones could not pull off because they didn't have that much video RAM. and he's got some screenshots here like kind of stuff we were showing compare you know i think this was one of the first games we ever showed was this particular one here which actually had like multi-voice background music and sound effects running on a 16 color screen and some of the you know the wide variety of colors you're getting compared to what you're used to seeing on a coco one or two And the second one he got some parts in is the Alps key switches. So these are the really awesome key switches. And it's basically the same one the Mark Data Products keyboard had back in the early 80s. So it was a Coco keyboard upgrade, but the Dragon had that built in. That was a standard keyboard. Uh, and people were looking for trying to get the switches here in case some of the switches broke or just got wore out, etc. And he's got some brand new Alps key switches to fit many Dragon 64s and some of the Dragon 32s and other devices such as Yamaha synthesizer keyboards. Limited stock um, on the Dragon, the Alps keyboards are those with the smaller letters printed on the keys. See the difference here. So that's the switches there. If you need to do any replacements, if you have a marked data products keyboard and you need some new switches, I think these are the same ones. So you should be able to use that as well. And as long as you don't need too many. Yeah, like limited <laughs> stock, but they're brand new too. So yeah, they're higher the button, higher picture. <laughs> Higher. 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 Right there. Shows you the different keyboards. You mean these ones? That one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you tell the difference between... Oh, yeah, the size of the characters that are in, in, in put on the keycaps themselves. Tell the difference. You know, like those key switches would probably fit the one on the right. Yeah. So it's great. He's got some stuff back in stock, especially the Super Sprite board, because there is a fair bit of software that already actually uses that, including all the AGD games, um, which is like 40 to 50 now at least, uh, that use both the sound and the graphics part of the that upgrade. And uh, also now the key switches and stuff here too. 
That's really good because, I mean, a year or two ago, we weren't even sure if uh, John was still going to be around. He went for leukemia treatment, which just seems to have gone very well. And he's actually kind of brought the company back up because he was thinking of shutting it down. And I'm um, glad, he, glad he's doing well and glad that it's still going and he's getting stuff in stock again. I did read on Discord, and one of you might know more details on this. It sounds like I think it was Dave Phillips that had mentioned that some of the FPGA controllers that are kind of like sisters of the ones that are using the Coco VGA and the Gimme X are starting to come out for sale again. Finally, they're finally getting some stock in. I don't think the specific one that those two projects use because they use the same one have come out yet, but it might be a hint that the chip shortage that's affecting those two products in particular might be nearing an end, I hope. Um, has anybody heard anything further on that, or, or am I understanding that correctly? If you guys have read the Discord messages, some of the things that I'm waiting on are almost available. So that sounds right. Okay, we're finally so getting back to hobbyist level stuff is, you know, the older things that aren't very important are finally getting around to being made again. Cool. Because if that happens, that means like Brendan's so far behind on filling orders for the Coco VGA. Some people have actually just given up and canceled. It's not his fault. It's, right. you know, COVID yeah. caused the entire supply chain to get completely screwed up. And, you know, it's, it's taking years to get back to normal because they have to fill in the big company orders first. Can't switch an assembly line of chips over to little obvious things. But it's the exact same chip using the Coco VGA as a Gimme X. So both of those projects could potentially get back off the ground and start filling orders again. I know there's a lot of people wanting the Gimme X. There's a lot of people wanting the Coco VGA. So it'd be really nice if uh, that chip comes back and both Brendan and Ed can start refulfilling orders again. Uh, <clears throat> Davies Retro Corner then put in some more. So this is the Whirlpool Enhanced Demo, Graphics Demo. Um, he added some color to it. This was originally by Clive Gifford in the 1983 book called Games for Your Dragon. It's not really a game, but um, it's more of a graphics demo. Uh, but it's been upgraded for color. So um, once again, using you know some math to draw some fancy lines using mathematical equations of some sort. I haven't actually looked at the code. Kind of looks like a firework drawn really slowly. But it's a little graphics demo. Uh, with the original version of it was black and white. And the last dragon one here, um, Just Jamie, uh, which is not a channel I'm familiar with, um, put up an eight-minute video called The Easiest Dragon Emulator Tutorial 2023. Uh, and he does a series of these videos of how to set up emulators for various retro systems using various emulators. So in this particular case, he's showing you how to set up XWAR to make a Dragon 32 emulate up and quickly. And he kind of gives you how to install the ROMs, bit of information on the dragon itself, where to get some software for it from the dragon archive. There's a familiar scheme for anybody else like me who forgot to put the ROM in the right directory when you first got extra. It basically just comes up with garbage, which actually is what happens on the real thing too, if you do that. Uh, where to get some software, even from the uh, color computer archive, as well as the dragon archive. And then, you know, some sample playing of a game just to kind of show it's all up and running. So, if you've never tried setting up Rexware, you never tried setting up a Dragon emulator, uh, and you want to give it a shot with a bit of a tutorial, this is a perfect video. It's not even super long, and goes through all the steps. So, and now that my voice is completely given out, that's the end of the news. Woohoo! Now we're all cut up. Next week should not be as long. <laughs> Excuse me. That's great. <laughs> David Ladd is allergic to Curtis talking too long. It's. Uh, it's an that affliction that Ken shares. 
<laughs> that was our closing sound effect. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was about to say, thank goodness, but I sneezed instead. Well, I'm pretty sure Ken was getting allergic to all my rambling on the entire trip, too. So I'm Lisa sure he's came out. I have never slept so well. <laughs> <laughs> and now for the Grease Weasel segment. Ah, okay, that will yeah, be what I said for the <laughs> Push the button, Frank. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022, D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Coco fast. Coming back. And we're back. Any we were last thoughts? I'm, I'm glad my voice held out the entire news segment. Because <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> sure. Did I, I miss any news we're glad to. Thank you, yeah. everyone, for joining us today. It was great that you was able to join us and hang with us for this entire show. And stay away. And we hope to see you next week for another episode of The Coco Nation. Oh, is that where we are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we better get my kitties are telling me it's past dinner time. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you all next week with less news. Bye, I hope. Well, actually, if we get a Bye. lot of new news, that'd be okay. Bye, everyone.